This is an explicit podcast. Welcome to Notorious Age of Sigma, an Age of Sigma podcast coming to you from New Zealand. I am your host, Big Sean, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tubbs, where we put the spotlight on the match play community in New Zealand, carrying off local tournaments, lists, and the occasional battle time. Welcome to Notorious Dwellers, episode 22. We're back in your motherfucking ears with a Sydney GT recap show. It's me, your boy, Big Sean, joined by my lovely assistant, Beta Bitch Sean. How you going, Tubbs? What's up, man? Yeah, we'll get to your Beta Bitch reasoning later <laughs> on in the episode. I'll take we... it. Oh, yeah. Gotta give me one every now and then. Oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty win. We have a very special guest on the show today. A man that we travelled, well, not we didn't travel with, but we travelled to Sydney G. What do we do, Randy? We travelled for. We travelled for. Where am I going with this? The one and only fucking Fruit Tingler. Yes, Mr. Tingler. Mr. Turn to my green poo, Randy Savage. How is it, Randy? (laughs) Oh, it's good. It's good. It's lovely to join you, boys. Uh, Thanks very much for having me on the show. I will point out, I'm technically not a dweller, so I have a feeling that. uh, calling me one at this in your little intro is going to result in a call from uh nick Cohen and perhaps his superior joe pagano in which i'm going to get my fucking ears blasted off so thanks very much for that big show and a wonderful way to start that's all right i have a fabulous legal team his name is dan from aos shorts the litigation lawyer <laughs> extraordinaire so, so not come at, so not only is he a robot boys. from the future he's also a lawyer yeah he's a lawyer in real life and a pretty oh, damn good looking one I should send you his profile blog on his website. He's a fucking good-looking man as well. What What can that man not do? Jesus. Um, Play AOS. <laughs> <laughs> and we're out of the get-firing shots. <laughs> we will take no prisoners. Oh, oh you've just completely derailed me. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the show notes, Sean. Remember the show notes. Oh, my God. No, I'm too busy looking up Dan's profile now to send it to you. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, so we're here to <laughs> fucking help us. <laughs> so we're here, lads, listeners, I should say, because I don't assume anyone's identity. Uh, we are here to cover off Sydney GT, a recent tournament that took place in Sydney, Australia, as the title might suggest. 2500 uh, point tournament. Greater Sorry? Western Sydney. Greater Western greater Sydney. Western. Yeah. Um, and greater it was. That is that is absolutely for sure. So we all travelled there. Myself and Tubbs from New Zealand, Randy from Tasmania, to partake in this tournament. So we thought we'd just cover off our experiences of Sydney GT, you know, reasons why we went, our list, sort of what we did when we got there, uh, the event as a whole. And then just sort of give it a quick little review. So it's going to be a tournament recap uh, episode with a bit of travel and a bit of bands, a bit of maybe a couple of stories on the way. I don't know. It depends on what we want to share and what we don't want to share. My suggestion is come on tour with the boys because that way you don't miss any of the stories. That would be my approach to it. So, boys, Sydney GT. How'd we get yeah. there? Yeah. Well, I'm going to throw to you first, bro. Okay, so obviously uh, I, I live on the northwest coast of Tasmania, um, so I had to fly from Tassie, like you said. Um, it's a fair bit of a trek for me to get anywhere with an army, uh, so usually what I end up having to do is fly the day before the event and then fly back home the day after the event. And that just means that I'm not 
stuck farting around with red eye flights and things like that. And and to get to Sydney, um, flying out of Devonport, I actually have to take a connecting flight. So you actually mentioned that as well that I had to take two planes. Um, so for Sydney, I had no option. I had to go um, the day before and the day after because I, I planned to get home and drive back with the shortest drive possible because I don't make mistakes like Tubbs. Um, <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, the, the, the trip started for me Friday morning um, and I managed to get into Sydney. Like, look, traveling isn't that big a deal. I don't mind it too much. The only issue I have is that the stress of taking an army is horrible. I hate it. Um, this time around, I was trying out a Magnarak from Battlefoam. Um, so all of my stuff was magnetized onto it. And I was just like, all right, hopefully this will be a little bit better. Because instead of two big bags, it fit in one like giant ammo case thing that you guys would have seen. Yeah. Um, and it worked pretty well, except for the fact that one of like my my Tomb Herald model was it's a third party completely metal miniature. I think some of you I got some of you guys to hold it when I was telling you why it cannonballed around, but the four magnets on underneath it didn't quite hold it, and it just went fucking cannonballing around the bottom tier of my case, and a lot of my shit got fucked. Um, so the trip there was good. The army trip there could have been <laughs> could have been better, but I made it. I made it at about midday, and then uh, met up with you guys at the Airbnb. So before I get too far into it, I might just li pin it at that point in terms of my my trip over. Yeah, well, yeah you seem pretty. I used, the, I used that Magnarek as well, um, but with the plastic army, it was fucking awesome. It was real. Yeah. I had no issues. My whole daughter's cane army, fragile as fuck, got there in one piece. I broke more models at the event than. Uh, then got broken the case. And yeah, what's I the think biggest, that... what's your sense of these models, Tubbs? Because you had two bigger models, didn't you? Uh, yeah, so I had Marathi, and then I also had my converted up Salicent Prime, um, which is probably hanging on bits and bobs by by threads. Um, and it was sweet, and it sort of just got tossed around in the bag and thrown into the back of Ubers and all sorts. And no, it didn't break. It oh, back. It was don't awesome. don't don't fucking say thrown in the back of Ubers. That. Ah, uh, that fucking oh, that guy on on, the way, on day one on, the, on, on day, day one on the way to the event. And he puts it sideways immediately. <laughs> he just grabs it out of my hands. What a bastard! Yeah, so no, you're completely right, um, Tubbs and, and Sean. Like, they for the like, not to like turn it into a product review, but the Magnarak is fucking sweet. All of my stuff that was not metal um, survived fine. Like, it didn't didn't have a problem whatsoever. The only reason stuff got broken was because that one Tomb Herald that was a lot heavier than I expected it to be uh, and didn't have enough magnets just went careening around. Other than that, like, my Cetra is on a 130mm round um, and for anyone that's ever seen that model, it is a fragile metal piece of crap held together by bending physics. Uh, and that didn't come off. That was perfectly fine. It was just the fact something else went crashing into it. So, really, really cool. So, hopefully... In the future, I'll have a couple of my metal things a little bit better uh, magnetized, but it's a lot. It's a lot nicer than having to lug around a whole bunch of bigger, um, bigger cases and things. No, and I think this is very worthwhile talk as well, Randy. Um, product review aside, I mean, absolutely endorse something if it works because obviously Australia is a very vast country. A lot of you guys have to fly. I mean, obviously you have to leave your excuse me. You have to leave your state and fly. Anytime you want to go to an event, um, New Zealand's a lot smaller, but it's just a lot quicker to fly. So we want to endorse people to travel to tournaments. So 
if anyone's thinking about traveling to tournaments, I hope this information is useful to them. Uh, so the Magma Rack, it's a, what is it? It's a Battle Foam one. It's carry-on luggage. Is that correct, lads? It's carry-on. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. And, I'll, I'll and never does... put it on the, on the checked-in baggage just because they're going to make it do all sorts of like skateboard tricks. But yeah, carry-on, that's primo. Yeah, it has. And I, look, I, I think anyone that checks in their army is just way Rolling too confident. Well, no, yeah. they're just way too confident in the ability of the people at the luggage areas to give a shit. Because I literally, sitting on my plane in Melbourne on the way back home, I was right above the little conveyor thing that they, they put the bags on. And these motherfuckers were just literally chucking stuff, flipping them onto the carriage. They couldn't give a shit. And there is no way. Because, look, I'm not a great painter, but I still put a lot of time and energy and passion into my army. There mm-hmm. is no way I would be comfortable with letting someone else treat it that way. Regardless yeah, of how do, well... Like... They're trying to do like forty-five jump shots, like Steph Curry or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, Kobe, fair, you know, from to, the to a certain degree, airport. if you're stuck doing that for eight hours a day, you're probably going to get bored. You're probably not going to care that much. But if yes. you're traveling with an army, I reckon check checked bags, rolling the dice, like you just said, carry on is probably if if you want to be careful and you want to make sure that your army gets there, the only way for you to have that level of security is probably to carry it on. And that's why some of these things are specifically designed with those size dimensions and stuff in mind. Um, the one that I have, I think, is a 412 or whatever the hell it's called. And it's quite literally the biggest you can get before it starts to cause some problems with the airlines from, from my understanding of size limitations, at least in Australia. Uh, and it's like I fit 2,500 points of Tomb Kings in it with freaking snakes, chariots, Cetron, 130 mil base. So you can easily fit a 2,000 point army in that without a single oh, 100%. problem. 100%. Doesn't really yeah. even matter what it is. Like, yeah. Two and a half be... dock with monsters and, and shitloads of uh, infantry. And it all still yeah. fit. And yeah. what makes it so secure? Is it all in foam or what is the deal behind it? Like, what, what do you have to do in order you to can... transport your army securely on this? You can get you can get the bag with the foam inserts. Um, the only issue with foam, and I think someone at the event actually mentioned it, uh, models are getting fiddlier and fiddlier, and the poses are going nuts, and some things are getting massive. Foam just doesn't cut it anymore because yes. you know you're going to have to yeah. chop stuff up. You're going to have to try and get it to position in there. If you get foam pushing on the model in a certain way. Like, imagine some of those bloody fire slayers with these funky whips, or even, like, some of those um, um, dock minis tubs. If you get a bit of foam pushing them on the wrong way, that's still enough pressure that it might actually snap. Yeah. Um, the, the Magna Rack is, like, a separate product that those guys sell, and it's actually just, like... Trays that have a mag, like a, a metal sheet on them, so that you can magnetize your army and then place them onto the metal sheets, and then that's what's hold, holding them on. So obviously, the the bigger, the heavier, the whatever it might be, the more magnets you need to use to make sure you got a nice um, join to it. Um, but it just means you don't have to fight around with trying to get everything in foam in the right way or whatever it is. You just make sure that they all fit on the tray itself, and then the outer bag, like Tubbs, mine's. Mom, I'm imagining you had the same experience as mine, but like it's actually really tough and sturdy on the outside. You give it a bit of a knock, and it doesn't really seem to flex or bow or anything. Yeah, well, I my one wouldn't fit. So the problem is, you like make it in tiers, and the tiers that I had to make my one in were too big to fit in the bag from the mate I stole the bag from. Um, but I just got a little like carry-on suitcase thing, and it fit in there, and it was like wicked. Like just rolling my army around through Sydney and stuff was. So wait as, yeah. That's awesome. It's it's good to good to know these things work and so yeah. on. That there's actually like 
specifically designed bags for this yeah. because you Look, spend a lot of time on your army and you don't want it to get fucked up in transport. They're not they're not cheap by any means of the imagination, but I think if you weigh up how much time and effort and like just sheer hobby time and, and, and energy you've put into that army, mm-hmm. um, the last thing you want is to show up to an event and just be like, "Oh crap, half my stuff's broken." Like it's it's just an, it's an Correct. invest. If you're if you're gonna travel to an event, not only is it an investment in you getting to your event with your army ready to go, but it's also an investment in the time and effort you put into the army in the first place. So yes, like it I just agree. depends on it just depends on how much you value your time and your effort in that respect. So um, it's it, to each their own, but they, they're definitely not cheap. But I recommend spending the money on them because you're just trying to. Yeah, you're trying to save yourself some grief in the future. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree because I value my time far more than I value my money and the rest of it. And if you're willing to spend this time prepping for a tournament, stressing for a tournament, painting for a tournament, or just not even specifically painting for a tournament, because you're going to use your models again, most likely. Very rarely does someone buy one individual model to use it at one individual event and just ignoring it for the rest of the time. You might spend two or three hours painting a hero or whatever, you know, so you get an investment back on on your effort, which I think is good. And, and Tubby, you took one of these two, you had great success, yes? Yeah, yeah, mine was primo. It was real good. I thought they were bullshit at first. I was like, Cam, why did you spend 300 plus dollars on whatever his super big dick one was? Um, but then I took it and I was like, ah, oh, it's, it's actually pretty worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I took a GW Crusade case, I believe they're called. They're like the biggest cases GW do. Um, I think they're about $200 retail in New Zealand for if you buy it from Games Workshop and it's carry-on, which is what Clint was telling me, and uh, it went fine. The only issue is sort of actually what Randy was just sort of um, alluding to prior to me talking was that foam compresses your models, and because I got Stormcast models, I find these Citadel cases are great for like Space Marines and like 25mm models, but the 40mm Stormcast it just you start crushing shit. So like judicators lose the top of their bows, long strikes lose their headpieces or the top of the bows. Uh, my Aquila actually got real fucked up. Not a big model, Lord Aquila on um, fuck I can't remember what it's called. Griff uh, Charger. Yeah, I was gonna say Chocobo, but that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's he's, slightly he's right. Got, he's got like a dynamic pose where he's pointing his sword out away from his body and away from the um, the Griff Charger. He's like pointing it at someone, and when I opened the case on the Saturday morning, um, his sword was like bent in half because the foam had like compressed around it, and he was in like a tray by himself. So obviously something went on it, but whatever. That's that's what it is. That's the risk I took. Um, but I'm still pretty happy with the Citadel case. But um, I think I might have to look into getting one of these one of these battle foam packs because I hear nothing but good things about them. Um, so yeah, me and Tubby flew over from New Zealand. Tubby went a day before on the Thursday. Uh, we stayed, so it was me, Tubby, Matty Watkinson, um, from living in New Zealand at the moment, but originally from Liverpool. Uh, so shout out to Matty, um, couldn't join us tonight. He's working on brownie points so he can come CanCon, which we would prefer him to do, than oh, to yeah. talk shit with us for a couple of hours, because we want that boy to come. Um, and we stayed with Randy, and Sean brought his girlfriend, rookie era, but whatever. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, Sarah was awesome. She cleaned up. She's a fucking superstar. Bring her all the time. Yeah. And, and we she, stayed... she played some mad tunes on the Friday night as well, so props to her. The oh, Backstreet... no. She was it's... playing Backstreet Boys and Binger Boys and all kinds of fucking rubbish. Yeah. That's exactly what you want to hear when you're like seven fruit tingles deep, though. 
<laughs> oh, dude, it was like the third time I was drunk that day. I was so fucking over it at that, that point. So hard. All the trouble. All the fucking trouble. <laughs> anyway, um, and then also Sam Morgan from The Dwellers. He um, he was kind enough to organize the house for us, so thanks, Sam. So we all stayed in the house together. The idea is just to get to, like, meet each other and, like, break the ice. I mean, we've met, I've met the lads before. Tubby and Sarah and Matt hadn't, though. And I think it gets a real good vibe when you're all in, like, the house together talking shit with your mates it's just like a boys trip away at that point um randy we talked about this little precast but maybe we could touch on it now so traditionally in new zealand we have started hiring houses when we go away so there'd be like eight or nine of us and we say lads i'm going to get a house who wants in and if there's so many people who put their hand up we jump chuck in and it just turns into be like a fucking booze session for the weekend essentially um where we stay up late we talk a lot of shit we play music and we talk Warhammer and all sorts of other stuff, and we get on this piss, and it's a great, and fantastic time. And I enjoy it. games the next day. That's how it works. Yeah, generally, well, for some of us, it does. Um, <laughs> you know, I was I was like that prior to this last weekend anyway. So that's something that we've always done in New Zealand to encourage the social because it is a game, but there's also very much social interaction there. And I'd rather know everyone in the scene or know as many people as I could so I was playing with as many mates as I could so we don't have any awkward interactions at the table or we can yeah. speak freely. Because that way you get to know people better and you don't have... Because there are people in this hobby who have uh, social norms. Probably actually everyone you know, has like social awkwardness and, and the rest of it. So traditionally that's what we do. So I was super stoked when Sam said, um, I'll sort out the house because I'm normally that person here in New Zealand. So fucking love you, Sam. Love you so hard for that. Um, but Randy, you were saying that sometimes you go solo... Um, getting the house is not like a new concept but it's something you haven't done so recently so yes so so like you said sam's like oh i'm gonna get a house and like i think um i think the dwellers boys for their their events they they've they've been doing that oh at least over this last year since i've been in the scene and um i've sort of made friends with that group um it definitely seems like something that they've been doing but because i end up flying um the day before and then flying the day after um Usually, I would just get my own place uh, because, you know, a lot of those guys will fly out Sunday night and then I'm stuck in a house for another day or whatever it might be. Um, so it just never seemed like something that, I, um, that I'd, I'd do. So this was actually my first experience with, uh, you know, having a, having a house and um, basically having that weekend with the boys kind of thing. It would, for me, it was just, you know, at the, at the hotel and then um, at the event. Uh, and it, it's, those of you that may or may not have listened to some of the exploits that occurred for Lord of War, um, I may or may not use the hotel bed on the Saturday night uh, at all. And then it just it wasn't a it wasn't a thing. But yeah, look, I I definitely read it. It was it was a lot of fun. Basically, everything you said, Sean, is 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 what I what I really enjoyed about it. It was just um, a whole bunch of guys. You get to meet. And hang out before the event. You're talking Warhammer. Um, the one of the beautiful things about that, I guess, is that you already have that in common. You're like, hey, we're here for the same event. We're, we all know we're going to play this. We're like, what army did you take? What are you doing? Blah blah blah. You've already got a bit of an icebreaker just in the fact that you're there for the same reason. Um, and then you can start uh, building that relationship with people from there. And then because um, I hadn't even, I, I'd only 
briefly met you at Cancun, um, Sean, and then like I hadn't mm-hmm. met Tubbs or, or Matt at all before. Like it was, it it didn't feel so awkward just showing up at a house and just going, "Ah, oh, hi, people from New Zealand I've never really met before. How's it going?" It was just <laughs> like, "Hey, what's up? Um, I'm here. Does anyone have some glue? My army's fucked." And like we just, uh, it just, yeah, it's, it just almost felt effortless. So um, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. I'm really looking forward to doing it again um, because it was it was just a really different experience for a tournament for me and i really enjoyed it yeah that that social component it just it felt like it didn't stop once round three finished or once round five finished it didn't stop that social aspect yeah i totally agree i mean like when you greet everyone with a hug like randy you rock in and as you said i i met you at cancon briefly as i think you're like downing sausages and throwing out fruit tingles on the friday night and i don't know if i ever saw you again (laughs) but that was like my memory of you but then when you got to the house, I was like, yeah, bring it in, boy. We do hugs there and shit like that. And just from that moment onwards, it was just like, this is a bro that I can hang out with, have a good time with. We're going to talk some shit. We're going to talk Warhammer. We're going to talk some other shit as well. We're going to go down some, some rabbit holes here. And I don't know where we're going to land because I don't really know the temperature of this room yet. But it's awesome. It's, um, you know, you come for the Warhammer and you stay for the mates. That's what yeah. it is. You know, you 100% come back agree. For the yeah, and, and and I think that's the philosophy I take to events because I'm not a I'm not a top tables player. Um, fuck, I'm not even really a middle tables player for being honest. Um, but I I come for the social aspect. Like for me, it's about it's a weekend away to just hang out with a whole bunch of like minded people, immerse myself in some hobby, and just have a really good time. And um, it yeah, it just it built on that from the experiences I've had over the last year in the AOS tournament scene here in Australia. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm really looking forward to doing something similar again. And I, like if if I can, I think that'll turn it'll turn into the norm for me to do that sort of house thing um, when I'm flying up, um, depending on the the crew that's coming and things like that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And Tubby is meeting a couple of Australian lads. Yeah, oh, man. normal. It was not a yeah. Issue. It was no, no. It was just normal, man. Second, I rock up and Randy's like, "I need a drink." It's like we're gonna get along just fine, Randy. This, this be... <laughs> Do you drink gin? Because like we're we're kicking it off here. And um, no, she was all good. She was cool, Les. Yeah, I don't normally drink gin and gin and tonics, but after after last weekend, I'm I'm a I'm a happy convert, and I enjoyed every moment of them. Oh, absolutely. Good. Good. It's an it's an easy drink, especially when the sun's out. So oh. we catch up we catch up on the Friday, we made base camp, we go out to Darling Harbour, is that what it's called? In Sydney, the harbour, I guess. Circular key. Circular, Circular key. key. There yep. we go. Yep. And we hammer a bar during happy hour and um you always know it's a good time when they come around saying happy hour's about to end. Did you want anything else? And we say, Yeah, eight more mojitos and eight more coronas. And we want five meals. And they're like, yeah, no issue. I thought they would have been like, stop taking the piss, lads. But they were, <laughs> yeah. like, they were like, yeah, no worries. <laughs> they didn't about a fucking eye. Stop. <laughs> yeah. I, was, and I then, thought they well, were like, you can have one drink each, but no. They were like, yeah, go on. I was like, oh, yes. Yep. Uh, up until... Just like New Zealand. You know? <laughs> up until Matt tries to order a beer and it's manages to fuck their entire bar service. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That was getting so salty too. It was fantastic yeah. to watch. Pretty funny. Like, oh, I wonder was a beer. How fucking hard is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we've got to change your kid. Got to change your gas. I know how long that takes. Sorry, I haven't done it. But anyway, um, and the Queensland lads turn up, and uh, Mick turned up from the failed charge. Um, Mick. Ham. And my God, I can't remember the rest of the guys' names. Hopefully, you can tell me. Yep. Hoops. Ryan, Ryan Hoops. Hoops. Well. 
Oh, I'm trying to remember what his name is, but him and Matt got it on like a house on fire, and I've completely forgotten. I feel like a bad guy now. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know the face. I suck with names. It was pretty well tanked by the time they turned up. Oh, yeah. um, and, and then that's just another part of the traveling to tournaments. It's like meeting mates that you talk to on the internet or here on podcasts or whatever it be. But it's again, it's, that, it's the social aspect. You're really reinforcing that social aspect, which is why we go to events, which is awesome. Um, we drank there, we went back to the house, kicked around, and then Saturday morning rolls around. So I guess at this point in time, we could give a brief overview as to what the event was, lads. Does that sound all good? Yeah, man. Yep. yep. I think it's before we move into what that. the event was, I think uh, it's worth mentioning that when you say Saturday morning rocked around, um, after the drinking that had occurred the night before, this Saturday morning mm. is rolling around at 6 o'clock in the fucking morning. So it Early. wasn't a good time for any of us. Not a good time for any of us at all, I think. And Yeah, I, yeah. I, I got pretty fuck-eyed on that Friday as well. It was yeah, such a fucking struggle in the morning. I, was, I think yeah, I was, was definitely the messiest person that night because, goddamn, I felt like it. Yeah, there was yeah. fruit tingles out of a out of a cooking pot. So, we, I think we all fantastic. felt. <laughs> I think we all felt a little bit shit. <laughs> and we were sort of shotgunning gins as well as we got home because the fucking override takes forty five minutes, fifty minutes or so. Um, maybe a little longer because he was trying to get us to Bluetooth music for his car, which we could only do when it was stationary, apparently. Um, but that's besides the point. So the event itself is two for anyone who doesn't know, I assume everyone who's listening does know at this point, but it's 2,500 points and it's organized and run by Anthony Mag- uh, Magro. Is that, if I said his name right this time? Yeah, Magro, you nailed Magro. it this time, man. Awesome. Sorry, Anthony, I always get your name wrong. I just want to call you Tony. Yeah. You know, and, um, I, and don't forget from the Sopranos. Don't, don't forget Liam as well. So Liam, um, the what is it? Uh, the AOS villain, the reformed AOS villain um, at Shadowhammer. Not much of a what? fucking villain. No, he's no, not. he's a he's a lovely what man. What do you call he's, him? He... Pantomime villain? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Liam, um, Liam, I think was his second for the weekend and like did all the rules, questions, and stuff like that. So um, no, Liam, Liam was an absolute beast. Um, I didn't need him personally. I actually I bugged him towards the end, but we'll get to that later. But Liam was. Yeah, doing all rules questions from what I saw. His running tables. He was patrolling around, which is something that I really appreciate as a player. Um, having like an active roaming TO who's not oh. like checking in on games, but just is available and is around and has a presence. You know? Yeah, yeah 100%. Because then, like, for anyone that does need him, rather than having to go up to the front and just be like, I have this issue or whatever it might be. Like he might just be walking past and you can just be like, Oh, I had a, even if it's a minor thing, I had a minor question. At least this guy's there and you can, you can quickly ask them. I didn't, I didn't need to ask any rules questions either, but it was just really good. And I I guess the other thing as well, if you're running an event and you're doing rules questions and stuff, sometimes you miss out. Right. Um, so being able to walk walk around um, not only gives players the opportunity to, to get a hold of you easily or for like a quick question if they had one, but it just gets you involved and immersed in that atmosphere, even if you're not actively playing and being part of that. Yeah, I did ask him if he wanted to play at one point, and I think he... I can't actually recall his answer, but I think he... I, I, I assume he did, because whenever I see my mates playing Warhammer, I sort of want to play too, but... No, uh, I think Liam, his answer was, was around the lines of, not at 2.5k, and I'm pretty sure we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so the coach was like the hype man, the organizer, making sure shit was running. Liam was being a table boss. There was a support team there, as well as a few other people, 
Um, unfortunately, I don't know their names, but there was always people sort of present around the TO table if you needed them. Um, so I don't want to say it was just a two-man job um, because I, I believe there was a few other people there to help, so I don't want to not give anyone their due. Uh, so the yeah, 2.5K event was five games, um, three games on the Saturday, of course, and two games on the Sunday. As the guys mentioned, we started at like 8 a.m. or like quarter past Six. eight. Six to um, get there. Yeah, and yeah, then but the game started. 8.30. Yeah, 8.30, I think. Was, it was a bit... Yeah, uh, I don't know. Because there I, was the there was the I'm gonna I'm gonna air quote here registration. <laughs> um, yeah, we had to be up there saying, "Hey, we're here," and then getting <laughs> a name tag. But the name tags were a cool touch. I did like that. I'm keeping mine for future events. Yeah, it's got my Twitter handle and stuff on it. Apparently, that I'm was a... that was super cool. That was yeah. super cool having your social media on there because a lot of people might not. I mean, I don't have my real name on my social media on my Twitter, so it's um. It's handy for people to, or I should say, my full name. Um, yeah. I'm not actually called like Notorious. They always Sean, so it's <laughs> <you know? laughs> good for people to to sort of get in that way. Um, and you can't you can't discount the fact that sometimes you'll just forget your opponent's name, right? So 100%. it helps it helps with those little moments where you're just like, oh shit, what's his name? And you can just quickly read their name tag and just be like, ah, yep, I didn't actually forget. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I hugged all my opponents before the game. They went to shake my hand. I said, we don't do that shit here. We hug. And when we hug, I, I, t- I, t- I take a bit of their soul. You so grab a little always, bit of ass while you're there. So they're, they're always that... a part of me. I've, like, assaulted them, and um, they're a notch on my belt, and I now know who I'm playing with all the time. Is that why you're big, Sean? Because with every hug that you have of a war gamer, you grow in size? Well, I I would say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a glutton, but... Not, not, not in the way you're pointing out. No, I can't, can't absorb souls um, or anything like that. I'm just a fat cunt who can't put down the fork or stop drinking oh. beer. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, all right then. Yeah. So it was played in the realms as well. Uh, we had one. We had was it one round one day, one round the next day. It I was ch- um, realm of metal day one and realm of fire day two. I yeah. think it was realm of fire. The only one that I actually noted playing with was the Ren Free in the last round, but that's it didn't really matter because I was playing Zinch. So I I noted I both of them because there were some instances where it just fucked you. Like yeah. round one against Morgan couldn't have had the worst Realmscape feature ever. It was ridiculous, and I oh. will share that mini story in a second. Okay, okay, I did hear of that realm feature fucking one of the Queensland guys who played Chris Welfare, who picked like sixty grots and hit it, and then uh, yeah. Completely destroyed their unit. Yeah, yeah, it was disgusting. Was, With like forty-five mortal wounds or whatever. Yeah, that was that was harsh. That was super harsh. Um, so it was held at the Canterbury Bulldogs Rugby League Club. Is that right? I don't know what it was I, actually. I, I I don't know about rugby leagues club, but it was definitely yeah. It was a Canterbury Leagues Club in Belmore. Was it Belmore? Yeah, I think that that suburb of Sydney. Sydney. We're, we're, yeah, we're not from Sydney. We don't know, guys. Yeah. Don't fucking ask us for I, directions. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a clue where I was the whole weekend. But what I will say, and what I do appreciate about the venue, is that um, being a traveler from another country, I was very unfamiliar with the area. I mean, I have Google Maps, so I can also do that. But the venue had everything I needed, so I never had to leave the venue until it was yeah. the end of the day. So I, Yeah, so there was a cafeteria down bottom, which had cafe, breakfast, and lunch, and dinner. There was, like, a bistro, which did, like, you know, more sort of slightly formal, bigger meal dining and so on. There was about 42 bars in the place, so I could buy alcohol wherever I wanted. 
Ran out of cigarettes one day. Could buy cigarettes inside. That was fine. Did a bit of gambling at the TAB because why the fuck not? Uh, you know, like, yeah, and, and there was, was and there was a gym to get to work out some of that frustrations or or, or extra pent up energy, right? Yeah, and there no. was a there was like a different toilet to go to every time you needed to go toilet. Uh, the only downside is the room we were in was it was carpeted. Not downside. So let's just take a step back for a second. It was carpeted. There was uh, plenty of space depending on what table you were on. At worst, you were next to one other table. So there was eight rows of two, or there was individual tables. Uh, it was air-conned, so it wasn't too bad. Might have stunk a little in there by the end of it. They had a toilet just off the room as well. Super accessible. There's this big fuck-off bar in there. Wasn't open. Wasn't operational. The only downside. Not really a downside. Yeah. There was a bar downstairs, but if that bar was open upstairs... That would have, oh, been would have been so good. Oh, yeah, we would have drunk so much more. Because yeah. I think the other thing, the other thing to consider is, yeah, there was the bar downstairs, Sean. But how long did it take to get down there and get a drink? It was probably five minutes, ten minutes. Yeah, depending um, on the queue as well, because the closest bar that I was going to, at least, had like a very big TAB in there, like a bookie. So there's yeah. a lot of lot of regulars just like quickly trying to get their bets on the GGs and the and the dogs and shit like that. When you know you're trying to buy alcohol, and they seem to sort of take president over you i don't know yeah. yeah because i assume they're like they're regulars, regulars or whatever i don't know but the, and the alcohol was cheap as well the food and stuff was cheap yeah the prices but, were really really yeah. good actually if you considered what yeah. we were getting like on some days the service was a bit slow but that's probably what 80 plus war gamers will do on top of their normal hour um hours yep. of work and, and and um loading but yeah, really reasonable prices for the food. You, you're right, Sean. You didn't have to go anywhere, which was yeah. good because I don't think there was anywhere else to go. Really? Yeah, well, well, that's it. Like, even if there was somewhere else to go, I didn't even check for it, nor did I need to because the venue was self-contained and it literally had everything I wanted. The only time I was like, fuck, there might not be something that I need here was when I ran out of cigarettes. And I went to the information desk and they're like, yeah, go to the like, casino upstairs. They sell cigarettes or go to the bar around the corner. They sell them. I was like, "Fucking sweet! Like, I've got, I've got everything I need here. I don't need to leave." Um, oh, and the water on day two—they were putting out water on the bar on day one, which is great. But day two, it took them a while to put water out, which was annoying because I was suffering at that point and I needed all the water I could get. Um, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else to say about the event itself, lads? Uh, well, for me, uh, I'll just add that it was a bit of a special one because it was, um, so it was a bit of an anniversary coming coming full circle kind of thing, um, because Sydney GT 2018 was actually my first tournament in the AOS scene. It's kind of what brought me into the scene. Um, so that was both like coach saying, yeah, you can do it. Cause I, I never thought I'd get an army painted or anything like that. And Smorgan going, come on, we'll, um, we'll grudge round one. So, um, not only was it like a oh you know we're we're I'm I'm back at the tournament that started my my AOS journey uh, in this tournament scene where I've met a lot of friends and I honestly don't look back with any regrets at all, um, but at the same time it back then it was run if I'm not mistaken it was run as like a, a one of the events that was also happening at Moab, um, so it was really cramped in some of the in in some of the tables um, we didn't have as much space it was part of like this bigger convention. 
Um, so it was it was just really cool to see how it's grown. So I think Macro's done a really good job in terms of of like building that hype and getting uh, getting a bigger, better venue for this year. Because um, you can definitely tell for those for those people that attended last year, and there was a few. Like I ran into a couple of people that I even I played at um, Sydney GT last year. Uh, it was just really cool to to see that that tournament grow. And I think that's something really important in any scene is to is to see those those events that start making their impact on a ca- on a gaming calendar. To, to grow and evolve and just continue to become something something that wants people to to take notice and go hey we should go to that event because it's a staple for x y and z reason or whatever it might be yeah i think if anthony continues to keep the same venue from what i understand he's a big loyal player base in sydney anyway but i think it will be sort of one of those marquee calendar events that people lock in you know several months ahead of time um and it's also really cool hearing your side of it, Randy, how, like, you know, it's the first event you went to, and also the, um, from what I interpret anyway, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but the complete contrast of Anthony running an event within, like, a club setting, sort of like uh, Clint does with CanCon, you know, where most of the terms is dictated to him, like, the venue to cost and tables and layout and all that sort of shit, and he's quite restricted by whatever the club will let him do as opposed to him doing it on his own and like letting him sort of have the freedom to run the event the way he wants and do what he can with it. Yeah, like obviously I don't know the background behind how he would have run last year's Sydney GT, but um, like just in terms of the, like if you look at the tournament as a whole full polished experience or product or whatever it might be, you can definitely see that because he had, he basically ran his own event this time around instead of it being part of something else. Like, uh, the quality of it just it definitely felt like a step up from what it was last year which was really cool yeah so progress which is what we always want to hear yeah um, that's absolutely oh and the tickets were originally i think 82 dollars, which was probably the most that's um australian by the way new zealand listeners and uk and american listeners because we have lots of them and we fucking love you guys so keep it up um which is the most expensive i had to pay for a tournament ever which was fine because I was interested to see what the product was, but that was prior to the venue actually moving. So it's yeah, probably that's a, right. a worthy note. So there's context behind me saying $82. Yeah. Um, and, it was and a city-bound was... venue and they moved it to this one and then Anthony actually refunded us. Um, yeah, and it's, impor- yeah, it's important yeah, to yeah, note that that, 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 um, that additional cost was because the ticket used to include food, and when he yes. changed venues, it, it it no longer included food. So I think it was like it was obviously the right thing to do to refund people um, for the for the money that was going to go to the food um, when he changed venues. But the other side of it is um, when you when you start to consider that food for both days is going to be incorporated into the cost of a ticket, um, if it was the same caliber event. Plus the plus food on top of it. That's actually, I, I think anyway. I think that's a pretty reasonable price for um from a, for a ticket for an event. Yeah, I have no issue paying that amount of money. I mean, obviously I did it. Um, it's just in New Zealand we generally have quite cheap tournaments because we don't have a lot of independent ones. So you may be looking at like between sort of thirty-five to maybe forty-five dollars or so for a, a two-day a club run tournament because obviously the club absorbs the cost and there's also other game systems outside of Age of Sigma. Um, so I'm, I'm always interested in what TOs can charge people for events and then how much in return they get. So first of all, I think him refunding $20 was like the very honorable and correct thing to do, even though it would have been a bitch with admin because there was like 70 odd people who had paid that much money. So he, he literally had a wad of 20s walking around on day two 
and it lists the people refunding people, which was awesome. So I do appreciate that because he could have just absorbed it into the event and said, "Oh, these people get you know an extra measuring stick, or they get a little spot prize, or I, I don't know." Like he could have yeah. used the funds elsewhere. So I think that's very honourable that he went and said, "No, nah, I advertise it with food. We're not having food. Here's twenty bucks. There you go." Yeah, Basically. for sure. So very effective, efficient running. I think it was. Anything else to add about the event, or should we kick into like our lists and what we did? No, I think I think we're probably ready for going to lists and things. Cool. Um, Tubby, do you want to kick us off? Because I feel like you haven't talked a whole lot. Although you've just gone on mute, so. No, no, no. I'm off mute. Uh, sure can. So, all right, you do that. I'm gonna go take a whiz, and I'll be back in a sec. But keep going. <laughs> well, it looks like it's just it's just you and me now, Tubbs. <laughs> now that now that Sean's left, we we'll do what we want. Now that Sean's go, we're we're rolling the show, man. Don't worry about it. So tell me yeah. about your list, um, um, Tubbs, because uh, the only exposure I've had to Daughters of Cain is playing Sam and getting my ass handed to me. So um, tell me how you how how you built your list and you know what's in it and why. Yeah, so um, it's it's really pretty standard sort of daughters list, except just with a a little bit more to fit it into two and a half k. I didn't really know how to write a list for two and a half k. To be honest, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, so I just took the Slaughter Troop base. So the Slaughter Troop base is a Slaughter Queen, Horn Cauldron, uh, two units, five Harpies, and two units of Sisters. So because I had so many points, I dumped everything maxed up. So uh, two units is 30 Sisters, both with Bucklers. Um, and these units were just my absolute highlight of the weekend. Like, they were so good. It's so abusive just being able to pull out of combat, pile in six, retreat and charge, run and charge. They just they just they just make up make up rules. I don't, I don't know. I feel like they're just utter bullshit to play. I I know 100% what it's like to make up your own rules, so I can totally relate. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like there's some Tomb King shit going over there. Like, <laughs> And uh, I'm, I'm going to so retreat dumb. out of combat. I'm going to pile in six inches, and then I'm going to reroll all my hits, reroll all my wounds. Excuse me, bro. I was like, don't worry about it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anytime you have a I... unit that like breaks the fundamental rules of the game, being like, if you retreat, you cannot charge. Uh, it's just so good. Or piles in six inches away. It works around all activation. So, yeah. Sisters are really fucking good. They're so good. I like. I don't know how you're supposed to deal with them. Like you can't tie them down at all because they just so, do everything. Off. So from an yeah, AOS um, AOS scrub or AOS peasant, I think that's the right way to word it. From an AOS peasant point of view, if they Same can pile in six years. inches, <laughs> well, he is a turnip farmer from the middle of the fields. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if the if the sisters can pile in six inches, um, does that mean that if you're having a combat, your unit's more than three inches away from the sisters, are they still technically eligible to then activate, even though nothing was within three of them? Yeah. yeah because they, they can pile in six? They just choose to so pile in. Yeah, yeah, you can literally, like, not charge a Slanesh army, and you can just sort of run up to the mark, and they activate, or an IDNF army, and you work around it. It's the same that's, way. That's, that's so previous. good. Yeah, that's that's bonkers. They that's absolutely insane. Around, straight yeah. around so, activation walls. It, it was good before, but now with all this activation wall shit, it's just insane. And like, it, it only takes somebody to move a model a little bit too close to them, and all of a sudden there's 30 sisters coming into you. 
and they have two inch reach. So really, if you're within eight inches of a sister and you pull Holy the unit, you're, you're in so much trouble. Um, and how far do they run and, swing and run and move? Can, can they run in charge as well? Yeah, run, run in charge and retreat in charge. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, they just. So what you're saying is, Sisters of Slaughter, the War Scroll has a little little asterisk on the top of Slaughter, and then when you read it down the bottom, it just says they do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, by their own rules. Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. All right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So they pretty they much. form the core backbone of your army from the sounds of things, um, and they just yeah. did all sorts of stuff. What else did you take? Uh, so I had two units, ten witch elves with paired knives, and they were pretty fucking useless all weekend, to be honest. I don't, I didn't really get a decent grasp of what I was supposed to be doing with those two units. Um, but pff, whatever. It's probably not going to play 2.5k again anytime soon. So it's, it's not the end of the world. Most of the time they just sort of just run in, blow up a chaff screen and died, which I guess was kind of their point. Um, also, a lot of the time they just got charged or were just sitting in a dumb spot and died. Um, but that's fine. Uh, on from then, I had two Hag Queens. Uh, one of them was holding my most important prayer, the Blessing. So playing Hagnar, that means I get a 5-up re-rollable damage save. And uh, she had the artifact that lets her re-roll ones to pray. So 3-up re-rolling ones, uh, I had 5-up re-rollable damage saves. So the things like the Sisters were just so hard to move. Being a 4-up, then a 5-up, then a 5-up. Um, bouncing mortals back to you on armor saves of six, six, uh, and then when you kill the kill the sisters on a five plus, they do a mortal to you as well. So they're just an absolute thorny, terrible, bullshit unit moving around the board, making life hard for you. Uh, and I I really enjoyed playing them. Uh, I had Marathi as well. She's normally my my standout. I normally love playing Marathi, but over the weekend she was um she was she was really overshadowed. Uh, by my last hero hero slot, and um, I think she's moved out of my two and a half, uh, my two k list even uh, for this for the other big man that's coming in. She was fine; it was all good. She come in and smacked some stuff up here and there, and stood at the back and buffed and casted, and you know. But with all the endless spells lying around, with the activation shit, with just the amount of wounds on the board as well at two and a half k. Uh, she t- she didn't really impress me to be honest too too much. But my last hero, my last hero was the absolute man. I had the Salicent Prime in my list, and now I put him in uh, for a cheeky trick with Mind Razor. So the Prime buffs bravery of order units, so it makes my sister's bravery nine essentially. Uh, and when he drops, he makes all other units minus two. So they should get Mind Razor on everything except for Legends Nagash, which is awesome. Uh, I used it a little bit, but most of the time, the the Prime just, he sort of just won me games or just won me objectives. Like, having 10 Harpies drop down that after they shoot can move 6 inches on a dice roll, uh, and then a hero that always charges 12 inches was just so good. Like, any point in the later games, you know, turn three, turn three, I think was the latest I dropped him most of the time. Um, and that was probably the, the average that I dropped him. From about turn three onwards, you, ca- you can't leave much on your points. Like you have to put a good significant part on those points because you leave five brutes, you lose 
five flight kings, uh, stormcast heroes, like stormcast uh, units, anything like that. The prime just comes down and just womps them in the face, and the harpies jump on the objective, and all of a sudden you've got eleven bodies on an objective where you previously had none, where your army could never get to, uh, and it was just it was just so flexible and just like help helped me get those big scores up early to just steamroll through the late game when Doc really takes off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another By thing. Starstrike is like complete money. Of yeah. Those progressive scoring ones where you oh, yeah. score more the later the game. He just drops down. And as you said, Tubbs, especially by turn three, most of your opponent's army will be removed or at least half of it. So quite often you're only defending objectives with like literally objective holding units, you know, mm. 10 dudes, some skinks or whatever. And he just drops and deletes shit. And because he can guarantee that 12 inch charge. Yeah. He has the flexibility to go pretty much wherever. So as long yeah. as he can get within it, twelve with someone, he can guarantee he can rig that that dice roll and he can do it. Yeah, it, and it doesn't. the The thing about him was that he he's three hundred and forty points, so he's, he's he's expensive. And there was no point where he dropped down and just deleted something that was worth more than three hundred points. That that's sort of not the the real kicker to him. The sometimes like if he dropped down and killed ten skinks. But it won me an objective that was worth, you know, three points on on focal or you know a late game objective on Star Strike. That is so good. I'd I'd spend three hundred points to just be able to nuke that objective late game all day. Because at the end of the day, the game's down to objectives, not to what he's killing. And hundred yeah, percent, so good. And it, it's the flexibility of that deep strike as well. So round one, mm-hmm. I played Smorgan, and the number of stuff that he had deep striked meant that I had to play differently. So as soon as you play an opponent where you know that some of this stuff just comes down whenever the hell they want, wherever the hell they want, it, it, it makes you play differently, um, mm. which I think is a big threat compared to Marathi. Like you were saying, you're thinking of, you're potentially thinking about swapping her out for him. Um, you, you're not only having an impact on the table um, in terms of the matchups of units, but you're having an impact on the psychology of your opponent and how they're making decisions, what they're worried about. Like, if you played a game where your list was exactly the same, the only difference was Marathi versus Celestin Prime, your opponent mm. would play two different games. Yeah, completely. Completely. And, yeah, I'd, I, he was just absolutely invaluable all weekend. Even his, uh, his shooting attack, I played Pat game five, and now Pat had, like, 30 different units playing corn, and it was all bunched up in this ball of shit at the back of the board. Everywhere. Like, so tight, and there's just models and separate units everywhere. And I dropped him in turn two, and just started throwing his comet down, and making the making the range six inches. So there's this massive 12-inch bubble of fuck you, take D3 mortal wounds I could put anywhere, and it did so much damage for for what he is. He he's he, I I loved him. I've never played him before, um, and I sort of regret it now. Like he's he's an absolute he's an absolute great choice for Daughters of Cain, I think, especially Hagnar. Yeah, and Corn with all those little five wound heroes doing D three mortals when yeah. you're all grouped up is is money. It's just so good. Yeah. Well, so was that your whole list, Tubbs? Uh, yeah. So at the end it was uh, Slaughter Queen and Cauldron, Marathi, Salicent Prime. Uh, two units, of, two hags, two units of thirty sisters, two units of ten witches, uh, two units of five heart renders, and that come to like twenty four eighty with the battalion. 
Yep. And so, how many drops? Uh, seven. Yep. Yeah, seven. Sorry, Randy, you're about to ask an important question. Well, I was just going to ask, so um, how much does that differ from your 2K list? Because I think that's something that some listeners might be interested in. Given this is 2.5K, what was, what was the difference between this and your 2,000-point list? Like, if you were to sum- summarize that in, like, two points, what, what, what was the difference? What made that extra 500 points worth of difference? Yeah, so uh, what it allowed me to do was take another massive threat unit, which was the Prime, um, and the other thing it let me do was fit in what I used to be able to fit before the GHB nerfs to dock into into two and a half. So it basically took my old school 2K list, uh, added a small amount of battle line, and added a big punchy punchy piece being the prime. So it, it, it didn't unlock any super super combos other than the prime's little little mine raiser trick, but it. It, it allowed me to have more threats on the board that I would have had. So really, I've got I've got four threats on the board, four big ones with the two big units, the sisters, Marathi and the Prime. Um, the Cauldron's also a threat, but sort of doesn't see it till late game. Uh, and then yeah, the other stuff sort of objective grabbers. Yeah, awesome, 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 mm. dude. Randy, do you want to go over your list, man? Uh, uh, well, how about we go yours, um, Big Sean, and we'll save we'll save the Tomb Kings as as the last bit, so that I can <laughs> wax, wax lyrical for that one bro out there. Shout out to Tristan Gray, who actually gives a damn. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's hope Tristan's a, a listener. I don't know if he is. <laughs> he, he will be after this. He will be after yeah. this. My my yeah. clout may not extend very far, but it is a loyal following. Oh mate, <laughs> well said. Alright, so I took um, I took my Stormcast. I took a classic Shootcast list uh, for a couple of reasons, but we'll go through the list first. So I took um, a Super Battalion, which reminded me of playing Age of Sigmar in 2016-2017 when I could fit these one-drop lists in for very cheap. Uh, so I got a Lord Aquila, who's, who's a general. Um, I've got a Knight Zephyros, who had um, the Luminary Rod from Haish, which is a you know, pick at any point in the game, um, a point nine inches from her, draw a line one millimeter wide, everyone in that line takes D3 mortal wounds. Uh, took a Knight of Zeros with a Lantern of Tempest, which is re-roll uh, sixes to hit at range attacks for units wholly within 12 of this, which was actually very useful. Another Knight of Zeros without anything, and then I took a Lord Relictive of Translocation and the Apricot's Brooch. Battle line, I took uh, four units of five Vanguard Hunters, which is the min battle line. Um, and in my other units, I took three units of free Aether Wings, which just, just so good. Just so, so good. I'll break down those what you the, the, about the, list. the birds. Those are the little birds, aren't they? Yep. Yeah, they, the counter-charge birds. I'll talk about that now, I guess. Absolutely so gold. what they do is they activate in my opponent, at the start of my opponent's charge phase. So they activate, and they, what it means is they can move every turn. So they get to move 10, assuming you're alive, all five turns, they get to move, sorry, five better rounds. So you're alive the whole time, they get to move 10 times during the game, which is amazing. Uh, so wow. you can use them to steal objectives or to counter-charge. So what they do, start of my opponent's charge phase, as long as they're holding within 18 of the unit of Vanguard Raptors, they can move 2d6 as long as they stay holding within 18 inches of the Raptors. Uh, it's not a normal move, so it's exempted from the normal move list criteria, which is uh, charging and shit like that. Um, you know, having to finish a charge, uh, not being able to go into combat. So what it means is I can roll 2d6, 
If someone's three inches away, I can move one a half inch forward. That unit from my opponent can no longer charge me because they are now in combat. And then they have to pile in into that unit and they take that unit and kill it. And that's fine. They're, they're like a very effective med shield. I got some van free Vanguard Paladors, which I had to take. And then the meat of the list is uh, six long strikes, three long strikes, three long strikes. And I've got three battalions. I've got the Vanguard Angelus Conclave, the Auxiliary Chamber, and the Justicar Conclave which is pretty much all the Vanguard units. And my army is a two-drop. Everything in my army, except the Lord Relictor, is in the battalion. So I got four artifacts. I brought a CP as well, so I start the game with... Um, so I have four CP, and as soon as it becomes my turn, I have five CP, and I use all the CP. I'm anvils at a Howden Hammer, so I can shoot in the hero phase. Yep. So essentially... Sorry, what's up, Randy? Well, I was just going to say, so with, with, for someone that might not be super familiar with those battalions... Uh, what did they like? What was just a quick synopsis of what they do, so that like we understand why you took three different battalions? Absolutely, absolutely. So you're going to have to forgive me because I can't remember exactly what each one does. The auxiliary chamber is the big overall arc tuned one, which I need to take the other two to unlock as well as the Lord Arcanum. But I'm pretty sure the Justicar Conclave is. I might have this mucked up the wrong way. It's the long strikes and Aether wings. And what it means is, if a unit is within 18 inches of Aether Wings, my long strikes can reroll ones to hit. So that's amazing because they're hidden on twos, and then I get reroll ones on an 18 inch bubble around the Aether Wings, which turns out to be a 36 inch bubble from the Aether Wings. But then when you spread the Aether Wings out, it becomes more like sort of a 42 inch bubble around each unit of Aether Wings. I'm rerolling ones to hit, and I've got three units of that. So I can reroll ones against pretty much the whole board, which is um, yeah, really good. pretty good. Especially when you head on twos. So that's what that part of it does. Uh, the Angelo's Conclave, I believe it is, is uh, four units of Vanguard Hunters and the three units of Vanguard Paladors. And what it means is when I ride the Windsay Ferric, which is a Palador ability where you pick a point on the battlefield, uh, you ignore models and terrain. Essentially, you fly, you can make a 66 move in that direction. Uh, with the Battalion, I make a 96 move instead of a 66 move. So. You're moving 96, which sounds like a lot. I did roll like a 25 at one point on 96. I also <laughs> rolled like a 42 at one point. So, you know, up and down, very swingy. And yep. then those two battalions go into the auxiliary chamber, which is the big battalion, which everyone goes into. Plus, I have to take some heroes, and that's why the heroes are there. And what that does, is it gives every unit in my army plus one missile, range, plus one missile attack, so that's range attack, that isn't a hero. So that means my long strikes go from one shot to two shots. My Vanguard Hunters with bolts on pistols go from two shots to three shots. My Vanguard Paladors with Javelins go from one shot to two shots. Um, and the combo really is here is with the long strikes. So yeah, it turns that's a unit where the money's at. Yeah. Turns a unit of 12 long strikes into a unit of 24 long strikes. And then with the Ambles of Howden Hammer, I can shoot in the hero phase on each of those units. So it's doubling their output. Means that unit of 12 long strikes goes to 24 with the battalion, goes to 48 with command points. So 12 long strikes are put, doing four times the amount of output a turn as what they normally can on their war scroll. So <laughs> in a peak situation, I can get 48 shots from long strikes a turn for a so, hit on twos, re-rolling ones because of the birds. Unmodified sixes are doing mortal wound, two mortal wounds, which is money for like heroes. Wounded on freeze, no rerolls, but they're rent two, flat two damage. So, so perfect storm, they're doing like ninety six damage a turn or something like that. 
like as oh, just a quick board. question <laughs> is this what most people would refer to as a negative play experience <laughs> <laughs> maybe if you don't have the right tools to fight it because <laughs> that that sounds like cancer on a how, what's the range of a long strike uh, 24 in the hero phase, 30 inches in the shooting phase. Yep, so that and sounds I, like I've cancer, cancer on a 30 inch as well. Yep, cancer on a 30 inch stick. Yeah, it's, um, Oof. Oof. It's, yeah. you're not wrong. I'm not going to defend it because it's filth. I love it. <laughs> and, um, it's the only, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to top I, up this tingle. Yeah. You actually are answering the question. Give me time to drink some beer and vape in preparation for answering <laughs> this question. So I appreciate it. It's really good that you, you're doing this. You're me on my toes. Uh, so you can't, first of all, for anyone who's out there wondering why the fuck haven't we seen this list, you can't run it at 2,000 points. Um, it's impossible to run with the long strikes at 2,000 points. You can run it with the hurricane crossbows at 2,000 points. That's However, nice. it's a bit shit because they're just like hitting on fours, wounding on fours with like t- 10 shots each. Which you're like, oh, that's amazing. That's 30 shots for free dudes. But like, they're crap. So stop thinking that. Plus the range is short, so you have to be near an opponent. Whereas at 30 inches, you can be safely two turns away from some units, or maybe one turn, depending on what the unit is. Uh, yes, is it a negative game experience? Uh, yes, it is. It, it, it absolutely is, especially if you cannot deal with range. Some of my opponents could deal with range, but I'm also giving up board position, for the most part, like against Tubbs, when we'll get him later, um, and against Daniel, the 200 Plague Monk guy that I played. I can't activate in the activation wars. So the way I look at it is, yes, it's a negative game experience to answer the point, but I'm going to give you a long-winded answer to try and make you give me some sort of sympathy as to why I took this list. <laughs> Which, we'll see how good I am at explaining that. I can't, I can't fuck with activation wars. i got nothing that makes me fight first, got nothing that makes me fight last. I can't compete. It's bullshit. I don't have better combat units point for point than anyone else in the game. Uh, Evocators are cool. But they, if I run into a keeper, they're just the keeper's going to fight me twice and kill the unit before I can do anything. And at that point, the evocators have to be like 20 strong, and they have to be buffed up with saves. Corn uh, fucks it in combat. Daughters fucking in combat. Sanesh fucking in combat. Iron Jaws fucking in combat. You know, I can't fight people in combat, so I have to do what I do well. I can't magic very well, so I have to shoot. Um, yeah. Probably the only other army that can outshoot me would be, um, in a general okay. term, not specifically this list would be KO or Scavenger's Elves with like, um, the guys that float float globes and shit like that, because they have more attacks and more bodies than what I do. Uh, So really, I looked at a strength of the book, which I've been talking about for over a year now. The strength of Stormcast is shooting. Um, People are slowly getting there, I guess. I don't know, I've been banging on this drum for a while. Um, Shooting is really good on Stormcast, so if I wanted to be competitive, which... I'm the type of person where I want to be competitive until I lose a game. As soon as I lose a game, I don't give a fuck. I don't care a fuck if I lose one game or five or four games. As soon as I've lost a game, it's like in my mind, it's over. Um, so I will be competitive as long as I have a chance to win. I don't care about coming third, fourth, fifth, or whatever. And that's normally why I do well day one. And as soon as I lose a game, I normally lose in the following games because I just don't care. Um, yes, if you can't deal with the range threats, then it is pretty pretty bad. But I also took it in mind of seeing a lot of Grisselgore and seeing a lot of Sylvaneth. Um, not Sylvaneth, Slanesh, which unfortunately I didn't play either of. Um, so I yeah, think you can't I deal think... shooting. Like if, like if you're an Iron Jaws army and you line up on the on the 
on the deployment line and I give you first turn because I can and you can only come halfway and I can double turn and shoot you off. Absolutely a shit experience, 100%. But at the same time, if I played like an Idenf army and you had ignoring rend Ls and you just run at the front, I'm like, well, I can't do shit against this. Your army moves 40 inches a turn, I'm fucked. Like, yeah. So, I mean, the game itself is inherently such a match-up game these days that quite often people lose the game before they get saved. Like, if I had a combat army, I played a guy with 200 Plague Monks, and if I had a combat army, if I had a Stormcast combat army, I'd never beat that guy in my life. I could play that game 10 times, and I'd never beat him. Because every time I kill him, he just comes at me again with a million shit attacks. And just by way to dice, he'll drown me out. Yeah, so... I guess yes, my it's next a question... experience, but it's a, it's the competitive sort of bliss that yeah. I went with. Yeah, yeah, and obviously I meant that as a joke, but it was it's really cool to to hear that rationale because I guess it gives some people that may not be super competitive, and definitely I fall into that category. It gives a little bit of insight into why someone might build a list that on paper looks so horrible for someone to play against. Um, like, what's that rationale? What are you thinking? And then at the same time, I'm, I'm understanding is like, this list has Achilles heels. Um, it's not foolproof. I'm going to get my ass handed to me under this, this, and this scenario. Um, so it's not like I've built a filth list that's just going to take everyone that comes at it. So, um, But the, the thing that I will ask you, though, is Tubbs touched on it for him. So from, Tubbs had called out two things. He called out his Celestial um, Prime, as being a, a, a big showstopper that he really enjoyed, and then his Sisters of Slaughter just doing absolute work. So what worked the best for you in your list, Tub? Um, Sean? Um, so I'm going to say... Uh, I'll say three things. I'll keep it as limited as three things. So the, re like, the ability to redeploy my army with two units a turn was amazing. So the Lord Aquila, for a command point, can pick any of the Vanguard units he wants pick them up and move them to a board edge. So that allows me to do something in the hero phase, move to a board edge where I'm 30 inches away from someone. So if, so if we're coming down to a dice roll next turn, and if I lose a dice roll and the person takes it, they're not going to be able to affect that unit. So this was very obvious when I played um, Daniel in round three with the Plague Monks, and he was like, fuck your army moves so well. And I'm like, yeah, it does. Um, it moves very well for what seems like a static gun line. The birds, the Aether Wings, are always fantastic. Because, because they interrupt the charge sequence, they're my only activation war interaction that I have, and that is essentially shielding me from a round of combat. They die, they have no armor save, the unit six wounds with bravery of six, so whatever charges them or whatever I get in combat with, they die, but they buy me a turn of not being fucked in combat. Yeah. Uh, and then the last unit that worked really well was any of the Vanguard Raptors, uh, the long strikes, because, as I said, each, each guy in a perfect situation, which more or less probably happened about 80% of the tournament, can shoot four times a turn. Um, sorry, one guy puts out four shots a turn, which is crazy when you're hitting on twos, rerolling ones, rent two, two damage. So each right. one model can put out eight damage a turn consistently because of the rent two, two damage. So, yeah. What was yeah. the coolest thing they took off? Like, what was the coolest thing one unit took off? Ah, shit. Uh, I killed a Lord of Change. Um, I killed Marathi. I killed. I killed two bells. I killed two hundred rats. I killed a lot of shit. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, um, well, uh, probably the Lord of Change. The there was, the there was, yeah, there were six long strikes that just in one turn dropped on my first game and just killed a Lord of Change outright. So twelve shots and the Lord of Change killed him right yeah, away. So stop, that sounds stop like a change pretty... from working. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that sounds like. 
Sean was the only person to kill all 60 sisters. Like, nobody else even come close. Most people didn't kill even one unit, and Sean blew them all off. Like, they were flopping when he started yeah. pointing <laughs> his fucking long strikes at them. Okay, so, yeah, so I asked, sorry, keep going. I was just going to ask Sean. No, you finish your, your point, Sean, and then I'll, I'll ask my question. Okay, I was just going to say, I tabled three of my opponents, one of the games ended in turn three, and then my first game, I didn't table my opponent, but I must have killed about two and a half thousand points because he just kept resummoning shit. But yeah, so it's a very aggro army, which has the ability to redeploy, which gives me the um, opportunity to use space and board distance and people's lack of willingness to take range units to interact with me back, if that makes sense. So, like, I I deploy something 30 inches away knowing I'm going to kill it, and then the next nearest unit to that, so, like, for example, my Lord Aquila would teleport my six long strikes around the board for the most part, and whatever they targeted, they would kill, or would very almost kill, and then all of a sudden the next nearest unit is, like, 42 inches away with a priority roll to come. So if, even if I won the priority roll, sometimes I'd give it away because I'd be like, well, you're going to waste a turn moving towards me, so there's no point me moving closer to you and then possibly getting double turned. If, if, if that sort of makes sense. I feel like yeah, I want to draw yeah, a picture yeah. here. But it's eliminating the closest threat and then realizing that if I give the priority roll away, it's not a bad deal because I'm making my opponent waste a turn by moving towards me, which inherently gives me another turn to react to what my opponent's doing and then also readjust my position on the board if I wanted to, and that yep. way I can, and that way I can repeat the cycle, or I can try play for play for a double turn. I'm doing the air quotations because you don't, you can't play for a double turn. You just get lucky, and then if that happens, then you know, then I can really wreck some shit. But sorry, your question, Randy. Oh well, my question was, um, I, I was just wondering what Tubbs had to say in terms of the same sort of question to him. Like, what was what was the coolest thing? Um, something like one of those highlight units that you you picked out. What was the coolest thing that one of them killed? Oh nah, nah, fuck, fuck all that. They, even the unit, Marathi, the unit I don't like. So um, I've, there's a great story of Marathi. So I grudged Clint first game, and this grudge has been like building up since I think Christmas. It all started over me saying Christmas pudding was for like eighty year old women or something, and. In comes Clint to fucking defend Christmas pudding. Yeah, because he's an 80-year-old woman. Because he's an 80-year-old woman, yeah. <laughs> and, I uh, love you, Clint. <laughs> and that led up to this. And I was giving him heaps of shit the whole way up to it. I was like, which melee profile is from Marathi is going to kill Manfred? And he's like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I was like, oh, it's going to be the tail. Is it going to be the spear? You know, maybe the heads. And we get to a point, we get to turn four. And before I take the turn, I win the double. <clears throat> and I go, hey, it'd be really fucking funny if I killed Manfred with little Marathi. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but you'll never get her. And I was like, uh, I don't think I can get there. You'll run him away. And he goes, if you give me the turn, I'll charge Marathi with Manfred. And we'll have a straight out flight. Oh! flight. Don't, touch, <laughs> don't touch him with anything else. Just Manfred versus Marathi, one on one. And I was like, "Yeah, oh you can have the turn. Let's let's go." So and I think uh, for those for those of you eighth ed fantasy boys, that is called a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fantastic. He come in, he come in hot, buffed himself up, everything. He come in and take heads. Hit Marathi, did three wounds. Marathi hit Manfred back, did seven or eight in little form. 
So she's in little form this whole time. Just keep that in mind. Small Marathi yep. fighting Manfred, a Mortark, you know. 300 <laughs> points of I fight people and move a little bit fast versus I'm a supercaster and I'm the size of an infantry model. Hit him down for seven to eight wounds. I get the turn and I go, hey, I'm not going to pile in an attack in my hero phase because I'm going to fight you like a like a real woman now, Clint. We get to the combat phase. Marathi slaps him down with a little little six attacks on her wings. Kills him. Best moment of Sydney GT <laughs> in itself. Oh. I went there. I took Manfred's head with little Marathi and fuck me, I'll put it on my wall forever. That's fantastic. That like, <laughs> that almost encapsulates a tournament experience. Like oh, yeah. just a beautiful little story like that. That like you'll be able to pull that out. Like next tournament you go to, he's like, so have I told you about the time little Marathi <laughs> fucked up Manfred? <laughs> Killed Manfred. And the, yeah, and then they'll be like, but he's the worst Mortark, and they won't actually care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to write like on little Marathi's base, Clint Manfred now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time she kills something, you can like put little names on her on her base, and you know, like tell stories and then challenge people to duels and shit like that. Oh yeah, I'll I'll tell them that story about how when she beat down Manfred in little mode. You can use it as like a psychological tactic. Like, oh, are you trying to charge little Marathi, motherfucker? She killed Manfred in little form. What do you think she's gonna do to you? (laughs) One on one. What do you think she's gonna do to your Lord of Zeros? He's fucked. Get get out of it. Uh, so good so good that's that's fantastic did you have one randy i had a few so i guess we're probably up to the part where i talk about my list right um yeah, randy. so I, I was just gonna talk about a whole bunch of made-up shit so uh what's <laughs> so no so i took tomb kings um so for people that are listening that know me uh they won't be surprised for those of you that don't i'm one of like four or five people in the world that play Tomb Kings. Um, turns out Sydney GT had the most Tomb King players ever um, at an event. Uh, there was there was three bros. There was um, Dan Brewer, who we will no longer name because he did too well. Um, and then there was Brayden, who um, also did relatively well. Uh, so what I took, 2,500 points. I'll start off with saying that Tomb Kings are not massively points efficient. Um, I think before AOS 2 came out and around the General's Handbook times, um, snakes were too good. They upped their points cost. So in order to like have like this big fuck-off unit of snakes that would hit things, uh, you end up paying a really big premium price for it. Um, so 2,500 points was really interesting for me because all of a sudden I went, I can now make the decision. I don't have to make a decision between lots of bodies and stuff that can actually kill stuff. Um, so my my um, my extra 500 points worth of stuff really just ended up going into little bodies. So it's not something super interesting. But basically what my list was was a Tomb King on Exalted Chariot. Um, so for fans of the old world, that's uh, your boy Cetra. So he has, he had Red Fury, he had the Cloak of Mist and Shadows as the artifact. So um, he was one of the three units that did absolutely amazingly. So did you guys want me to, to say talk about yeah, that man. now or talk about yeah, it after? Yeah, yeah, go nuts. Uh, as you go, man. Yeah, so, all right, so what he does is Red Fury is just one of the generic death um, traits. So what it means is on a five up after they've activated to fight in combat, they get to pilot and attack again. And close to, Cloak of Mist and Shadows is... I think, in my personal opinion, after using it, the funnest artifact in all of Age of Sigmar. That is so, pretty good. 
So not many people know what it is because it's literally generic death. It's a generic death artifact. What it does is at the start of the combat phase, you may set up the unit anywhere within 12 inches. So it's like my only activation war interaction. And even then, like in the opponent's turn, they get priority for activations before start of combat and whatever it might be. But what it does um, in particular with the Tomb King on Exalted Chariot is when you charge, he gets bonuses to his profile. So he gets an extra two attacks, uh, and then his horses double their attacks. So you go from four attacks that are threes and threes, rend two, damage three, to six attacks with that profile. And then you go from eight attacks from his horses um, to 16, because they double their attacks. And then for anyone that's ever played anything that has mounts, the mounts always do better than the guy that's on top. Correct. Yeah. So what the little trick is here, and shout out to Dan Brewer for being an absolute sport. Like he's the one that sort of walked me through it and said you should try it and whatever it might be. Uh, And after trying it, I've fallen in love with it. You use the cloak of mist and shadows at the start of your turn or at the start of the combat phase. You, if you've charged, especially this is where it works really well. If you've charged, you set yourself up 3.1 inches away from something. So that that unit is not actually in combat, cannot activate and pile in to fight your Tomb King on Exalted Chariot. And then whenever you deem it appropriate, you activate your Tomb King on Exalted Chariot, pile in your three inches. He's within he's within enough range to swing all of his attacks. He's still got his charge bonuses, and you just take motherfuckers off. Um, so it's a really cool way to keep him alive, because... Uh, Sorry about that, listeners. We just had some technical difficulty with uh, Randy getting hot and bothered by Cetra, talking about how good he was at a weekend, and all of a sudden his power cut out. So Randy is now, from what I understand, on his cell phone. So he's still with us, which is amazing. But his quality might not be as good. So if there's a sort of weird, janky switchover in the recording, guys, it's because uh, Tasmania doesn't deserve power, apparently. So, sorry about that. <laughs> Randy, we'll get back to Cetra crushing puss all weekend. And take it away, my friend. Cloak and Mist and Shadows and Cetra. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm um, glad to be back. Um, basically, yeah, so what I was saying is you set him up like three, 3.1 inches away. It gives you the opportunity to do some pretty sneaky shenanigans. Um, it's my only sort of way to act to participate in the activation wars. Really, um, in my turn, I can basically if you use them if you use it correctly, um, and you your opponent either has minimal shooting or doesn't have too much shooting, uh, you dictate when he gets the fight, which is pretty good because he's he can be a little bit squishy. He's got a three up save, um, five, a six up deathless minion save, and then a five up ignore. But he's only got eight wounds, so because he's a central buff piece for the army. Um, yeah, he can go around and fucking take people's names and whatever it might be, but you're putting him at risk of getting killed. Um, but like you said, Sean, he fucking crushed Puss all weekend. Um, he cut, <laughs> yeah, boy. He, he cut the head off a Maw Crusher like a motherfucker. Um, the guy, um, my, my opponent, Carl, he popped the Iron Coronet or whatever, which gives him a 4-plus aftersave. And Satchel's just like, I don't give a fuck, bro. Take it the fuck off. Um, he just killed his way through a few giants. like. He did absolute work. He won me round five by himself uh, when Red Fury popped. And that's the reason why I put Red Fury on him, because you've got this sneaky, I uh, teleport over here, I pile into this thing, um, and then if you get that five up, 
Like whatever he charges into, if it's if it's not like a massive horde or anything like that, chances are he's taking it off. And then if he yeah. gets to pile in and attack again, it's like a, a, a keeper of Slanesh, but double the points and fucking terrible. Um, he'll take that unit off as well. <laughs> and he's got that flat three damage, eh? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's flat three. Ren two, flat three damage. Um, his buff gives him plus one to hit. He doesn't get plus one to wound, but you're going you're going to six attacks, hitting on twos, wounding on threes, rend two, damage three. Even if two or three of them only get in, that's six to nine damage. That's a lot. Yeah, and he's got he's got eight saves and he's got a free sorry, eight wounds and a free up save and a five up ignore. Is that right? He's got a he's got a three up save. He's got yep. the because he's generic death. He's got a six plus um, save. So the way that it's worded, technically his six plus save comes first, and uh-huh. then if he fails that six plus save on his war scroll, he's got a five plus ignore, similar to like Gotrek. So he's yeah, actually yeah. got two after saves, which is pretty handy. Yeah. He's, I mean, even when Citra was Citra and back in like AOS one, he was always super killy and like surprisingly resilient. So yeah. He's, yeah, and then the, it, the fact that he's yeah. just a normal hero that can take an artifact. Um, uh-huh. yeah, that Cloak of Mist and you, Shadows. And you utilize so, that artifact to to really good efficiency by the sounds of it as well. With, yeah, and look, about, it's, like, it's, jank movements and shit. Yeah, it, just, it takes a fair bit of practice um, just to figure out what you can do. But really, the cool thing about it is um, because if you know your opponent doesn't have um, ASF, like Always Strike First or some combat shenanigans... Um, you can just be really fucking ballsy. So you can just pop him over the front of all of your lines because it's within 12, not wholly within. So you can really uh-huh. abuse the fact that, oh yeah, a tiny portion of my base is within 12. Why don't you suck the rest of my 130 mil base? Um, you could just throw him in front of stuff and just be like, cool, you have to charge him now because he's in the way. And as soon as you do, I'm just going back to where I was. Like, I don't care. It's fine. Um, so he's like <laughs> one of your units of birds, except... He's less likely to die. <laughs> he cops the yeah, damage, and he yeah. can actually hit back as well. Yeah, if if for whatever reason he gets caught and he doesn't die, he he'll he'll probably bloody you back in return. Um, but it's the it's just the that that ability to move him um, because he doesn't have fly, he doesn't have anything like that. It really lets you position him on the board. He just did so much work for me. Um, so I'll touch on how he helped me win game five when I talk about the horseman. But uh-huh. the other heroes that I've got. I've got a, a Necrotect, he's just a buff piece, he helps make my Ushabti better, he helps make my snakes better. Um, crucially, the buff that he gives out to one of the units is uh, three inches of extra movement, re-rolling once to wound. So similar to your long strike, Sean, um, I can buff my stuff so it's hitting on twos uh, and wounding on twos, and when you're re-rolling once to wound, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, it's um, so that, you can use a CP to re-roll once to hit. So. Yeah, and with the new CP awesome. from, this, um, from this bit, all of a sudden... Um, my snakes become fucking terrifying. Like it takes three command points to make them fucking terrifying, but holy shit, um, they can they can do some massive work. So he was yeah, just a just a necrotech. I've got a lich priest on a steed. Um, so the key point of the lich priest is that he's got a pretty unique spell. Um, it's called righteous smiting. When you put it on a unit um, on a six plus to hit, um, they generate an additional attack. So it's pretty important with the whole plus component because. With the old War Scrolls, that means that it benefits from modifiers. So for every modifier that I'm putting on it, all of a sudden it becomes a 5+, plus or it becomes a 4+. plus. Um, and for those of you that are keeping track at home, suddenly, um, when you're hitting on 2s, re-rolling 1s, 
and four pluses generate additional attacks, uh, that gets out of control really quickly. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, so he's he's there for that. Um, also, something that has caught 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 a couple of my opponents off guard at the event. Even though I always make sure that when I'm deploying my list, as I deploy a unit, I go through the war scroll and not like massive detail, but I make sure I point out certain bits and pieces because not many people play against Tomb Kings. So you don't want to have that feel bad moment when you're playing a game where you're just like, oh, by the way, I got you because of this thing. Um, but the Lich Priest has a dispel scroll, so similar to the, one of the Stormcast units, and Sean, you can correct me on what it's called. I can't remember what it's called. But he can, once per game, he can just, just automatically stop a spell from, from being cast. Yeah, yeah, not a cancer. Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah, it's a dispel yeah. scroll from the old world. But yeah, basically. I, I like, yeah, I like that you also give people to run down on your army, because as you said, it's unseen. It's, it's not a common army. It's not a lot of common knowledge these days about how it works. Um, because you always hate that moment where your opponent's like, "Well, I wouldn't have done that had I known you could do this." And yeah, I mean, and, you don't you don't need to you don't need to like tell them your strategy, but you're like, "Hey, by the way, this guy can pile in six, or he can make you fight last, or, or whatever it is." You know, just sort of making your opponents yeah. aware of what the fuck is going on. You know, it's the same with my birds. Every time I deploy them, I'm like, "Do you know what they do?" People are like, "I kind of know." I'm like, "They can counter charge you, no you <laughs> and your and what I always say is." They can countercharge you in your hero phase. It's the simplest way I can put it. If they're near long strikes, they're going to charge you and stop you charging. So just remember that. Every time you're near birds and you want to charge, they're going to charge you. And they're like, okay, cool. And because that's yeah. what they're going to do. I'm not going to be like, and well, they can move 2d6 in any direction and blah, 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 blah. I'm just like flat out like, look, this is a feel bad thing. I'm just letting you know that's what I have. Shoot the birds yeah. off. And Six points, they die. Easy. And for Tomb Kings, I think it's especially important because the army can be so built around its internal synergies. Like, you have five, six buffing pieces that buff each other or interact based on what they're next to and things like that. That, um, Like, it, even for me playing it sometimes, like, I, I have to... I, I basically have ghetto war scrolls that I've printed out and laminated so I don't keep track <laughs> of them. Um, so I can only imagine an opponent sort of sitting there going, wait, so what are they doing off of this and then this and then like all sorts of things. So um, I found that it just, it helps negate that not only because it's a very unusual thing that people haven't seen very often, but there's so much going on within those war scrolls um, sometimes that people will get lost if you don't kind of hold their hand and say, this is what this can do based on this, this and this. I can buff it off of that. Um, I'm going to tell you when I deploy so that I don't feel bad that when I do it, you sit there and go, holy shit, I didn't know that. Well, I've actually given you a bit of warning. This unit can go monster crazy because I can do these following things based off of that. Um, like, And again, because I'm not playing on the top tables, it for me it almost feels like common courtesy. Like middle tables, yeah. bottom tables. A lot of the time, the people that are down there, they're not there because they're people that wanted to be on the top tables and they couldn't make it. A lot of the time they're just, hey, we kind of have fun. Um, so I don't want to ruin their experience by doing some janky combo shit, not telling them and taking all their toys off. Because like, I, I think I understand AOS enough as a game that if I wanted to, to, to try and play to that level with a good army, I could probably do okay. But because I'm choosing to play with an army that I love and I really enjoy, um, and I'd like to play it in a suboptimal way, because 
as soon as I as soon as I, I started saying that, I realized, well, hang on, Dan went five and zero, and he's playing fucking Tomb Kings too. Because um, <laughs> I like to play them in a slightly suboptimal way. Um, I, I I always try to bear that in mind. Like, what what would really suck if I was on the receiving end of like a fucking snake buff charge? Um, so that's just something that I always try and make sure I keep in the back of my mind. Uh, the other the other heroes I've got I've got a Tomb King on foot. Um, he's you know does does some stuff with damage three great blade but really what he's there for is his command ability is plus one to hit plus one to run and plus one to charge all off the one thing to a single unit in the army so again as you can you can sort of see what i was saying it's all about stacking those buffs oh and i might have missed touching on it but cetra's command ability is plus one to hit to the whole army within 18 inches of him and then if for Desert Legions, which is a specific keyword, they also get plus one to wound. So again, it's all of this extra plus ones to hit and wound and stuff that start stacking up. And then the last hero that I took, um, so this was something I took because at 2,500 2, points, I had the extra points, was a Tomb Herald. So the Tomb Herald is actually something that um, at the start of your hero phase, he can plant his banner and every single thing within 24 inches, provided it fits a specific keyword, gets a single base back. Um, and that's really powerful when you consider that anything with a banner in the Tomb King's lists uh, gets either D6, D3, or a base of things back. And when I say base, that's the most important thing, because the Snake unit, they get one five-wound base back a turn. The Herald's there so that, hey, as long as they're within 24, I'm getting a second base of five wounds. And when you think about it, getting ten wounds back at the start of your hero phase every turn uh, is a bit of a bollock for an opponent. Um, Shout out to my Tomb Herald, though, because he didn't fucking do that once throughout the entire event. Either my unit <laughs> ran a combat, or my unit just never got hurt. So my Tomb Herald just wandered around and was the fucking cannonball that destroyed my army in the case for nothing. So i um, real happy that I brought him. It was great. Winning an old hammer. <laughs> oh my god, the fucking... I, I'm, both, I'm both impressed... By the fact that he did nothing, and disappointed in the fact that he just shattered things on an out-of-table experience in such a horrible manner. Um, the rest of my list was just like uh, some, some stuff. So I had uh, two units of five horsemen. Uh, they're actually one of my standouts as well. So what they, I think a few people have said this to me, and I think Smorgan was one of them. Skeleton horsemen are probably like one of the best units, War Scrolls in AOS, um, simply because they can run and charge. They move their normal movement is 12 inches. So if they roll the six, you're going 18 inches. And then on top of that, with the horn blower from a Tomb King list, they can automatically charge six inches. So you're looking uh, at 20, yeah. what's that, 22, 22 inch um, charge uh, if you roll a six to run. They're also two wounds a pop. So for a five unit, for a five unit, um, five model unit. They're not too bad as being a little bit of a roadblock, but the, one of the reasons why I actually um, put them up there as one of my top three for the whole event was uh, Game 5. Uh, so, oh, again, and this is exactly why I have those Ghetto War Scrolls. Another thing that the Cetra model can do um, is on a two-up, he can make a unit double their movement and fly. So round five was knife to the heart. I had a unit of horsemen before Cetra moved... Um, uh, when Cetra activated in his hero phase, he gave a unit of horsemen that incantation of the desert wind. So they went to 24 inches worth of movement that could fly. They rolled, I think it was a four or a five on their run roll. 
and they just flew over the top of my opponent's army. Like, literally over everything on, on my opponent's army and landed on the back of his objective. And all of yes, a sudden so it was, all right, game on. That, that unit would be a massive ball lake for someone like me to play. And the reason I say this is because you can move 24 inches, you can run plus D6, so that's possibly 30 inches before you even charge, or at worst 25 inches, you fly. You could jump my lines and you could charge a unit of long strikes who are not going to kill you in combat, and then I have to spend a turn shooting those horsemen, clearing out 10 wounds of fuckery, which saves me shooting your heroes, or like your Yushabdi or your snakes, the shit that I want to shoot. Yeah. So they'll they be great at tagging a ranged unit, because my guys have like one attack each in combat, and it's like fours and threes. They're not going to hurt you. So you could quite easily charge me, as long as, I can't, as, long as my birds don't countercharge you. But you could tag like lethal range units with a unit like that because they can move 30 inches before they even charge, and then when they charge, I guarantee a six. So if you go yeah, 36 inches, you are pretty yeah. much going wherever the fuck you want, unless you've got one of the long way deployments, and you can just stop one of my high threat units from killing something that I would prefer to kill, and that way you're making me yeah. react to what you're doing. So that unit, when you, when you talk about it in that way, I'm like, fuck, that's a ball lake. You know, you could yeah, charge exactly. like you could you could charge like thirty Archonauts with nine Skyhooks, and you'd be like, "Sweet, you can shoot them and kill them. That's fine. That's one less turn you're shooting my Citra or whatever." You know. And in some instances, it's not even about charging. It's just, well, I can set myself up three inches away from you, and your uh -huh. deployment zone. What are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to move, move around it slowly, or what are you going to move around me? Like, yeah, what are you what are you going to do? And that's something that um, he's killing them. Like, it's 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 a really you. It's a really good unit. I like that unit. Yeah, and, and, and like I was saying with the banners, they get D3 of their bases back. So if you, if you don't hard commit to make sure you wipe all five of them, chances are I'll get two or three bases back, and all of a sudden you're just like, fuck, there's like four of them again. What am I going to do? Um, so so that's, that's one of the reasons. Like, yeah, I really, really enjoyed them. They did a lot of work on the tournament for me. Um, so the other things that I had, I had two units of uh, three skeleton chariots. So skeleton chariots are five wounds apiece. They double their attacks on the charge. Basically, they're just grindy. Basically, um, because when they at the start of my hero phase, I get a whole base of them back. Um, so for a fifteen wound point, uh, for a fifteen wound unit, uh, it was just something that if I wanted to try and tie up a, a portion of the board, or um, like someone had a big horde or something like that, I could stick that in front of it, and it would probably take them a turn or two to, to grind through it. Um, the other stuff I had, I had a unit of 20 Skeleton Warriors. They were only there to hold objectives. Um, the worst they ever did was round one against Morgan, where he rolled the Realmscape feature and took 17 off of, of them off in one round, in one round because uh, Chamon Chamon can get fucked. That was, that was absolutely heinous. I'm pretty sure Smorgan filmed it, and it, was, yeah, it, hurt, it hurt me on a deep and personal level. Um, they didn't do much. The entire game, they were just there to like, like you said, um, Tubbs, when you had your your units of ten sisters, uh, not sisters, um, daughters, Which else, yeah, just fucking walking about, don't know what to do. With yeah, them. yep, just walk about. Um, just a, it was just the biggest unit of bases that I could have, so that on the scenarios where it was limited number of objectives, at least I had some way of having weight of numbers because the rest of my units, like I was saying, units of five, unit of three, like there's not, a, not an actual lot of bodies there to try and hold an objective. Mm. Um, and then we start to hit the meat of the list. So then there was the six Ushabti. So these guys are like absolutely ace. I love them to bits. The, they, they're hitting on threes, winning on threes, rend one, 
but they're D3 damage, so when they spike, they'll do a lot of wounds to whatever they're hitting. But more than anything, um, against damage 1 attacks, they get plus 2 to their armor save, so they go up to a 3 plus armor save that whenever they're within 18 inches of that Necrotect hero that I was talking about, they get to reroll once. And they're 4 wounds apiece. So 4 wounds apiece, 3 plus 3 plus 1. Um, bravery ten. They don't give. They're not. They're not running. Like they don't give a fuck. Um, you, you, you either you need to shift them with one big heavy hit, or I'm pushing them into your horde unit, and I don't have to worry about your horde unit anymore, basically, because they'll grind you out or they'll take you off, depending on whether or not I spike my rolls. Um, so they, they they did they did all right. They were an average performer over the weekend, but um, I think it's just that that whole damage one characteristic extra rule that catch has caught a lot of opponents off guard because they're just like oh yeah we can do this do this or whatever it might be but you know way to dice whatever it might be if it's damage one hey i don't give a fuck i'm not going anywhere and they they just stay there and grind it out um and then there was the unit of snakes so i'm pretty sure everyone who has slightly heard of tomb kings knows that the snakes are the backbone of the army to a certain degree yeah um, that was the one pun, right yeah pun intended for damn sure um, so before I talk about the unit of snakes, we just need to quickly do a massive recap. So Cetra, plus one to hit, plus one to wound. Tomb King on foot, plus one to hit. Necrotech can give stuff, reroll once to wound. Lich Priest, on a six plus, you generate an additional attack. Remember that when I talk about this war scroll. So the snakes, five wounds apiece. They're moving eight inches. They, they can auto-charge six inches. I can buff them with everything in the army. They can get double their movement. They can get the fly off of the Lich King. Oh, not the Lich King, off the Cetra, the Tomb King on Chariot. Their attack profile is pretty crazy. So the riders on top, two attacks each, hitting on threes, winning on threes base. Uh, rend one, damage one. Cool. Not, not too bad. When they're popping extra attacks on a four plus, all of a sudden you start getting some weighted dice advantage going your way. What really does the damage out of this unit is the snakes themselves. So they've got three attacks each. They're hitting you on threes. No, they're hitting you on fours. They're wounding you on threes with the buffs. They're, for, for all of these profiles, hitting you on twos, wounding you on twos. They're re-rolling the ones to wound because of the buff that you can put on them. Like Sean touched on a slight moment ago, you can spend that command point, re-roll your ones to hit. You're going fucking crazy. With the righteous mining, I think on average, what's, when what's I, the damage when on I a snake? D three. Oh, what's so they're rend one, they're rend yeah. one, D three damage. But most importantly, yeah. uh, which, can, is, oh, yeah. which we can get there is a six plus. So again, the little plus is important. On six plus, they generate a moral wound on the top of their additional damage. Um, so because they're getting that plus one to wound, every five up, they're doing a mortal wound on top of it. So it's one of the only ways that I can realistically make mortal wounds happen in the in the, in this army um but you look when i've when i've been rolling my dice for them usually yep every snake will swing three times i'll probably generate another two or three attacks per snake so the most they did over the weekend was a unit the my unit of six charged into a unit of nine flayers only four of them made it into combat those four snakes on their own with the riders. Oh no, not even that. Those four snakes just from their just from their normal attacks, not the mortal wounds, not the riders, none of that. Just the four snakes did thirty nine wounds. It's pretty hot. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty hot. <laughs> Into the fire is just fucked right off. Um, 
and yeah, like the other Tomb King units, they've got a standard. I get a base of them back. Like I said, the idea was that the Herald would bring another one back. Uh, Brayden, the, the old, old mate genius, had two Heralds because old War Scroll, you can have like every Herald will bring another base back. So he was bringing like three of them back. It's, it's, it's fucking disgusting. Um, they I mean, do a lot of how work. Many, sorry, Randy, how many minuses are there to wound in the game outside of a Frostlight Phoenix? Did you ever come across someone who made you a minus to wound? Other than a Frostheart Phoenix, I've never played against someone that's given me a minus one to wound. Yeah, so that's just awesome. When you're winning on twos and fives, generating mortals is in addition to your attacks. It's just yeah, consistently, yeah, consistently a good amount of output, which is what I remember is that quite often they would kill a half unit of my guys yeah. with the mortals so they, before we even got killed, to roll in damage. They killed that unit of flayers in one round of combat, and then um, my round two opponent. Um, Brad, he parked a unit of ter- uh, he parked a terror guy, king on terror guys behind the unit. Re- some of the buffs last until my next turn. Realized, oh, I don't feel comfortable charging the unit. I was just like, bro, that was a mistake. This is probably the best time for you to have charged them. In my turn, the six snakes surround the terror guys, just take it off. He doesn't even get to swing. It takes the terror guy stuff. They weren't even buffed. They were just like, oh, take it off. Um, so <laughs> they did a lot of work. And then the, the I think man of the entire fucking tournament for me was definitely the bone giant. So this war scroll yeah. is overcosted. It's fucking garbage. But when you roll like a fucking champion, and everyone will know I'm a champion, um, it goes fucking ham. So the, the bone giant, it's got two rules on its war scroll that make it really funny. The first one is on a six plus to hit for any of its attacks, it generates an extra attack. And that sounds very similar to Righteous Smiting, which you can also put on it. So on a six plus, when it's got both of those, you generate two extra attacks. And then the other thing is it has Red Fury built into it. So on a five up, it activates, piles in, and starts smashing again. But if it's within 18 inches of a Necrotect, it gets plus one. So on a four up, it's just going fucking. Um, so my, my Bone Giant. Um, killed two gargants uh, because bonus <laughs> awesome. yeah, it was amazing like just whacka 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 took one off uh, it was debuffed so it had the minus one to minus one to its attacks and d6 charge from one of the death spells oh, yeah. charges prince vordry takes prince vordry off just completely just does like nine wounds to it in one turn Pops its red fury, takes void dry off, and like my opponent was like, "What?" I was like, "I don't know, bro," but that was fucking sick. Um, it just did so much work. So for me, like Centra's great, but I I love the Bone Giant. I've got a really cool model for it. It's a Reaper. It's a Reaper Bones Bone Giant. It's just got like smashing a giant club into the ground, screaming its heads off. Its head off. It's just it's a lot of fun. Um, definitely my man of the match. It's not the best use of two hundred points, but definitely something that always goes in my list just because it's just so much fun it's a lot of fun and i i rate that higher than points efficiency and things like if you if you get a lot of enjoyment out of a model doing something cool or something silly um you always got to pick it i think in my personal yeah. opinion yeah fair fair cool man it's um it's I'd, i've never seen a bone giant normally because it, it, it competes against the the necros points wise doesn't it what are they two 40 or 220? 240. 240. Yeah, so, but, and it's 200. So really, you've only got to find 40 points to to slip a unit of, of Necros in there. So I guess that's why you don't see them that often. But Yeah, yeah. Sounds, and pretty, like, sounds pretty sweet with all the buffs on them. Yeah, and that's the thing. So the whole Tomb King list, it's all about buffs. It's all about um, 
how you can make that synergy work as best as possible for you. Um, and then obviously it just comes down to how you interact with your opponent. So like I touched on and I was saying, Dan went 5-0 and um, this year with Tomb Kings. Uh, he won some games where he got zero kill points. He just played to the objectives, did a really good job. Last year, for the, like because you guys weren't at Sydney GT last year, last year, Dan actually missed out on winning the whole thing with Tomb Kings by one point in the scenario, so if I'm not mistaken. Oh, um, no way. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost um, like history was going to repeat itself this year, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's just one of those things that it's a it's a mix of people don't know what they can do, but the internal synergies within those war scrolls are actually really, really strong. Um, so if you've got a general that can compensate for the fact that you know people have always strikes first, activation wars, whatever it might be, um, they they can hold their own. Like you just got to be really clever about doing it. Um, but like I touched on before, that's not what I come to tournaments for. I like to smash some stuff into other stuff and make raucous, loud noises while getting drunk. So it's probably not, it's, it's probably too much finesse for a general like me, but, um, some of the synergies are quite a lot of fun. It's funny you said it, Randy, because like, as you're explaining your army, first of all, you're really excited about it, which is awesome because you clearly care and love about your army, but you also have a very good grasp on what it does. Yeah, and, totally. And and the word, the buzzword that I'd take out of what you were talking about is synergy. And there's so many layers, and this is going to sound like a fucking a workplace speech, but there's like so many layers and so many like integral parts to your army that synergize with each other that exasperates its strong points, or sorry, exasperates its weak points. You know, hand on pause doesn't sound too flash, but when you can buff it to threes and rerolling ones, it's like holy fuck, you know, all of a sudden the output goes through the roof. Um, yeah. So I, I think like I think you can do really well with this army, honestly, bro. Like listening to you talk yeah. about it, you have a good yeah. grasp on what's going on. It has, a, it has I wouldn't call them janky rules. I would call them old school rules. Is what I'd call them. From yeah. a person who's been playing OS since like a couple of months after release, this is sort of how all armies used to be when they were one big product range. You know, when the empire was the free people and that was it. Um, and, and just shit like that, just relating it back to my own experience. Yeah, and I think there's, I think the most important thing I can layers. say is there's, um, there's something to be said about having an army and just playing it to death, right? Um, for me, getting into the scene was sitting GT last year, and all I've played since then was my Tomb King army, because I love the models, I love them in 8th ed, for me it's a passion thing, I don't I'm not about chasing the meta. I'm not about trying to be clever. I just want to put stuff that I really love on the table and just fucking go for a smash. And from doing that, I think I've been to about six, seven events with Tomb Kings. Um, you, you start to not only learn how your War Scrolls interact with each other, to touch back on what you said about synergy, like, yep, this works with this, this is working here, um, this, these buffs are what I really need. But it's also about inter-war scroll matchups. So in a lot of cases, especially in some of the armies that I've played against before, and for me, I'm unfortunately in a position where the only games I play are at tournaments. Um, so I don't have as much extra breadth of uh, experience there. But I, I can sort of look at it and go, my unit of snakes can take this unit of nine flares if they're not buffed. Like, I know that. I've done, the, I've done this matchup two or three times, and I know what the dice will do. As yeah. a worst case scenario, I take I take them off. Or this is an acceptable risk that even if it doesn't take them off in one turn, 
I can survive the counter punch as long as nothing else gets in there. Um, how do I minimize that getting in there, whatever it might be? And then I take them off in their return. It, it, you start to not only learn how your army works, but how your army interacts with the other armies that are out in the scene. Obviously, with a Games Workshop releasing book after book after book, especially in such quick fire succession like Cities of Sigmar and Auric Warclans come out at exactly the same time, um, it makes it a little bit harder to have that. But really, I think it is important to point that out. Like for people that play the same army event after event after event, um, it might feel stale sometimes, but I don't think you can underestimate how much extra information you're giving yourself as a general yeah. with that, with that, with those extra games against different armies. You're, you're starting to understand your war scrolls on another level compared to someone that has picked up um, Daughters of Cain or whatever it might be for the first time and goes, yep, I'm a good general. I know how these war scrolls interact. They might not know it as well as you, Tubbs, for example, because you can go, well, my 30 Sisters of Slaughter can take this unit and that unit at the same time if I double charge or whatever it might be. Like, it's just, it's something that you won't get until you start playing against other armies. And I think that's something that I've taken away from it, from playing the Tomb Kings for so long, is I've started to learn that. Like, I know what I can fight up against. I know what risks are safe risks and slightly riskier risks, if that makes any sense, so that I can, you know, make smarter decisions as a general if I, if, if I needed to. But at the same time, um, uh, it seems silly coming back to it again, but sometimes you forget all that and you just go, I'm really excited, I want to fight this fucking thing, and then you just go ham on something that doesn't matter in the game whatsoever, but just seemed cool to do, like yeah. giant, giant action. So yeah, I think... There's like there's like two types of players most of the time when you play this game. One of them, they play on experience purely. They they play on 100% what you're talking about now. Like, I've done this situation before a hundred hundred times. I know what my Necronites do. I know what my daughters do. I know what my long strikes do. Uh, I've I've seen it all before. I've done it all before. Or you get the other guys who do everything on maths. So they work out what this is supposed to do and you know, can they kill this unit with this unit and whatever unit. But the biggest bonus to the guys that play on experience uh, is that it, it's a lot faster. You don't have to sit there and sort of be like, uh, can I, yes, uh, mm, mm, yeah, no, I can kill that unit and go in. You're like, well, I've done this fucking 10 times before. I've killed these nine players and push your necros in there and get it done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's also, it's also worth noting as well that... Um, that that, ex, that that playing faster component, it doesn't just help you in sense of finishing games, but when you've got that level of confidence in your army, your unit, your decision, I think it helps you. Even if you lose the game, you can sit there and go, I'm comfortable with the, the, the decisions that I made because they were the right ones to make. Yeah. Um, maybe the dice didn't go in my favor. Maybe my opponent outplayed me. But from where I stood with the information that I had on hand, in my personal experience, you always feel a lot better going, I made that decision with the information available. It felt like the right decision. I didn't double, double like, like um, what's it called? I didn't hesitate. I didn't doubt myself. Um, and that, that's probably always better to look back on than, oh, I actually sat there. I doubted myself. I wasn't sure what I should do. I picked the wrong decision. Yeah, it's an informed opinion on your army and your gameplay based on prior experiences as well, which is yeah. something that um, someone like yourself, Randy, or 
like the scenario we're talking about where you've played an army, you know the units very well, you've played it in a number of situations, a number of scenarios, you can rely on your opinion because it's been informed by prior experiences and your beliefs and so on and so forth as to what the outcome will be. You can take mitigated risks within that situation as opposed to someone um, who I think we were talking about, well, you mentioned previously, like a possible meta change to sort of say, who is just buying Daughters of King because of the new hotness or buying Slanesh because they're a decent player and they sort of know the idea of Slanesh but they haven't been in every, not every, but they've been in multiple scenarios or situations where they are just making a, a judgment call based off how they think the army should function or how the outcome should play out as opposed to, oh Jesus, excuse me, sorry, I'm like 10 beers deep. <laughs> um, as opposed to like how that should play out so yeah i think it's sort of like the information gathering and understanding your army and being in those situations and having the experience to fall back on where like the amount of times that i've been shooting with my long strikes people are like oh this minus two to hit and this is funny because we'll get back this we'll get back to this when i talk about playing tubs and i was like whatever they'll still kill the unit that's fine and they normally do and people are like how the fuck and i'm like because rent two and two damage says fuck you that's how um, yeah, it's, it's don't question me. It's not so much the ability to hit; it's just the fact that the unit does consistently high damage, and that's my experience with it. Is that you know I I might hit half as many times, but I'm still going to get that flat ten or so damage through without my opponent getting to make an armor save, and that's sort of okay. what takes them back, as opposed to just going like I make you fight last, therefore I win the game. Awesome. Yeah, know, and it's interesting that you say that because I think that's something that some players underestimate it's not it's not just oh how many times can you hit it's how much is that hit worth because you look at the you look at my example with cetera ren two damage three sure i'm hitting you with six attacks sure they're hitting you on twos wounding you on threes but realistically the dice have always fucked me so i've only ever gotten like two to three wounds at a time out of all six of those. And if you do the maths, that's below average. But that's still nine wounds. Yeah, but if you're putting him into a favorable situation, so the average that's, unit that's has a... Tough, isn't yeah, it? yeah, the average unit has a four-plus save, say, you know, um, because whatever, that's what we're going with. And you've wound three times, so he's going to roll three dice and he's going to try and make sixes. If he's lucky, he'll make one six-up save, so that's six damage. That's probably still enough to affect the unit to some capacity where its output or its ability to retaliate towards you is lesser than what it was to go when you initially went in. And therefore, it's a favorable risk because you still have your free up saving your five up and your six up and all that sort of shit. Um, but, and that's in a good case. Most likely, they're going to fail all three saves and you're going to put nine damage in and you could possibly wipe the unit, degrade the monster, kill the hero. I don't know. It depends on what you're charging. So it's about putting yourself in situations where you're able to come out of it more favorable and even if you don't then you can withstand what's going to come back at you as well and also you've got this um awesome artifact that says fuck you you know i fight on my own terms so that's yeah and, and then the times that he pops off and he gets through a whole sex you're just like sweet i just got my dick out and dragged it across my opponent's forehead <laughs> and i won the game so fuck off you know um and that's something that you'll know and you can speak to and you will be able to like calculate in your head what you're you know how risk averse are you to the scenario and yeah. what do you expect the scenario to be what's a good what's a good outcome which is i win the combat i killed a unit i guess or like that's a great outcome or i severely disable a unit maybe it runs off the battle shock 
or maybe I charge into, I don't know, like a, like a monster that degrades severely when it takes damage and it's going to hit me bad, but it's not going to kill me, you know, and that's sort of your risk yeah. appetite about what's going to happen in this situation, in this interaction. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's, I think there's absolutely something to say for experience, repetition and situational awareness with your army yeah, and I- your units that you're using. Yeah, definitely, and I think I think you can see that sometimes on the P, on the on the players where um, at least in the Australian ranking scene, for example, I don't know so much about um, New Zealand, so you'll have to excuse me, but um, you can definitely see that some of those players um, near the top of the rankings, they've been playing one thing, they haven't been jumping around as much between armies, so every win that they get with that list that they've been playing over and over again hasn't just earned them ranking points, but it's earned them experience in how the list functions, how the unit functions, what the matches, uh, what the matchups for that those units and that army are, and the the, the strengths and weaknesses of it. Um, and like, it's such an intangible thing that, um, yeah, like it's just it's really weird. Um, how how do you put a how do you put a measure on something like that when it comes to playing playing age of sigmar like it's 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 it like you can't you can't really um put it into words almost the the level of difference that that something as simple as playing lots of games with your army against lots of different opponents can do yeah no i i i totally agree playing games is the best way in my opinion to to enhance your ability and to get better at the game and being aware of your units and repetition and situations just I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm just going to repeat what we've just talked about, but I agree with every point you've just made, bro. And I think that is like some very valuable tactical insight, especially from a player who, you know, quote unquote, doesn't think they're overly competitive at the game. So, yeah. So, you got anything to add, buddy? No, man. No, no, no. You guys are you guys are nailing it. Just, you're just mentally masturbating at our discussion, I'm sure. <laughs> just drinking and listening, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So I think that's, I mean, we're shit. We're like two hours-ish at this point. I can't remember exactly when we started recording, but the time is telling me two hours, eight minutes. Yeah. And I believe Randy is just going to try to switch himself back to the PC, and then we'll start talking about our games. So thank you for bearing with us, listeners. This is going to be a long episode, but I'm very much enjoying the conversation at hand so i will let this flow for as long as i can or as coherent as i can be um over the course of drinking my podcasting because that's how we do it around Ain't too many can bang with us. Straight up, we no angel dust. Label us notorious. Club that sitters that love the bus. It's strange to us. Y'all niggas be scrambling, gambling. I'm restaurants with mandolins and violins. We just sitting here trying to win, trying not to sin. High off weed and lots of gin. So much smoke, need oxygen. Steadily counting them Benjamins. Nigga, you should too. If you knew what this game would do to you. Been in this shit since 92. Look at all the bullshit I've been through. So-called beef with you know who. Fuck a few female stars or two. Then I'm blue like.
like niggas know like Mike said, not to be fucked with. Motherfucker better duck quick, cause me and my dogs love the buck shit. Fuck the luck shit, shit the aim, no aspirations, quit the game. Spit your game, talk your shit, grab your gap, call your clip, squeeze your clip, hit the right one. Pass that weed, I got the light one. All them niggas, I got the fight one. All them hoes, I got the light one. Our situation is a tight one. What you gonna do? Fight or run? Spit your game, talk your shit, grab your gap, call your clip. Spit your game, talk your shit, grab your gap, call your clip. Squeeze your clip, hit the right one. Pass that weed, I got the light one. Ladies and gentlemen, twist up, make a money living marvelous. Sing God with drugs, don't too many niggas wanna start with us. Got big guns and no cars with us. What's it any motherfucker I can hide with us? They really wanna show you what a VIP. I'd rather be sipping room and get VIP. When you hear the music, it'll be by me. Twisted with the legendary nigga BIG. Brooklyn and K Town. When you checking out the flow, you know what's going on with persistence. Two legends on the same track, two different planes of existence. Let's get it cracking, I love the bus flows. Hit it from the back, cause I love the buck ho. Spin it for the city, I love Chicago. Kinda cold, but I love the bus go. You think you can spin on the mic like you biggie and flow just as steady as I? Shit is real, you know you love them, you ain't got ready to die. Life after death, give it to you, however you want it, nigga. Not a day after, give it to you, however you want it, nigga. Cause the shit is get deep, so I carry big heat. Screaming, come and get me, Twister and Biggie on the Swiss beat. Three meals, I love to make one. All these cars, I love to ride one. All these hoes, I love to cut one. A tribute to Big, I love to bust one. Thanks for joining us after the break. We're uh, this is Notorious Age of Sigmar, Feet Randy. Uh, so we've talked about our armies. We've we've talked about it's the um, fucking Randy takeover. Take a backseat, boys. I got you now. I've got this. I'll carry the rest of the show. Um, so yeah, we've talked about our lists. We've talked about a couple of the synergies. We've, we've made mention of a couple of cool little bits and pieces that's happened. Um, so what we're thinking we're going to do next to um, keep placating your wonderful ear holes is to tell you about day one. So what we're going to do is uh, Tubbs, then Sean, then I, we're going to run through our games from day one in terms of uh, who we played, uh, what the result was, and then we might just share one quick little snippet of something cool that happened in that game. So we're not going to go into a massive amount of detail because... Um, 
no one really needs to hear that potentially. Um, Age, Age of Sigmar is Age of Sigmar, but we'll share something slightly cool um, that stood out. Uh, you can definitely hit us up for more info if you really want it. Uh, but other than that, that should probably make it a little bit more interesting to hear three dudes talk about Age of Sigmar games. So, um, Big Sean, why don't, you, why don't you kick us off? Fucking love this Randy guy. He's so awesome. Um, <laughs> that was so good. good. Yeah. So, uh, so went into round one. I wanted to club seals round one because I was feeling a bit shit and a bit jet lagged and sleep too well. But I had to play Ty Swan, who is a beautiful man, and I very much enjoyed this game, Ty. Um, Can I just quickly awesome interrupt player. you, Sean? So Ty is fantastic. No, no, no. You're not <laughs> taking too long. Um, Ty is a wonderful gentleman. I just thought I'd quickly jump in because I actually played Ty at Sydney GT last year. Uh, and he was playing Wanderers. So somewhere between Sydney GT last year and Sydney GT this year, he went from playing Wanderers, wonderful, fluffy, not super supported, to correct me if I'm wrong, Big Sean, but he's playing Change Host? Yeah, the motherfucker was playing Change Host with like nine yeah. endless spells, but it was amazing. Ty, was Ty so what the fuck <laughs> happened to you, bro? You used to be cool. Yeah, no, Ty, I've got, I've got a lot of love and a lot of time for Ty, so... Ty was playing a chain so I'm not going to go through its list in detail, but it was a chain chose and a Gordon Summoner, so we're both two drop. Um, I wanted Dice Off to pick sides, which is probably the pivotal part, because I got to choose who win first. Um, the, the, I'll keep it to, like, high-level detail. Um, I win first, I dropped six uh, long strikes, and I shot off his little change and a hero, and I think some screamers, turn one. Um, Ty had two heroes left, so I was trying to eliminate his hero so he couldn't summon, because he's and Zeech, excuse me, you summoned from the heroes. Um, then Ty went and he did two really cool things, which I thought was fucking spot on. He cast Geminids and he plowed Geminids all through my long strikes. So all of a sudden my long strikes went from two shots to one shot. So fucking correct play, Ty. So good. Uh, next thing he did is he cast um, Palisades and he put it in the corner and then he flew his blue scribes on disc over to the corner. And he ran him, and he literally put blue scrubs behind Palisade, so I couldn't see him. Um, and and that was a smart move on him. So the two moves there, the Geminids and blue scrubs. Uh, we're playing Starstrike, Strike. Just said that, and then the game played out. We were trading the middle objective, so we're scoring our own home objectives, and then we're trading the middle objective up until round four, where he didn't score the objective, so I was four points up. He won the double turn. He had to remove like nine bodies off my objective. He couldn't remove, sorry, off the middle objective. He couldn't remove enough bodies. Um, I scored a bag. I won by four points. I got a major win. Um, I shut off a lot of stuff. It was a great game. It was very tense. Uh, we got to maybe like 20 minutes left in the round. We, it, was, it, was, it was all good. It was pretty straightforward. Um, Ty was great to play. Super awesome. It was funny because you had two like very unengaging armies playing. So I had no counters in magic. So whatever magic he wanted to do, he did. I had a lot of shooting. So whatever I could shoot, I would and I did. So it was, it was kind of, it was, it was really cool. And Chain Church is still pretty good. Uh, next game, sorry, do you want to say something, Randy? I was just going to quickly ask, so the, the highlight for you was that Lord of Change going down in one round of shooting from the long strikes. Is that yeah, right? So, yeah, so that was sort of what I planned to do. I was thinking if I can take out his Lord of Change, uh, which I did with six dudes in one round, 12 shots, killed him outright. Um, then I can stop his shenanigans, but then he, he countered it hard with Geminids, which I thought was excellent. So I thought that was a good counterplay. And it was it was a close game um, until it wasn't, which sounds a bit shit and a bit wishy-washy, but up until turn four, it was very tense. I got the upper hand, and he couldn't do something in turn five. So it was it was 
I'm I'm underselling what the game was, but it was a very tactile, great game, awesome opponent, ten out of ten play tie again, awesome dude. You know. Um, then I played Jules, I can't remember Jules' last name, he ran a deaf army and we were playing duality of deaf. Um, essentially I hard stacked one side of the board and Jules he was playing Legends of Blood with like two Coven Thrones and some Flayers and Grimgas and Chainrass and shit. It was a weird army. He said he's a Kings of War player. He's an old school fantasy player. He hadn't played a lot of War, uh, Age of Sigma. Lovely dude. Can't say a bad thing about him. Uh, I hard stack one side. He counters it with the other side. I went first, scored both objectives. He then double turned me and his hard counter side took off my like five guys that were on the other side then I got a double turn approach just like shot his army off and that was more or less the game um, I won big on scenario I can't remember the exact score but it was pretty one sided if you look at it on scenario and by I think turn 4 I'd taken his army off uh, and then turn 5 I played Daniel with the 200 plague monks and I will talk about this game a little bit um, and and I'm, I'll talk about it from a sense of like conflict resolution at the table because I was annoyed at Daniel and he did a very good job to resolve it but I also think there's some stuff that I could have done better so we get to the table and Daniel like drops a box of stuff on the table and then fucks off to go get stuff and essentially Daniel's running stuff back and forth from the table for about 15 minutes for his army which is one thing I noticed in Australia you guys don't like clean up your armies yeah. after your games you just like leave your armies all over the tables and then when the round uh, starts, you start packing up your army. And I, like I don't want to make a, I don't, yeah, I don't want to make a generalization, but I'm going to, because that's very like counter who I am. But a lot of times I'd go to tables and people would still have like dice fucking everywhere and tokens and armies. And I was just like, can you get your shit off the table so I can play a game? And they're like, nah, bro, it's cool. We got heaps of time in the round. I'm like, well, actually, you being selfish is taking my time away from me and my opponent's time away from me. So can you clean your fucking shit up? No, I think it's actually a little bit hit and miss. Um, I personally, as the game has finished, I will always make sure I pack up my army, put all my tokens away, things like that. Um, I think a part of that's just because of my own like internal OCD kind of thing. Like I don't want to lose some of my tokens. All of my tokens are custom made because there are no such things as Tomb King tokens. Um, all that sort of stuff. Um, it is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine as well, because I have noticed that sometimes. There's nothing worse than showing up to a table um, and then finding that someone has still got all their shit on your table. And you're like, fuck, I need to play a game. Um, my last game went to time. This is not an okay thing for me to be dealing with. Um, and then on top of that, um, that's, that's my number one pet peeve. My number two pet peeve is the people that have almost done the right thing. They've packed their army up but then they've still left all of their stuff on the table. So then you have to be that guy. And I hate being that guy where you take their packed up army on their display board or on their carry case or whatever the fuck it might be. Then you have to pick it up and then put it on the floor next to the table. Like, sure, they've packed up their army, but it is at, like if I was the person in that, bo the, that boat, I'd hate it if someone picked up my stuff and put it on the floor, right? Like, that's my army. What are you doing, bro? Don't touch my shit. But at the same time, well, you've packed it away, and we were kind of waiting to play this game, so I kind of have to pick your stuff up and put it next to the table. I feel like a dick for doing it, but I, I feel like I've been put in that situation. 
and in that scenario, because the other person has decided to just leave their stuff on the table, they're, they're late for the round, whatever it might be, I am at the table, my opponent's at the table, we're waiting to play, there's stuff in the way, we end up making the decision to just pick it up, putting it on the side. Um, yeah, it's a little bit disappointing. I really think it's um, it's definitely something that I think the, com- the whole community can get a little bit better at doing. Um, I understand that sometimes, you know, like especially two two and a half k, well, they were what three hours and fifteen minute rounds. Yep. Um, you're you're fucking knackered after three and a half hours of actually playing if your game has gone to time. Um, I can definitely understand why people are just like, all right, we're stepping away, we're gonna get a drink, we're gonna go to the bathroom, we're gonna unwind, whatever it might be. Um, but I just think you've got to take that consideration for your opponent or the people that are going to be using the table after you to just get your shit packed up. Put it away, put it under the table, get it out of your whoever's going to be using that table next. Get it out of their way so that, like you said, Sean, you don't cut into someone else and their opponent's time um, because you've decided to go and take it easy for a little bit. Like, at the end of the day, it shouldn't take you that long. Like, what, what, how long does it take to pack your army all the way up, Sean? Tubbs, what do you reckon? Five to ten minutes, forever. maybe. Nah, my <laughs> one takes ages all the time. So it's like. Your narrative isn't suiting my point, so shut up. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, so every so I played five games. As Randy said, there were three hours, fifteen minutes. All but I think all my games finished with an hour left, except one, maybe two of them. One finished with about fifteen, twenty minutes left, which is my first game. And I think Tubbs our game finished with about forty-five minutes left. We went out here and spoke before we even did did the smokes and all that sort of shit. But it was just um, it was just something that I noticed that, you know, the round would start and all of a sudden people were in like a crazy state to pick up their armies and pick up their dice and all this sort of shit. And I was like, oh, can you like move? Because you're now affecting my time and my game and I don't know how yeah. long this game's going to go. So it was just, um, I don't think it was overly courteous. Um, but that's just my opinion. It's just not something I've had to experience in a long time. I mean, I when I finished my game, I... I pick my shit up, I put it on the table, like my books. Because Age of Sigma is a very admin-y game. I understand that. I'm not saying you guys bring too much admin. I'm not shitting on that. Because I bring like five books to a game. You know, like a rule book, a GHB, like a Malign Sorcery if I need it, my, my Stormcast book. And then I bring like gaming cards and aids and all that sort of shit. But before I finish a round officially and leave the table, I'll put it all into a pile. So when the round starts or when I know where I'm playing... I can just pick the shit up and move to the next one in one or two trips or whatever. But yeah, anywho, yeah. besides the point. So going back to mine and Daniel's game. So Daniel spent 15 minutes coming to and from the tables, and he's playing uh, 200 rats, plague monks, um, and a couple of bells and a couple of heroes and shit. And at this point, I assumed if if Daniel was taking this long to set up his army, he's going to take three, four times as long to play the game. So, I, I mean, we introduced ourselves, we had a very, like, amicable conversation, it was all good, we ran for our armies, it was very civil, there was nothing wrong with that, and I was just thinking, fuck, like, if he's taking this long to do this, then I instantly have a bad perspective or a bad idea of how this game's going to go, because I've played people previously who had similar armies or similar-sized armies, and that we didn't get past turn two or three. And I always win late game, so I have a really... I'm a bit of a time nut, so I'm going to say it. Like, if you've heard me on this podcast before, I'm pretty fucking anal on time. I've lost games due to time, 
and it was my own fault because I wasn't talking to my opponent about how fucking long they were taking and I had a game that I'm apparently still a bit salty about because I get impassionate when I speak about this shit (laughs) (laughs) that I decided (laughs) I I will never let this happen to me again therefore I need to have some influence and control about what the fuck's going on at the table so I need to be talking to my opponent because in this prior game I'm talking about I didn't, I let it play and when it got to like turn 3 and the game was over it was complete bullshit but whatever so Daniel, so 15 minutes into the round, Daniel is now able to set up his army. We roll off, we do the scenery, all that sort of shit. Um, and then we start deploying. I figure out how many, we talk about how many drops we are, because I'm too drop. I out deploy everyone that I face that weekend. So we do like single drop, single drop, single drop, now I drop my battalion. And when I set up my battalion, I'm no saint. It takes me five to 10 minutes. It's like fucking 13 or so units. It's pretty MSU. So it, it, it does take me some time to set that up. I set it up, I do some measurements, I'm like, cool, sweet, I'm done, over to you, buddy. And then Daniel pulls out his army, and he starts deploying rats, and he's, he, as I said, he's got 200 rats, and he pulls out, and this is not an exact number, guys, don't hold me to this, but it felt like about 100 rats, and I was like, is that all your army? And they were all in movement traits, which I very much appreciate, so, and me and Daniel talked about this, I was like, that's a great job, good stuff. And he's like, no, 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 it's about half my army. He pulls out this other tub, and there's like 100 loose rats in there in movement trays. And he has movement trays, which I said I appreciate, but he has like these clip-in movement trays. So he has to like slide every model into a movement tray, and each movement tray is like a cloud of five. So as he's deploying, he deploys his army, and his army looks the same because it's 200 models, but they've got slightly different patterns from the back. So he has to find the, find the right patterns on the cloak to find out which model goes with which unit because he has um, five units of 40 and then he has to slide them all into these movement trays and they clip in and it's a very manual labor-intensive process and Daniel was doing this and at this point I didn't communicate with him and I think I should have communicated with him which is the reflection on my part because Daniel's taking a long time I'm looking at the clock ticking down I'm getting fucking triggered in my mind like in my head I'm like fuck this guy this is taking too long He's not going to be able to finish a game. I need to finish a game. We're playing relocation or I need to finish a game. Fuck this guy. This is the worst experience. This is so slow. I go off to the TO's table and have a yarn um, about, you know, it's the last game in a day. Can we play over time if we need? And they're like, yeah, you can play over time if you need. I'm like, well, my, you know, it's still like 35 minutes in the round. He's still clipping models into his bases, etc. Um, and yeah, and, and so on and so forth. And I come back to the table, we're still clipping models, I'm like, fuck this, I'm going to go have a beer. I come back, it's like 15 minutes into the round, he's finally done deployment. And he, when I came back, I'm assuming someone spoke to him while I was at the TO table, because he immediately sort of came at me and was like, hey, I'm going to finish five rounds, don't you fucking worry, it's going to be done in a minute, you know, I can finish five rounds, I can speed up, you know, you need to play fast and so on. And I'm just like, bro, take a minute, you know, step back. I'm not judging your character. I'm not giving you a hard time. Our interaction has been pleasant. All I'm going to say is that it's 50 minutes into the round and you've only just finished deploying. When you were clipping models onto your base, you could have been doing that while I was deploying. You know, it's a two-way streak. I've played against armies like these before. They take a lot of time. You have a responsibility. He, he tells me he loves playing this army, which is fine. I have no issue with that. You play what you want. Your hobby, you do you. But if you're going to be clipping models in, you could be done doing that while I'm deploying, so you can be a bit more smarter about it, and you can use some initiative about it. Um, we have this interaction, and it's 
it's not heated. It's a little tense, is what I would say. Um, and then we start playing the game, and Daniel was just, like, flipping through his turn. And, like, I think his first turn took about two minutes. And I was like, bro, slow down. Slow down. I don't want you to miss shit. I trust we can finish this, because we're both now aware of the situation. Which is probably my fault. I probably should have said, as he was deploying, I should have been like, hey, mate, it's been 30 minutes. Can you know, Just so you know, can we, like, speed it up and so on and so forth? Um, but he flew for his first turn. I double turned him, and we finished the game with maybe like an hour left in the round. So he, he wasn't talking shit when he said he plays fast. It was just him deploying and me getting mad in my own mind and not communicating that with my opponent. <laughs> so, like, you know, I we had a good game. I have no issues. I'll play him again. Uh, just at the time, I think I could have handled it better. And at the same time, I think Daniel could have been a bit more aware of the situation. So I'm not taking any way, anything away from the guy. We talked about it. We came to a resolution, we got through it. It didn't matter in the end because we finished with ample time to play in the round. Um, but I fear that if people don't have that discussion and put people on notice early in the game, that it can lead to feel-bads moments because I've definitely had feel-bads moments when my opponents had two hours to play the game and I've had a half hour to play the game. And I feel like I have to make decisions in split seconds so the game can be resolved. And he, he admitted it throughout the game. He was like, look, I'm sorry, I'm disappointed I took that one to deploy. Should we be doing this? I'm like, bro, we're playing the game. It's fine now. Like, he was super quick to play. Admittedly, he barely got any units in combat, which takes a long time for him. <clears throat> Essentially, he moved around the board, and I retreated onto the objective, and I killed him from range. So, the, for the most part, the game was me rolling 12 or 6 dice at a time at him and telling him how many models to remove. And he was like a fucking champ about it. And I would play Daniel again. I have no issues with Daniel at all. He was a great dude. Um, just the deployment, I was getting on tilt a little bit, and then I think he got on tilt a little bit, but we resolved it. And this is the thing that I, I say quite often, is it's a two-player game. You need to interact with your opponent. You need to resolve shit together. You know, it's a two-way experience. If he wants to run 200 models, that's fine. I have no issue with that, but he has the responsibility to me as his opponent and the player in the game to speed shit up. And he did. He, he admittedly did. He played super quick. His game... He played. He spent less time playing the game than deploying, which was which blew my mind. In all honesty, it was it was amazing. Um, but at the same time, it was like game free on day one. So, yeah, I'm not giving the guy shit. I mean, I, I we we discussed all of this at the table. I'm not saying anything that I didn't say previously, other than maybe I could have talked to him during his deployment as opposed to after his deployment, because at the time I was getting mad and I was like, fuck, as soon as this guy deploys, I'm going to let him have it, which is probably not the best way to go around it. But obviously someone made him aware of the situation and sort of he came out a little bit, um, not swinging, because there's there no punches, it's Warhammer. But he had his back up as soon as he finished the point. Um, but we had a good game and we finished it and he had no complaints. And it was a it was a hard matchup for him. And I wanted more time than I thought I needed. So it's good. But it, it's a bit of conflict in person can be a bit... Uh, what's the word? Awkward, I guess. It can be agitated. It can escalate quickly. Um, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was that was it. It was it was a good game. He deployed quickly. I mean, he played the game quickly after his deployment, and we got to a resolu- a natural conclusion in the game, like an hour before the round finished. So, yeah. So I I, I think um, an important thing and a shout out to you is definitely about um, having that conversation with your opponent. I think. Um, the, the, the interesting thing sometimes is that people can fall into the trap where 
they won't say anything. Like, you know, you're having a bad game or your opponent's done something that you don't think is right. And you just bottle up and you keep it to yourself and you don't talk about it. Uh, and then it just, you know, it's it'll sour over the course of two, three hours of a game or whatever. It'll sour. And it that will impact your interactions with that opponent for the whole game. So I think having that 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 presence of mind to just say, look, you know, obviously someone might have talked to you and, and said, oh, you know, Sean reckons you're not going to finish on time, you're going to be slow, well, whatever. And like having that presence of mind to say, look, mate, it, it's nothing against you. I've played against this sort of army. I'm worried about this. Um, if you knew you had to do this for your deployment, you could have been doing it in your turn. And trying to actually have that open conversation with your opponent to say, this is what I thought you could have done better so that we wouldn't be in a situation where all of a sudden I'm worried about, fuck, we're going to run out of time. I think that's, I think that's a really healthy way to look at it. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, and like, and I say, the reason I say nine times out of 10 is because there are obviously some kids that play Age of Sigmar that come to events. Um, a good, a good one is, um, uh, Mr. Bigwood's daughter who comes along as well. So she's obviously still quite a young, quite, quite a young, um, young lady um she's not an adult yet but for the rest of us we're all adults like we should be able to have someone have a tough conversation with us without uh losing the fucking spanner and going ah, i didn't like what they said to me or whatever it might be like you know it, it's part of life um and i think it's just a, it really important to, to sort of highlight what you 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 mentioned there sean where um sometimes it's just about setting that out with your opponent and saying look you know, you could have done this, you could have done that. We're a little bit worried about time. And like you said, at the end of it, you ended up having a decent, a pretty good day, um, game. Um, you didn't have any time issues or anything like that. Uh, and I think a big part of that might have been the fact that you, you laid it out on the line to begin with and just said, hey, man, like, here's a few things that you could have done. Um, at the end of the day, we got to get this get this done. It's taking you 15 minutes to deploy. Like, you know, obviously I'm a little bit worried. Yeah, like, I, I can't fault the guy, first of all, for his character. He was a friendly dude, and he, as I said, I'd play him again. He was clear and concise on his rules, and he knew what he was doing. Can't fault him on that. He was great. There was communication back and forth. There wasn't any, like, shady under-the-table play where sort of someone goes silent, and they just start doing shit, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, mate, 20 saves, and you're like, what the fuck for? You know, there was none of that. Like, the game was fantastic. Definitely play him again. Not an issue. It's just when someone comes to the table and they start deploying slowly, and I'm thinking, fuck, he's got this many bodies. I've got this like predisposition in my head that if it takes him this long to deploy an army, it's going to take him you know, three times as long to play the game. And, um, and we had a conversation, and it wasn't like the best conversation. We didn't swear at each other. We didn't hit each other. We had a hug or two. You know, like, it wasn't, there was nothing bad about it. It was just like I probably could have said as he was deploying, like, hey, bro, by the way, it's been 20 minutes, you know, and you're only halfway through, could you speed up? Or can I help you clip on your models or something like that? You know, come to like an amicable resolution. As opposed to waiting for him to deploy and then being like, dude, that was a bit shit. Let's make this game better. And to his credit, he took everything on board that I said, regardless of how well I said it, he took it on board. And he adjusted his play and his, I wouldn't say attitude, because he didn't have a bad attitude, but he adjusted what he was doing so I could get maximum enjoyment out of the game, which is a very selfless thing to do. So yeah. I think in that front, like, full credit, full props to Daniel. He did 
an amazing job out of something that I thought was going to go very south very quickly. He was um, he took the criticism on the chin. He acknowledged his faults, and shit, the game was over in the next sort of hour and twenty minutes. He did amazing, and he can like click his fingers and burst your eardrums. It's amazing. It's um, yeah. <laughs> it's not really amazing, but he's got this little finger click that he does, and fucking hell, it's um, it's it's nuts. But no, so what I will say to Daniel is, great resilience, mate. Like, you know, you were you were given a confronting situation by a foreigner that you'd never played before. And myself, I'm like quite a big guy. I'm hopefully not intimidating, but I am a big dude. Um, for the listeners, I'm like six three, six four, and I'm like a hundred and fuck off kilos. Um, and he he was like very cool about it. He wasn't like nah, fuck you, blah blah blah, or anything. He didn't make any excuses. He was like, I'm yeah. sorry this has happened. Let's resolve it and let's play a game. And yeah. he just ah. like and then and then he was like railing monster cans. Like he was like snorting them off the table as we were playing. It was <laughs> fucking ridiculous. I, I was just he kept offering me well, he didn't keep offering me, he offered me maybe twice an energy drink and I was like, Bro, that will kill me. Have you seen the size of me? Like my heart's only got so many beats, I don't need a beat of that shit. <laughs> and, and he was like <laughs> blasting for his turns. So, um it's just like great resolve as a person and as an individual and great stuff taking feedback and um not turning it into a shit time is what i'd say yeah. and i so think that I, 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 I had expectations it was going to be crap and it wasn't crap and again happily played daniel any time of the week yeah i think the most beautiful thing that you said there was it's a two-player game like you know it's you and your opponent mm-hmm. um and some sometimes we forget that like it's not just what you're doing with your army that you're deploying or whatever it might be it's you know how is your opponent how is your opponent going right now? Like you're in the middle of your deployment phase. Um, you might be like you said, you, you've got your one drop, two drop list. It takes you five or 10 minutes. Like how's your opponent going right now? Is there, does the, do you need to consider that as well? I think that's, um, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And per- perhaps something that we should think about as, as gamers a little bit more as, um, yeah, we're there to win potentially, um, depending on what your motivations are for the tournament. But, uh, it is, it is a two player game. There's someone on the other side of that table. Yeah, I think what made me poopy pants about it was like we were chatting freely as we were like setting up the train and as I deployed. And then when he started deploying, it just all went one way. And I've always talked about it. it's an interaction, it's an experience. You're there with your opponent, you have an obligation to your opponent to speak to them and make it interactive. And for like 30 minutes or so, I felt like a single player game of him stacking his models and placing them. But then after that, he was fantastic. So um, I, I, I don't want to like give him a backhanded compliment. I don't think I'm doing that. Um, we had a we had an interaction, which, in all honesty, wasn't the most pleasant because, you know, conflict at the table face to face is like it's hard for some people to do. It's hard for me to do. Um, but he was a champ and he resolved it in minutes. And um, I can't say enough about the guy once he knew I had an issue with the game and the way he resolved it as well yeah. so, so yeah and, and I mean and then and then the game itself was just like flawless it just went off really well I got a bit I got quite a bit of luck with priorities and where it rolled and I just more or less did like a tactical retreat around the objective and shot him off which can't be overly interactive with him um he got secondaries I got secondaries it was it was all good um yeah that was it that, that's my day one. Three, three major wins, 
I think I dropped one secondary in the first game against Ty because I couldn't get over to Ty's side of the board, but otherwise, pretty pretty good day one. Who wants to awesome. go next? I need to go to Luke. Who wants to go next? Tubbs. Yeah, man, I think go Tubby. I'll, I'll shoot through. Mine's pretty, mine's pretty easy. Uh, so I had that, uh, I had the, the grudge with uh, Clint that I was talking about earlier. <clears throat> oh, yep, the uh, the Marathi Smackdown 2019. Yeah, the, the Marathi Smackdown. Um, so that was cool. That was a cool game. I was really fucking hungover this game and the next. And Clint was like talking to me and telling me what he's doing. And then I put my head down for a second at the table to be like looking at something like I'd normally do. And I just couldn't listen at the same time. And I put my head up and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, Clint. You just you just do your thing. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a struggle with game. I probably could have given Clint a bit of a bit of a better game there, but I, I think I think we still had a bit of fun, so it was sweet. Um, and yeah, I pulled I pulled that one out for the major win, so that was that was all good. Um, next up, I got another one of the Her- Herald's boys. I got Travis. Um, so at this point, I'm like, man, I'm going through. Going through everyone. I played Welfare on Thursday, and now Clint, and now, now Trav. You can put a thrilling content creators, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, if you've got a podcast, I'm comfy. for you. And, it, it, and it, like, it, it gets better in round three, doesn't it? Oh, it just, it just keeps going. <laughs> like, I, I, had the, I had the awesomest run. I had the greatest run. It was, it was sick. Um, so I played Dra- uh, Trav on Duality of Death, which is, like, retardedly good for my army. It's so ridiculous uh so trav sort of had it up against him from start to finish uh but yeah no we we had a good game we had had a fun game he had this little he had a pendulum in his army and marathi was off by herself the whole time just solo and he's like cool i'm gonna throw the pendulum into you and then in the turn it's gonna hit you again into a whole bunch of mortal wounds and you're gonna be saving them and it's gonna screw you over and i was like yeah man that that'd be really bad if that happened like you should do that. And it's we spent ages, and he set it up, and he charged it in, and he got it all all perfect how he wanted it. And then after he did the mortal wounds, he he piled his blight kings in, and blocked the pendulum off from actually being able to hit Marathi in between turns because he put his blight kings there. And I was oh, like, oh, great. this is this great is amazing. This is so good. And I had no idea it was going to work like that until like, oh, oh, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. So it was sort of just an awesome, funny game of all kinds of just mishaps and silly shit happening. And, um, yeah, silly charges from primes and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, no, that was a bloody good game. So I got, I got the major in there again. <clears throat> and then game three, after trying to wipe off all the seal blood from the two Heralds boys, I got, <laughs> I got one of these dwellers. I got, I got Smorgan himself. On relocation orb. So that was going to be a big game. Game game three. I'm finally over my hangover. Got Smorgan. And um, he's playing some fucking mixed order list that I have no idea what anything is. There's compendium shit all over the place. So I was like, I don't know what is what. There's fucking dudes on flying carpets and all kinds of shit. And I'm like, I'm so lost. I don't know what's happening. <clears throat> Just tell me what I should kill first, and, and we'll go from there. And uh, the game went massively south for me from the start. From um, 
man, Smorgan plays movement so well that he sort of just zoned stuff awesomely. He had lines and lines and lines of stuff going. Like an army like that with lots of movement is is right up this guy's alley. Uh, but he got a little bit greedy at one point, and he um, and he and he tried to nab back that uh, the tertiary. I think was to kill two heroes. And when he did that, he sort of he sort of threw the game for himself. So I needed luck from the first turn, and he sort of gave me the bump I needed in the right direction, uh, and 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 gave it away. Plus, I won all the priority rolls, so it's relocational. It's it was a fun scenario. I enjoyed playing it this weekend, and the two two occasions I played it. But it's a it's a bad scenario still. Just if you win priority rolls, it's so you got such a leading hand to win. Um, but I pinched off Sam at the last minute, and uh, I, I got the major win. But I dropped my secondary on that one, which is um, which is a biggie because it affected the the day two pairings more than anything. Because um, because he left Marathi alive on eleven wounds taken, so I was gutted that I didn't get it. Uh, but yeah, that was my that was my day one. So I played both the Herald's boys. Uh, I played Sam, and um, I got three three major wins. Yeah, we need to make um you need to make a taunt video to call out Adam. Yeah, Adam I'm 100 percent calling out Adam yeah. Burt now. Yeah, we're we're gonna yeah. come at it hot. Yeah, take all them Herald scalps. Yeah, it's. I'm just I'm leaving the seal blood on me until I get the last seal. You're a killer of the trio, content, aren't you? A killer of content. <laughs> Welfare, Mallet, and I can't remember. Trev. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Trevor. you look at the heralds. You've killed the king. You've killed the painter. Now you got to kill the jester. <laughs> yes, he just is the guy that we make fun of. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's right. So I guess it's it's uh, my day one now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but um, so round one, I was playing um, the none other than Smorgan, um, the most vocal dweller. Uh, so again, I touched on it like, Jesus, it's probably been an hour or so now in in the cast. Um, this is a bit of an anniversary thing for me. It's a uh, it's returning to what brought me back into the scene. Back in back then, um, I grudged uh, Sam Morgan round one. Uh, I charged 20 snakes. He took all my shit off. It was a very painful but uh, strong lesson that was learned. Um, so we we thought we'd re we'd redo the we'd redo it all over again. So not only was it uh, Sydney GT the one year anniversary, but it was also me playing Sam Morgan round one for a grudge. Um, I didn't know what any of Sam's army did. Like it's all fucking war. Like I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know anything about AOS. I don't know war scrolls oh. very well outside of my own things. Um, Sam, Randy, arm- Randy, I'd say I, I know things about AOS, but I had no fucking idea what was going on with Sam's army either. <laughs> I was so <laughs> confused. I'm like, so can't Sam- tell what, you can't tell what it is as well because he proxies all this shit. And yeah, I look, don't know how he gets away with it at tournaments. No, honestly. I- I know a lot of people give him shit for his army, but um, the theme that he's built and the army of Zandri and all that sort of stuff, like, it's actually beautiful. Like, it's really, yeah. really cool. As soon as he's explained uh, it yeah. to you but, and you realize he, what, and you realize li- what's what, it makes sense. He, he literally has Aladdin, some <laughs> dude flying on the carpet, and he calls it an Azeroth. 
Yeah, because what? he's got a fucking he's got a bird on his arm, man. That's 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 all you're gonna know. Bird on the he's arm. He's there. Have a fucking bird on him. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> this is better to come. <laughs> what that's the two here? I was getting mixed up there, most. There, They're both on carpets. There's zero flies with wings, like angelic wings, and has a lantern. Doesn't oh, whatever, Sam. I love you, Sam. I don't know what your army looks like. <laughs> I... So not only did I know what any of it was because I didn't know what it was to begin with, but I didn't know what any of it Probably. did because I also didn't know what the War Scrolls did. Um, but suffice to say. Sam is a much better player than me. Um, I went down and I went down fucking hard round one. Um, it's turned into a theme though. Like I grudge a mate or I grudge someone that I want to play round one. They invariably end up being a much better player than me. And that sets me up for the bunny run through the submarine layer of the event. But um, it sets me up for that. It doesn't mean that I achieve that because at the same time, I'm not amazing, so every now and then that 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 backfires. But no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we we had a chat after the game, and and Sam reckons like you know the calls that I did make in the game, like where I put stuff, where I where I bounce Cetra around, like they were all like good decisions in terms of like tactical, like what am I going to get the most value for out of things, and it made him it forced him to react. Um, so that was really cool. So I think as a general, from where I was last year, where I started, I gr- I've grown a lot, um, especially with the style of play that I choose to, that I choose to take to tournaments. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe we continue the tradition. So Sydney GT next year, uh, Sam and I meet again, and maybe this time, instead of me just having gotten a little bit better, maybe I actually take the game off him. Um, after all, he oh, came yeah. middle of the middle of the pack he's the he's a he's a true peasant just like me uh anything can happen next year i'm sure yeah shout out to sam he is a fantastic player but he's also average as fuck um (laughs) considering he won the the herald sponsored average as fuck award so good on you sam but randy i just want to touch on something that you said that you normally grudge mates round one then you lose and then you go into this bunny run but there was this time that you played joel mcgrath who, going by your own words, isn't a mate because you didn't grudge him round one, and isn't good at the game because you bet him well, round one as well. Well, we so, we did grudge we did grudge round one. Oh, you did grudge. Um, okay, so you made we did better than him. Um, look, I think. <laughs> see, Laura War was a very bizarre turn of events for me. Um, Joe Joel took a meta-defining list where it was all shooting in the middle of the activation wars. But I don't think he was planning to play Tomb Kings and at the same time planning to deal with me. Well, he clearly like, was because he grudged you. So. Well, he did. He did. But I think in terms of planning to play me, he went, it's Randy, it's Tomb Kings. I've got this. Um, I think there's an element of chaos that some people don't recognize when it comes to me. For whatever reason, somehow, um, shit just goes wild when I'm on a table sometimes and there's very little you can do to plan for it. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I took that game off Joel. Uh, thanks for bringing it up. I love to bring that up because Joel is a very good player. Um, it makes me look good having taken a game off him. Um, perhaps that's where we'll end it though. Cause there's, there's no sense in, in, uh, beating a dead horse. Ah! Uh, but thank <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll move on. We'll Sorry, move on yeah, to get. 
I mean, to be fair, I don't think he's ever going to live that down. Like, it doesn't matter whether or not he fucking wins Masters. There's always going to be that one dude that just goes, but you might... You might be the master for the 2019 season, but how the fuck did you lose to Randy? Like, that's always going to come up, and there's nothing that anyone can do to stop that. So um, that's my mark on the scene for this this uh, this master season, I suppose. Um, but <laughs> we'll move on to Ra- like wildest tangent for rankings. Anyway, for ranking spots, swap spots. Anyway, round two. Round two. round two, round two. I ended up playing Brad uh, with his uh, fucking flesh eater court blisterkin list. And I'll be honest. As soon as he he pulled his army out, I sort of innately I went, oh, "Okay, it's flesh eater court." So I fucking lost. Um, but really, this game was probably one of the closest games for the whole tournament for me. I ended up losing nine to ten, and I, the only thing he had on the table at the end of round five was a single courtier. Whereas I had a fair chunk of my army left. So somehow, somehow, with Tomb Kings, I nearly tabled him. But because it was me, I lost by one point. Um, a part of that just literally came down to the positioning that I had for my units. Like my snakes, my snake bases take up a fair bit of space. I didn't leave enough of a gap. I couldn't cap an objective. It cost me the draw, potentially the win. Um so much fun this is this is actually the game where i was saying that my snakes just on their own the snake attacks themselves did 38 wounds took a unit of um crypt flares off uh they did a lot of work they carried me through this game um brad is an absolutely excellent opponent he was so much fun to play even when like turn three turn four things started going against him you could see that he was starting to panic he's like fuck i'm on the back foot what are we gonna do he was getting a little bit upset his dice rolls weren't going his way he's getting a little bit flustered but throughout all of that he still ended up, he still remained a really fun person to play. Like it was still a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. Um, and I think that's something worth really recognizing because when you're on the, when you're on the back foot, when stuff hasn't gone your way, it's really easy to get caught in that negative mentality where you're just like, fuck, the dice are going against me. Um, shit, that was bullshit, whatever it might've been. And then you kind of get hung up on that. Um, and it might make you feel a little bit better because all of a sudden, you know, you've got like a scapegoat to say this game has gone poorly for me. Um, but there's always the flip side of, you know, that kind of takes away a little bit of it from your opponent. Like maybe they're actually trying really hard to try and do well. And, um, you're, you're just saying, oh, it was because my dice let me down and that's the only reason why you're beating me. Um, that's, that kind of leaves a sour taste in your opponent's mouth, but Brad didn't do any of that, so it was really, really great. Like, you could see that he was, fuck, he was on the back ropes, and it wasn't quite working out for him, but it was still always a really amicable, let's play the game, let's see how we go, holy crap, it's gotten really tight. So that was a lot of fun. That's probably the best I've ever done against Flesh Eater Courts, because the last time I played them was at Lord of War, and um, my opponent at Lord of War just, I I think I had one model left after turn one because um, Flesh Eater Courts can do some bullshit things. Um, but yeah, that was round two. Round three Round three was my favorite game of the whole event. So I played Matt Holt. I talked about his list on the list review show. He was running five Gargants. It was super themey. There was a whole bunch of awesome stuff. And it was... 
like Matt gets into the game. Like it's not just he's playing for the scenario or whatever it might be, but he's just like super into it. He's bellowing. He's got the bloody handprint on his face. He's getting super, super excited. Um, we had so much fun in this game. I think the the main call out for the like this ended up being a win for me uh, because relocation orb is a massive turn off because it literally depends on where it bounces and I just got lucky. It bounced into me and it forced Matt to come at me and that was just not favorable from him from the get go. Um, so I ended up uh, relatively comfortably taking this game. Um, it could have completely swung the other way if the real if the orb had gone into Matt's deployment zones instead of mine. Uh, but I mean, you know, that's, that's the scenario. It is what it is. Um, but this is where my bone giant started carving up gargants. This is where, um, there was just some, like, literally a couple of misses swung the game for him on his tyrant, um, trying to charge my lich priest. It was so much fun. I honestly cannot recommend playing Matt before. Like I've been to a lot of AOS tournaments in Australia. Um, Matt's been at a few of them. I've always seen him playing, I've never really gotten to meet him before, but you can totally tell he gets into it. He's always having a like be- having a bellow, going nuts, um, and you don't recognize exactly what's happening until you get to play the guy, and it he just gets so into it. It's so much fun. You almost for a moment you almost forget you're in a tournament because you're like you know you're kind of going through what your what your dude's going to do and why he's doing it and sometimes you'll just take the cool thing to do because you just you get caught up in his hype um and it's awesome it's super fun especially when you're in the mid tables and you know you're not too worried like who cares where I'm going to finish on the rankings um let's make some cool stories uh, and Matt's fantastic at doing that. Like one of the things that Coach caught on video to a certain degree was um, his Noblars never did anything, and then all of a sudden I charge them with a unit of chariots. His trappers go fucking mental and blow up a chariot, and Matt lost his mind. He's like, they've never done anything, and every time I've used them, they take a whole chariot base off in one turn. I, I, I tried to be smart with my charge, and it was only one chariot that went in, and that was the chariot that died. And I was like, well, that's kind of fucked up my whole plan. But it was just too funny for me to be upset that my plan was ruined. I was just like, that was actually really funny. We were having a lot of fun. Um, so that was awesome. Like, I finished I finished uh, day one on two losses, two major losses, really big losses, um, and one major win. So, yeah, not not overly bad, all things considered. And yeah, uh, shout out to Matt as well because he he finished the game with uh, well he finished the tournament in best sports as well. So yeah, yeah. Oh, he was he was definitely my best sport. Like we had yeah. so much fun playing that game. Um, after, like there was just some instances where just because of how we were playing and the rep, uh, rapport that we had as opponent versus opponent. Um, I took some choices that were not the best tactical choices, but were just going to be a lot of fun. Uh, one of them was like what we talked about just before was like giant on giant action. Like I, if I was playing the game smart, I shouldn't have done that. But at that point, like who cares? Let's let's go for it. Let's have a bit of fun. Let's see whether or not my giant takes your giant off. Yeah, absolutely, bro. And I mean, and it's it shows clearly in his results that. It wasn't just you and him having fun games, it was him and like all his opponents having fun games as well. So a big shout out to Matt for, for getting into the theme of it. And you know, being a great sport throughout the event, being consistently a good sport and um, winning the event and I'm um, sorry, not winning the event. Winning best sports in such a way. I've I've heard nothing but good things about that character, so so good on him.
Uh, Saturday night. Do we want to touch on Saturday night? What we did, boys? That's pretty brief. It's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty brief. There's like I think there's one highlight, and that's just because Clint and I decided to be interesting people, so unlike the rest of you. Go on, talk to us yep. about this. So it's all right. Look, so Saturday night, I think it's fair to say, as a general rule for everyone, we went to the bistro. We had a few drinks. Um, some of us were very disappointed by the fact that none of the bars in the fucking venue made a cocktail. So screw those guys. Um, so instead, we had G and T's. But the only thing that I really want to talk to is uh, the meat off. So as Sean said, uh, on the menu there was this beautiful thing referred to as the carnivore deluxe platter. Um, and according to the menu, it served two to three people. Um, so being a large gentleman that I am, that well, it is did serve huge... two people that night. So you know, it did. <laughs> just, it, it did. It did individually. Indeed. It did. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Well, I mean, a shout out to the guys from South Australia that came, like Ty and his crew, because they actually shared it because they're a bunch of pussies. Um, but no. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, Clint, Clint, and I saw that. Uh, Clint was at South Australia GT where I attempted to do the Parmi challenge at whatever the hell restaurant that thing was called, and I failed miserably. So Clint called me out, and he was just like, look, are you actually going to, um, do you want to try and do this as a bit of a challenge? You reckon you can eat this plate? Uh, I am not one to back down from a challenge. I am, I'm happy to own it when I fuck them up or I, or I fail to achieve them, uh, but I'll never say no. Uh, so we went for it. So for those of you listening at home, the Carnivore Deluxe Platter, it was a half rack of ribs. It was a beef brisket. It was a 250-gram steak. It was a pork chop. It was a whole bit of fries and then a salad that no one gives a fuck about. (laughs) Uh, So it was an optional salad. It was only there to provide a little bit of color to the plate. Um, So we ordered those. Uh, Clint and I, and we just, we went to town. We went to town um, from the the words of saying Morgan, uh, it, it looked like Clint was just eating the eating the ribs to, to eat the ribs, um, whereas I was having a sensual, beautiful, meat-filled experience throughout the entire course of it. Uh, the original challenge was just about eating the meat, but the chips were very nice. Uh, I enjoy my food. I love stuffing that sort of stuff into my body, and I a clean my plate except for the salad because no one eats the fucking salad. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was just a little bit of extra fun that we had. Um, shout out to Clint for actually finishing his plate as well. We both did really well. Um, yeah, and like, look, it's all about having a little bit of fun. I think um, stuff like that. You know, whether or not we finished the plates, it was just kind of nice to hang out with Clint, just try and find something that we thought would be a little bit of a fun little challenge for the two of us to try and do, and just working through it. Um, it was a lot of fun. I did enjoy that. I'm glad you got to um, finish your steak this time, man. Look, I think the reason I failed in, in, in South Australia was um, those fucking schnitzels were dry. Holy shit. But the amount of sauce on these ribs, there was sauce for the ribs. There was sauce for the chips. There was sauce for everything the fucking ribs were sitting on top of. And yet, at the end of the day, the ribs were fucking dry. It was disgusting. <laughs> like, was, it wasn't disgusting. It was a disappointment. So, was, um, was the food warm, however? Was the food warm? Yeah, was it hot? Yeah, it was good. It, was, it wasn't bad. I didn't have any issues with it. 
Yeah, because we had a me and Tommy had a chicken palm on day two, and it was like not even microwave warm. It was pretty bad. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't get food poisoning off it. That's what we get for getting basic white girl food. That's correct. Mm. Correct. That is mm. that is what happened. Hundred um, percent. A friend of mine actually said, um, "When you have something like a carnivore deluxe platter on the menu, what sort of basic, what sort of, what sort of basic bitch gets a chicken parmigiana?" And I replied to her with a photo of Sam Morgan. Sam Morgan. Was like, yes. <laughs> this basic bitch gets a chicken parmigiana. In Sam's defense, he enjoyed his chicken parmi so good on him. There you go, Joe Pagano. That's the basic bitch that has the, you know, there we go. Um, and then Saturday night, we just, we ate some food, finished up, had some drinks, went back to the house, had brief chitter chat about going out for the night, but Jesus Christ, by that point, it was late, wasn't it? We started at... 8am, well we started before 8am because we woke up at like 6 and it was literally about 12 hours of gaming, you know, 3 rounds of 3 hours 15 plus breaks yeah. and all that sort of shit so I, I, think, long, I, think I think this is a good opportunity to foreshadow what we're probably going to talk about later but 2.5k it's a long day of Warhammer it's a long oh, day of Warhammer so it's, it's yeah. too much, I wouldn't um, I'd go to one again if one was on but I wouldn't be like, man, run a two and a half k event because, fuck. Yeah, it was. was it was. A that lot. was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, I look. There's a lot of people that are just like, yeah, yeah, you know, um, Rainy, Rainy gets loose or whatever. I was. I don't know what day two would have been like if I had gone out for a bit of la Saturday night shenanigans. I think is the polite but terminology hanky, for hanky. a podcast. Yep. Oh, for for a podcast, I think we'll leave it at a Saturday night shenanigans, shall we? Let's not dig into that any more than we need to on a recordable medium. At least one of us got our dicks wet that night. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but no, I, I agree. It was it's, it's a very taxing process. I love Warhammer. I would like to consume as much Warhammer as I could. But Jesus Christ, 12 hours of Warhammer with like the breaks and just being in the environment and, and, and the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot to take on. Eh? Yeah. Um, yeah. But we, we, we'll talk about that at the end. We'll, we'll cover that off in the end. So, so Saturday, night, Saturday night, we went back to the place after Randy ate a cow and me and Tubbs. <laughs> what, did you, what did you even eat, Tubbs? I don't even know. I had a uh, Probably, probably some seafood, something seafood, anything. Oh, that's right, seafood pasta or some shit. Yeah. Uh, when back to the house, Sarah had cleaned it up. Shout out to Sarah, what a babe! That was fantastic. Um, and then we had some more drinks, and then we called it a night because it was very fucking late, and we'd been functioning on minimal sleep. And then we went back to the venue at. We went back and had breakfast. We had, you guys had pancakes, eh? You got, you boys wanted your pancakes. Yeah, day two was the pancakes. Fuck yeah. Yeah. They were really, fuck. really good. Yeah, Man, they, they were, were so really good at Maddie's too. They were fucking amazing. They were, um, I think they were protein pancakes, so they had a little yeah. bit of extra, oh, back in them. Um, I'm surprised Morgan didn't order a couple of poached eggs to go on top of them as well. That um, that man loves his fucking eggs. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that boy <laughs> loves some of his poultry. Yeah, he is so for it. But um, yeah, but it was it was it was really good though because we woke up at the same time. We woke up up at about six o'clock in the morning, but luckily round four didn't start until nine. 
9, 8.30, 9 o'clock, something like that. Yeah, it so was we actually, slightly later than the day before. Yeah, slightly later than the day before. So what ended up happening um, for the morning of day two was we had our pancakes. We ran into a whole bunch of bros that came to the cafe at basically the same time. So um, for those of you that didn't attend the event, the cafe was quite literally at the bottom of the escalators underneath the event. So it was literally as close as you could get to the room, to the hall that we were in. Um so we just ran into all of the bros there, uh, like Nathan Princey, Gemma, Mick, all those guys sort of came and joined us for breakfast. And it was just, because we had that extra bit of time, didn't matter so much that we had woken up early because we were all just sitting around. I think we sat around for a good 45 minutes or so. Just yeah, we sat having around for a while in the morning. Yeah, just but having a yarn, catching up. Here, right? hmm. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it was good. I went up to the, to the hall because I hit some shit and I... I turned on the lights and I heard us, thank you. And I was like, what the fuck? And then just like, Pat Nevin emerges out of the dark. <laughs> I was just like, what have you done, Pat? And he was like, oh, I got here early. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we're having breakfast downstairs. You want to come have breakfast? So we went downstairs and had breakfast all together. And that was good. That was just nice and chill. It's, I, I'm a big fan of like having the group breakfast before you start the day. Yeah. So. Uh, amongst uh, amongst uh, the the groups that I normally go to, to tournaments with, uh, we have a name for it. It's called Breakfast Club, um, and usually the, the intent of Breakfast Club is to just get as much fucking food into you in the morning. Um, again, a little bit disappointed by the venue. Uh, for a start, they didn't do cocktails, couldn't have any fruit tingles on site. Very upset about that. Second point. They didn't make espresso martinis, so how the fuck is the Lord of the Night meant to start his day if he can't have an alcoholic espresso beverage to start the morning? It was just a um, little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, Mary, Mary asked someone for like a double shot gin, and they're like, no, you're getting a single shot dry as fuck, like, <laughs> just not having a bar of it. It's like, oh, well, that sucks. I'm like, Matt, you're getting a, you're getting a single shot. It was, it was quite funny. It was they, they didn't do doubles or anything within the venue. So um, as much as they keep feeding drinks to people who are quite clearly pissed, they were somewhat responsible in their efforts by not feeding them excessive amounts of alcohol. So, yeah, so that, that, was, a, that was a thing that happened. Um, that's a minor critique. The venue was choice, but other than that, um, I would have loved to have, like, a mojito to take the edge off in the morning or something like that, hey? Oh, if they served cocktails, I wouldn't have been standing day two. Let's just put it that way. You are just an absolute fiend, my friend. You are so... <laughs> You're just a beast. Anyway, should we roll into day two gaming? Two games. Yep, Sean, t- why don't you start us off? Round four, round five, what happened? What was what what did the big Sean have to do on day two <laughs> to earn to earn yeah. top of the podium? Yeah, so I came to Australia to play Australia's best and on day two <laughs> I played two Kiwis. So um, so that happened. That was that was a thing. Hang so, on, hang on. So Sean, just to interrupt you, you came to Australia to play Australia's best. Day two, all you ended up playing was Kiwis. Are you inferring that the Kiwis are better than Australians, and therefore, by day two, all that you had left was your fellow countrymen. I'm just, I'm just saying words that suit my agenda, and then objectively applying, like replying with who I actually play. So, yeah, I'm putting, right. I'm putting a spin on what happened. So, me and Tubby were playing on table three, table, three. table four, table three. Uh, so yeah, me, me and Tubby played off in uh, uh, focal points. Focal points, yeah. 
Yeah, so do you want to do this turn by turn, or how oh. how do you want to do this? No, no, we can just run over sort of how it went. Okay, so I, I won the game, so Tubby's shit at Warhammer. Man. <laughs> you, you, you can take that. I, <laughs> I, I feel like that's a very one-sided look at the at, at the match. Because I think you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you went through the full five turns. Yeah, yeah it yeah. comes down to whoever won turn five priority. Well, let's let's not wishy-wash it. It came down to who won turn four priority, my friend. And unfortunately, you did. <laughs> so so we deployed. I went first. I um I dropped, and the goal of my first turn was to put three wounds on Marathi because she was little at this point in time. So therefore, when she transformed, she goes to six wounds. That's half her wound. So I have to deal with half as much bullshit of Marathi. I also wanted to shoot off Tubby's um what's it called cauldron? cauldron. Yeah, shrine yeah. cauldron. Um, and I had it in my mind that I was going to shoot off his cauldron and I was going to half win Marathi in the first turn. What I didn't realize is cauldron was minus two to hit. So at this point, I was... On mystical um, terrain. In terrain. Yeah. So three yeah. up save, five up save, six up save at minus two to hit. Yeah. So it was a four up for me to hit and then a five up for him to make his saves. And I think by the end of round one, it had taken seven. seven? Yeah. I think it was seven. Um, I scored five points, and then Tubby just rolled over the board. I continued to win priorities when it mattered. Uh, yeah. And then, anything you want to throw in here, bro? It was um, it's a, it, it was sort of like an interesting game. Like you're a good counter to me, but at the same time, I've got so many bodies on the board that if I just push hard early as fuck, there may be a chance to sneak it. Um, which is kind of what happened. Like I just pushed hard as fuck early, and um, it, it swung back in the late and pinched up on the last turn. Yeah, well, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like because I put, I put a lot of so to me two turns of shooting to kill your cauldron, which is like probably reasonable. But yeah. had I had I put all those shots into like your sisters around that cauldron instead. I think I would have taken those sisters off quicker. So, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I still I still got the favourable result in the end, but maybe it was a better situation to deal with the bodies as opposed to deal with the buff piece. I wasn't yeah. too sure. I, I mean, well, I've previously played same... I've, I've played daughters like five times now, and the only times I've lost when I'm playing against daughters is against you. I think I've played you twice with daughters, and I've lost both times prior to to last right, weekend yeah. and and I always had success by killing the cauldron at the start but the cauldron that I previously played was never minus two to hit it was never in terrain and it was never on mystical as well so yeah um, the last two are pretty nice like that's just luck luck of the sides yeah yeah so essentially it came down to Tubby was always scoring the middle objective and I only scored the middle objective on the first turn so by the end of turn three, I think he had a six-point lead, and then going into uh, turn yeah, four, going into turn four, I think you had a hag, two hags maybe or maybe a hag, uh, a hag sisters in the prime, and the prime, yeah. yeah, and and Tubby won the roll off, which put him twelve points ahead. To which I went off to the toilet at that point and came back, and I was like, I have to win the priority roll, and I have to effectively table you. Um, and then my turn four happened, and I killed like 
guilty of him, but the prime, wasn't it? Yeah. So then, there was that and, spot there where um, at, at sort of when Sean's pinching for points, they went in and tried to sneak the um, the point off the prime. And it's just such a resilient Kante that just sort of bounced off. Oh, yeah. And then the Prime yeah. just turned around and just whomped the hero that fucking looked at him. Yeah, so I teleported the long strikes with the Aquila over to the board, and I shot, I think it was three long strikes into the Prime, and I did, like, two wounds. Yeah. And I was I was trying to hurt the Prime, but I wasn't trying to kill the Prime because to score the objective, I needed to get the charge off on the Prime. So if I kill the Prime, I don't get the charge. Um and then I lose the game effectively. Um, but I got the charge off into the prime. It was a seven and a charge. I think I rolled an eight or so. I went in. I think I did one wound, maybe two. Yeah. And then the prime just want the Aquila. Ring and three. That's just so, so nice. Yeah, well, he had six up saves, but I think he had to make like four or six up saves. And I think he made one of them. Well, did I have five? And I made two of them. Because yeah. I did roll a couple of sixes. But either way... Um, I had to make some ballsy plays. Tubby forced me into some unfavorable situations. Tubbs was... Um, and, and that's one thing I'll say about playing Tubbs. It's like, he doesn't mind losing models as long as he's winning objectives. And that mm. was like four turns of the game. Is that Tubbs was losing far more models than what I was. But he was also scoring far more points than what I was. So, like, someone could continuously play the game without thinking too much about the objectives. And then they'd realize that hey, come the end of the game, they might have tabled tubs, but they've lost on objectives like 22 to 11, you know. Um, and and that's and that's the thing. He put pressure on me late. He had me stress pacing all around the place. Um, I got the priority roll. I think if Tubby won the priority roll, he won by one point. I won by Maybe. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you max scored, I'd still win by one. But if yeah. you won, then I had nothing left because you killed my prime. And yeah, because that's yeah. it. Jobs are good. Um, so it was a tight game. It went to 20, 30 minutes before the round. Good game. I, I mean, we're really playing this down. Yeah. It was not, um, like, a lot of excitement in our voices about it. But yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was tight as fuck. And Liam was popping by watching it constantly. He was like, man, I'd love to stream this game. Because there was, there was a lot like, uh, I think if Tubby won turn two or turn three priority, I think the game would have been pretty much over. Um, because I think you would have just rolled over me with those sisters, but I think your sisters was a gift and a curse in this game because he had a fifty, he had a fifty block of sisters in the middle of the board, which scored him the middle objective and one of my objectives for almost the whole game. And the issue was that if he'd moved it, because of how far the unit was spread, if he moved it onto a target for a charge or a pylon, which he he looked to do a couple of times, but then decided against, then he would have surrendered one of those objectives to me and one of those objectives is worth two points and one of them stops him scoring three points. So it was very tactile on his point. He was very, like... The movement's so crisp when you play against him. It's it's really good. Um, you didn't go for, like, the balls in the walls tabling sort of routine, which a lot of people would have, um, because you would have given up the objectives super easy. But it was... No, it was, it, was, it was a good game. It was a really good game. Um, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed that game. That was um, That was yeah. my favourite game. Yeah. yeah, and um, someone has to be a beta bitch, so you know that's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll take it. it. Yeah, no, it was it was good. And then in round five, I ended up pairing up against Mitty Watkinson, who was the other traveling Kiwi. 
Um, so me and Maddie were playing, it was Knife to the Heart, which has a lot of feel-bad moments in it, and um, this game was over in about 45 minutes. I think our deployment took longer set of everything. Um, so we deployed. There was one notable move in the first turn where Matt had, like, nine enlightened and his Lord of Change in one spot at a table, and he carved out, like, a perfect, like, a perfect 12 by 12 square for me. And he looked at me and he goes, can you just make sure none of your models fit in that square? Because he moved his line, but he hadn't moved his order change. And I was like, you motherfucker. That's exactly where I was going to go. And I was like, yeah, bro, it's a massive gap. I could fit like half my army in there. So he quickly um, corrected that and moved his models around and couldn't go in. So effectively he had a KG turn one. I had a KG turn one. I don't even think I even attacked him. I just sort of moved back and retreated. Rolled it for priority. I gave it to him. He, again, had another KG turn one where he sort of moved. So he was getting ready for, like, a swarm move where, like, his whole army was sort of 20 inches from my objective. And I literally mean all but, like, 20 models was on my getting ready to pounce on my objective. Um, then I had the turn, so the bottom of turn two. And then I activated all my hero face shooting. I shot a ton of stuff. Like, I blew a massive hole for his army. I killed, like, six in light and, like... 30 or so pink horrors, um, a, a blue scribe hero, maybe. I, I took off a lot of his army. But the downside of that is that if he wins the priority, he can summon, because he's got all these blue horror points, he can summon so much of his army back, like more than what he started with on that basis. So that was the sort of calculator that I took. Effectively, we're all playing for the turn three win, both of us. And uh, then we... And I positioned myself, I moved my Pelotors 96, they were in like a very good position to jump on his objective as soon as they could. Uh, and then we went into priority, I rolled a 3, and I was like, fuck, because he had the top of the turn, he rolled a 2. I won the priority, and I was like, do you just want to call it there? And Matt was like, oh, we'll just keep playing. And I was like, sorry bro, this is going to hurt. And then I just like proceeded to kill the majority of his army <laughs> and, and win the game. <laughs> and score my secondary by yeeting a boy off the side of the board. And and that was it. And the game was done in like 45 minutes. And he was so like, man, that sucks. Damage. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, it does suck, bro. It's it's real shit. Um, but had he won the priority, he had a lot of change. And nine and lights and ready to jump on my objective. I think my objective had 14 or 15 units. It had like 10 hunters from two units. And then like four or five heroes. And there was a piece of scenery on the objective, so my guys were getting like plus one to save, but I'm pretty sure with all those rerolls and shit that he would have won it. He had to split a bunch of attacks, but I'm pretty sure he would have taken it off me. Um, that's the yeah. um, that's like when you're saying you just took off all of it, his entire army in two turns, basically. It's like um, it's the thing about playing that army. Like, when you normally play a shooting arm, you can just sort of run at it hard, and you'll take damage, but it's not as much as taking damage from a combat army, because it's, it's shooting, it's scaled down. But yeah. running at your army was like running at a combat army that just got to hit me for free. Yeah. Like, so, so much damage. I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. It, literally, I was like, all right, I'm going to open the floodgates, I'm just going to shoot. And he had probably about... I don't know, 50 bodies between his objective and mine, and by the end of that turn, there was no bodies there. 
He has a lot of change. He has a Gordon Summoner. He has Blue Scribes. He has 40, sorry, he has 20 Pink Horrors, 20 Acolytes, 9 Enlightened, 3 Enlightened, 3 Enlightened, 3 Flamers, 10 Blue Horrors. And I think by the end of the game, he had like 9 Enlightened and a lot of change, and that was it. Mm. So 2 Heroes, 40 Battle Line, 6 Enlightened, 10 Flamers, and two horror, uh, 10 Horrors. So his army was literally gone at that point because it was in the kill range. It was all in the 24 activation part. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was like one and a half turns of extreme caginess and then one turn of me blowing him off the board, followed by like a half attempt at me blowing him off the board and then winning the game. And, mm. and that was it. And uh, yeah, I truly think if he won the priority, he probably would have, um, come over and just popped my guys and, and won the game. So we both, we both sort of set up in that manner and, and went for that. And, and that was the outcome of it. So like, it had a very tactile, down-to-the-wire game of Tubby. And then had a sort of a... I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to undersell it, my game of Matt, because there was, like... There was micro-movement management shit going on, like... All right, mine lies into now, like, 37 and a half inches away from you. You know, if you want to hit them, you have to teleport them over here to translocate them. But then when you translocate them, they're not going to be within range of a hero to activate for your shooting. So you're going to have to sacrifice one round of shooting to get in range of them, and then they're going to be left out in the open. I'm like, yeah, I could do that, but I don't really want to do that sort of thing. Because then he's just going to fold reality as guys back. So there was it was a ton of... It was a headache of a game. I mean, I had a massive headache after playing Tubby, but Jesus Christ, I didn't... That was not how I was expecting to end my game. And it's funny, because we had Matt Campbell going back to, like, clearing off your shit on your table so your opponent can play the game. Like, Matt was still clearing off his shit, like, 15 minutes into the round, and we're like, bro, can you hurry the fuck up so we can play the game? And then Matt was like, I don't want to play Chuck's Fire Slayers, I'd swap either of you guys, and I just looked him in the eye, I was like, I will fucking take your army or Chuck's army on any day. <laughs> One, because I didn't want to play a bro for the, ta- uh, for the tournament, and two, because I, I favored myself, and purely on a list point of view, against either of those lists. Um, I've, not, I've yet to play Chuck or Matt. Um, I only hear wonderful things about Matt's ability to play the game, and Chuck is like a fucking top-table player, so list-wise, I would have picked my list to be the stronger. Game-wise, I have no idea, because I've never played him. So that's where those comments come from. But yeah, and that was it. And so I went 5-0, and and like, almost perfect secondary. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Randy, you trying to talk, bro? Are you on mute? No. Keep lining up. No, no, yeah. okay, you're there. Sweet. I'm, I'm um, I so think it's it, Tubbs. I was just going to say, going? I think, I think uh, Tubbs has gone round four with you, so you've you've done a bit of a double team there. So um, do we want to finish off uh, round five for Tubbs and see how Tubbs went round five? Yeah, man. Absolutely. Uh, so round five, I got another, I guess, yeah, pod, podcast lad. I got uh, Pat Nevin from Bendigo. Um, and that was cool as fuck. That was on uh, knife, knife to the heart. So, uh, sort of rocked up the table. I was like, pretty keen to just you know give Pat a give Pat a good run, see how this is gonna go. Like he's got a lot of models on the board. I don't know if I'm gonna ever get the major, um, but maybe if I push hard as fuck, I'll be able to do it. And that's sort of how the game went. We sort of just I run into Pat, and he stood there and got pounded by 
daughters and then found a sneaky um sneaky way to get on the objective and then he thought he had it and I, I snuck a model back hit him with a prime and and took his boys off and I was like oh I'm back in the game again I thought I just lost and at that point you know you're kind of like do I just back up and take the miner because the miner is easy at that point like it's it's in the bag I've killed most of his stuff uh but if I want to push and get the major then I'm gonna have to risk getting majored back and I was like hey Pat fuck it let's let's play let's play knife like like a real bloodbath and that's what we did we just pushed models into each other in the middle of the board for ages um and then pat found a sneaky little way to to hoon a slaughter priest around the back and get a summon onto onto my objective and um and and got a charge and fucking smashed it out um so yeah i lost i lost to pat in that last game as well so lost both my games on day two so so Tubbs, just um, would you say that you got generic gore programmed? Yeah, I guess I did. I guess I did. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Good props to uh, Salty Pat. <gasps> did he? Did he? Did he explain it before you fought the game though? Is that nah, true? He, generic nah, yeah, nah. Pat, Pat didn't really do any of that. It was kind of like these guys do some shit, and these ones do some shit. Yeah, I and saw I you like, guys went oh, for yeah, a smoke cool. at the start of the game as well. <laughs> yeah, we we had went for a diary when the game started, and then we sort of got halfway through, and Pat was like, "Should we go for a beer and a diary?" And I was like, "We'll see who wins this priority roll, and then we'll do it." <laughs> and that was very much what the game's like. We like got there, pushed our toys into each other, went for a dart, come back, push our toys into each other again. Pat won. It's like, "Thank fuck, let's go to the bar," and then got the fuck out of there and went and had some yarns. Went and gave gave the big man a cuddle. Sounds like a yep. um, sounds like a great way to end the tournament. Oh man, it was fucking fantastic. Yeah, look, I I mean, I know Pat in the Australian scene gets uh gets a lot of uh flack for being like a the salty player and what have you, but like Pat as an individual, Pat's lovely. He's a fucking absolute gentleman. He's a lot of fun. He's got some he's he's a really strong personality, but at the yeah. end of the day, like He's he's a nice guy. Like he's just a lot of fun to to talk to, um, to hear his to hear his side of things. Um, and again, I think he's one of those generals where he's played corn a lot, so he he knows what that book can do. He knows what the book used to be able to do. He um he he's I think there's a good reason why he likes to call himself like generic or pilgrim on Twitter or whatever it might be. Like he's He's got like like you said, he's he snuck that, that um slaughter priest up behind your lines and he's just like, Surprise, motherfucker. I wanna yeah. summon some stuff and take the game off you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The man's been playing it forever. And just mortals as well, which is pretty cool. But um Yeah, yeah. It was it was fucking cool. It was a good game. Good game. Uh do you wanna wrap up your last two your last two games there, Andy? Yeah, so um some <laughs> unfortunately my ones have a little bit of a little bit of story to go to them. So round four, I was matched up against Carl and his uh Iron Jaws. Um so for context, I've played a lot of Iron Jaws. Um Kakwa, Raf, a couple of other mates, uh well not mates, just like other people that I've played throughout the tournament scene have played playing Iron Jaws. So I'd probably say Iron Jaws is probably the list I've played the most against. Um, so I felt pretty comfortable going into this. I, I, I know what my ma- matchups are. I know what I think I can do. Um, and 
that was before the General's Handbook, let alone Orc War Clans, the 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 new book that's come out. Um, I was just talking a lot of shit at breakfast on day two, and I reckon you guys would remember how much shit I was talking at the start of the game, uh, at the start of the day. I was like, "Yeah, snakes take this unit off. I'm going to be able to do this. This will be fine. I'm going to be surprised if I don't table him. It's going to be not a problem." It's an easy, it's an easy second victory. We'll see how we go from there. It's all about game five. Everything is all yeah. I heard. It's just snakes. Yeah, snakes. yeah, basically. Like balls, throwing your dick around. Yeah, just like I'd, I'd won game three. I'd had a pretty decent night's sleep. I was stiff, erect, and ready to show to show everyone what I could do. Um, so we get to the table. Carl's just like, mate, I've had a really big night. I did some gambling last night. I came up on top. I went to the strippers. I've had a really big fucking night. Immediately, my judgment of Carl went through the roof. This is a bro. This is a man that I can respect. A man after my own heart. Um, so we set up. He's like, my list is a two drop. How many drops have you got? I'm like, I've got 13. He's like, how about I just drop my whole fucking list I go and get us some drinks. You deploy your stuff. I'm like, all right. I can see day day two is going to start on a laid back foot. So um, he goes off, gets us a drink. I start deploying my stuff. Now, it's important that I paint the picture that the middle of the board had two giant fuck-off bits of terrain smack bang in the middle that left a little bit of a funnel. So there's a funnel in the middle of the table, and then there's the two flanks to that funnel. So there's only three routes from one table edge to the other long table edge. Carl, t- Carl ends up winning. Obviously, he's he's had two drops. He's out-dropped me like a motherfucker. He's got a lot of command points. He's got some funky interaction where at the start of his turn, he on a four-up, he gets a second command point, which he got first turn. Kind of gorks his, his boys up. So we're playing... Oh, I'm trying to remember what the... Was it focal points? Can someone remind me here? What was uh, what was round four? Yeah, round, was round four was so cool. And round five yeah. was not. Yeah, so he, he handed Gorks his unit of 30 Ard boys into the middle, camps them there, and he's like, I've got this. Doesn't charge me or anything. Goes to my turn one. I'm like, all right, I, I've done this matchup a lot of times. Snakes, take Ard boys off. I can deal with that unit. The only the only thing that doesn't happen is I don't get righteous smiting off on the unit of snakes. I'm like, oh, suddenly the math little bit different. We'll send it in anyway. We'll do what we can do. I get in there. I take two-thirds of the unit off, if not more. I'm like, all right, sweet. This is going pretty well. We go to round two. We roll for priority. Carl gets priority. Rolls his four up. Gets another command ability. And he's like, Randy, you're keeping track of command abilities, uh, command points. How many have I got? I'm like, oh, you're, you're sitting on seven, Carl, after you got that extra extra one. He's like, cool. I spend all seven of them on a wah. What? I spend all seven on them of a war. Uh, okay, okay, mate. Sure. <laughs> he rolls all his dice. He's like, all right. And now I roll for the aether quartz. Aether quartz brooch. Rolls all his dice. He's like, I get like five of them back. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, sure. I spend all five of them on a war. Excuse me. <laughs> I spend all five of them on a war. Rolls his war. He's like, cool. I get like three or four of them back. Whatever it might be. Basically, turn two. <laughs> Carl gets thirteen. Extra attacks from Waz. <laughs> pushes so all of ridiculous. Pushes all of his shit in. His his 
um, his brutes get into combat with all of my units. The Ard boys pile in into all of my stuff. The saving grace is that I didn't kill the Ard boys because otherwise a Maw Crusher with an extra 13 attacks charges into my um, snakes. Turns out, doesn't fucking matter, boys, because the brute champion with the claw attack, so you know how um, on Iron Jaws, they roll the claw attack first because then the club gets to automatically hit. Automatically those hit, hit, yeah. He yeah. gets you a flight the child the child yeah. catching claw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he rolls his child catching claw. Every single fucking brute champion wipes the unit that it's charged into just with that attack. Because that attack plus the 13 extras just go through everything I have. Takes all of my units off. The unit of Ard Boys goes, three of these Ard Boys kill your giant. The rest of these Ard Boys kill a full unit of snakes, six snakes in one round of combat. And I'm sitting there going, what the fuck has happened to my army? It's turn two. I have lost everything. All of my stuff is dead. And top of my turn two, I'm just like, okay... So what I do is I charge Cetra into the into the Maw Crusher and cut its head off, kill the Maw Crusher, and then I would just shake hands. It's just like good fucking game, Carl. You just ab- absolutely fucked me. So the moral of that story for those of for those of you listening at home is if you talk shit, you get fucking hit. Holy shit! Oh my god! Like honestly, every time someone says. Uh, I spent a command point. I, I start to get a little bit of P- PTSD now because that was fucking brutal. That hurt me on a deep and personal level. <laughs> Holy shit. 13. Uh, that, like you said, is that a record? Like, is that is that a thing? that Has anyone ever heard of more it's, than 13? No, bro. That's, um... No, I was, I was trying to think of something, like, elegant to say or, like... No, that, that's a lot of command points. <laughs> like, I'm just yeah. glad the new book the new book changes it a little bit because holy shit. That was it's, it's a fucking it's a lot. It's so much. It's It was so yeah. much fun to play. We had a lot of fun. So much respect for the bro for going out having a big Saturday night when some of us just couldn't even do it. Um start to turn- it was just like yeah, how many command points do I have? And you're like, I don't know, like, fucking 13. It's like, 13 it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I've got one of those little, um, I've got a little one of those pro-painted, um, dials. little, yeah, those yeah. dials where you command points, objective points, whatever it might be. And because Carl was like, quote-unquote, I've had a rough night, he's just like, I'll let, I'll, I'll let you look after that, Rainy. You looks like you've got a thing that can keep track of it. So I was like, yeah, no, no worries, mate. So it started turn two. It's like, how many have I got? I was like, oh, you've got seven, mate. He's like, sure. I should have known. As soon as he asked, how many do I have? I should have known. Holy shit, something, something big is coming. He just went ham as a motherfucker. It's just, holy shit. I'm... That's that's the story I'm gonna hold with me because that's fucking crazy. Like actually, just because I made him roll out all the dice for the snakes because I was like, well, I might get some of them back. They're within range of a of a general. It's a thirty wound unit. Um, I might survive. By the time he finished all of his dual wielding snake, um, dual wielding uh, Ard boys, I was just like, holy shit, I have three wounds left because I failed them all like an idiot. Uh, how about I just take the unit off? <laughs> Peace mode. That's that's awesome. And those are the stories you want to hear from sort of and say. Like it's, oh, it's it's so good. It's so good. I don't I don't know what it, if someone said oh, I got fifteen bucks, I probably would have just been like, 
put out the hand. Good game, bro. <laughs> you know, like... Oh, it fucking it it absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Like, I, thinking back to it, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Yeah, you're like, oh boy, here we go. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so, going into round five, you were was it one and three? Is it correct? One and three. One and three. Yeah. So we go into round five. I am well and truly on the bottom tables. I'm on one of the big round tables. So um, at Sydney GT, the really far bottom tables, they were all on rounds. So not only did you have your normal six by four. But you had like all this extra space that the round table that the six by four was sitting on was, which is really good because it meant you could just set up all your like in my in for me I could put all my little ghetto war scrolls I could put my tokens my dice like all not on the table itself. I think there's something to really say about an event where you can attend and have that extra tiny bit of space. Bro, it's so um, good, so good. Any, makes... any any space that's like on a table but off the table board. And like not your seat behind you is just amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely the best because all of a sudden you can spread your crap out a little bit. You, it's all a little bit easier to find. Um, yeah, it was really great. Uh, but I ended up playing um, a, a lovely guy, Scott Marshall. So he's actually Ty's brother, um, Ty Swan. So Ty's uh, the gentleman that you oh, played yeah. around. Yeah, round one. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like I was saying when when you were t- talking about, I played Ty last year, and Scott was just saying, "Oh, you know, my brother's gotten into, gotten me into the game. I'm practicing for Runex, which is a teams tournament coming up." I was like, "All right, awesome, cool." Um, like it was just like a funny twist of events that all of a sudden next the next year around, I'm playing I'm playing a guy the guy's brother who I played last year. So he's running um, Legion of Sacrament, the Arcan Arcan the Black Legion. So I'm like, oh shit, it's knife to the heart. He's gonna have grave sites. Um, he's got massive units of chain wraps and a 40 block unit of skeleton warriors. How the fuck am I gonna deal with knife to the heart? Um, so as a little mini shout out, just as a segue, um, I've written a massive blog post about Sydney GT, and and one of the headers that I've taken for round five was why knife to the heart should never be game five. Yes. I think all of us can agree, yes. Knife to the Heart should never be game five. So we basically, we, we deployed our stuff. Um, I played really cagey. I put the snakes in the back. And I decided from the start of the game, I'm going to like, I'm going to try and be a fucking hero. I'm going to, I'm going to do a two waved assault on his uh, objective. I'm going to make use of the cloak of mist and shadows to like run Setra up and try and bring a unit up with me. Uh, and if that doesn't work, I've got some snakes. Uh, he had Prince Vordry, and in a, and on top of that, he also had a zombie dragon with a vampire lord on top with an ethereal amulet. So I knew if um, if I couldn't do what I needed to do fast enough, Vordry and that ethereal, like, they were just going to either grind me out or just kill all of my shit. Um, basically, this was probably one of the... Like, it was a game that I felt like it had feel-bads because... It's knife to the heart, and that objective, that scenario is just sometimes a bit of a negative experience. Um, but at the same time, it was also one of those things where the stuff that happened in the game itself was just amazing. Yeah, so basically, Randy, I, I don't think it's like a feel. I don't think it's a negative experience. I think it's a feel beds, and yeah. the way I determine it is like a negative experience. It's like fuck that guy. I would never play that, or I'd never play that situation again. Whereas like a feel bad, it's just like 
you have something in motion and then all of a sudden the game ends or like yeah. something happens that's out of your control because yeah. like when I was playing Matt in my game that was a definite thing I was like I win priority and I was like do you want to play this out because I feel bad for having to play it out and Matt's obviously going to feel bad because he literally lost the game on like a dice roll um, and, I, and I've been in that situation before I, it happened to me at CanCon I was playing Princey and the same thing happened. It was just like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot that the game just ends now, and you don't sort of have a, the ability to react or counteract, or you're a turn too late sort of thing. So, um, I do have strong opinions about Knife to the Heart. I do love it in some sense. I do hate it in some sense. But I think it it leads to, especially if you're not expecting it or prepared for it, a lot of feel bad moments. So, but I think we're along the same sort of wavelength when we're talking about like. You know, it just ends and it can leave people upset. Yeah. So, to paint the picture of what we were looking at, basically, like, we move a few things around. Cetra's doing his bouncing nonsense. He's taking a unit chain rasts off and sort of shown Scott, this is what I can do with this unit. And Scott's like, oh, okay. Um, anyway, what ends up happening, He, uh, I push my bone giant up. He's like, shit, I'm a little bit afraid of this bone giant. Like, from what you've told me, it can do some work. Debuffs it so it's got minus one attack at a D6 charge. Um, in his turn, in his top of his turn two, so I won the roll for turn two priority. And because I know that at the start of turn three, if you hold both objectives, you automatically win, I chose to give him the start of turn two. So I had the opportunity to cap the objective at the bottom of turn two and hold it so that no matter what happened turn three, win or lose priority, I win the game. So I took that risk. He debuffs the giant. He does all his bits and pieces. He tries to go for Cetra. Cetra disappears up behind his line. So I've jumped the first line of his screens with Cetra. In my turn two, I buff the shit out of the giant because I'm like, fuck it. This giant's going to go ham because nothing else is in range. I've kept the snakes back really far. Um, but before Cetra gets to move anywhere, because it's the hero phase, I give a unit of horsemen, double movement, and fly. That goes off. And I'm like, oh shit, alright, better give them an extra three inches of movement. So I buff them up. So these guys, these these horsemen are sitting on 24 inches of movement, plus an extra three inches, plus the fact that they can run a d6 as well. Uh, in my movement phase, at this point in time, Cetra's on his table, on his long table edge, and I've run around all of the terrain. I'm three inches away from his unit of spirit hosts. So he's um, all he's got around his objective is a unit of six spirit hosts and two fell bats, uh, two of those bat swarms. I'm like, all right, Cetra can do that. So all I need is extra bodies to help me cap this objective. Cetra's three inches away. My unit of horsemen flies 28 inches over everything in his army lands three inches away from his spirit host in the back of his objective next to Cetra. As I've said to you guys before, they automatically charge six inches. So no matter what's happening, I'm in range of this fucking objective, no matter what. What sort of noise did you make when you pulled that off? When I pull, so every time, every time Cetra disappears somewhere, I go, whoop, whoop, whoop. When, when, uh, when something does the double movement fly, I'm just like, whee! It's a bit of a wee sound because they're just having a great time. Like they're flying, they're double their movement. They're just having a great time. Doesn't matter what's going on. They're skeletons, but they can still have a good time. Um, 
and then the the next thing that was quite funny was the bone giants just like uh i kind of want to charge into this unit of spirit hosts but prince vordry is literally standing right in front of me i've got a d6 charge because i've been debuffed i roll my charge i fail by one i've got a spare command point i blow it i manage to make the charge with the bone giant and this is where i start to get a little bit cocky so everything makes its charge and then I do my little trick with Cetra where I bounce him 3.1 inches away so that he's not going to get hurt until I want him to. And then I, real- and then I go, I'm going to activate the Bone Giant. And all of a sudden, I've just realized I've made a horrible mistake. Because if by activating the Bone Giant, I pile him in so that he can hit the Spirit Hosts. But in doing so, based on the fact that like Cetra is on the other end of the unit, if the Bone Giant murders a whole bunch of Spirit Hosts, he's going to take Spirit Host models away so that Cetra can no longer complete his charge. So I've realized I fucked up completely. I should have gotten Cetra to go first. I've potentially cost myself the game already. And this is something that I tend to do a lot because... I just get caught up in the I get caught up in the moment. I'm just like, ah, oh, I want to do this. It's going to be awesome. Um, so I realized the only way for me to mitigate my loss and, and and try and manage the risk here is for the bone giant not to swing at the spirit hosts. So I've lost a potential amount of wounds to take bodies off these spirit hosts to allow me to cap. Um, and I have to send these attacks somewhere else. So this bone giant is going to wail on Prince Vordry. So the bone giant does this. It's at negative one to hit, but I've buffed it with Righteous Smiting and all these other things. It rolls two dice to hit. Off those two dice, it's hitting on twos. Fours are generating extra attacks. It fucking pops all of its extra attacks. Basically, long story short, the giant kills Prince Vordry in one round of combat. (laughs) Scott does not know what the fuck has just happened. (laughs) He's just like, what? I'm just like, I don't know, mate. I did not expect that to happen either. It's your activation. (laughs) He's like, all right, I'm going to activate the spirit host. I'm going to try and kill some some of these skeleton horsemen because I know what you're trying to do now. I need to do something about it. Luckily for me, I piled the bone giant in to clip the spirit hosts. So now these spirit hosts are clipped on one end. They're clipped on the other end where the skeleton horsemen are. So all of a sudden, because of unit coherency, he can't pile in and get as many attacks in. So in accidentally, I've done a really smart play and limited <laughs> him to two spirit host bases worth of attacks into my horseman. He kills one horseman. Suddenly, we're at six bases versus eight bases. I'm like, alright. Cetra's gonna activate now. I gotta, I gotta do well. He piles in, goes ham on the spirits, does two wounds. I'm just like, alright, I've already lost. Like, my gamble didn't pay off. It's fucked up. Somehow, Cetra has failed to do anything of use. And then I decide to roll for Red Fury. I might as well see what happens. I roll that sweet fucking Scarab, which on my dice is a six. Cetra piles in again, takes four spirit hosts off this time around. And (laughs) Scott's just like, oh shit, you're going to win if I don't get rid of some of these bodies. He tries to attack me with the bats. His bats fail to kill. He he, he takes one wound, takes one wound onto the, the horses, but they're two wound models. I've still got superiority of bodies and Scott and I just shake hands and it just ended up being one of those I took a big risk, it could have fucking gone completely the wrong way especially given I misplayed my activations um, but in the end, Cetra like a, like, a, like a boss decides that not doing what he needed to do the first time around is not good enough, decides to go again gets me the win, 
Uh, so I ended up on two and three. I like again. It, it felt a little bit bad because Scott's like, "Oh shit!" But we talked about like the interesting thing is we ended the game with so much time. We ended up having a really cool conversation around what did you do, what should you have done done a little bit differently. Um, I always really enjoy these conversations with an opponent who's really open minded, because instead of worrying about, "Hey, I'm criticizing your." ability as a general i'm criticizing your decision making it's just like let's theory craft it what could you have done better what could you have done to mitigate it well let's discuss how we could have how this game could have gone differently if we'd made different scenario if we if we've made different decisions so that the scenario would have played out differently and maybe you like you know maybe you'll learn something from that maybe i'll learn something from that um and like next time we play something along these lines, we're never going to make the same kind of mistake. Um, and something that Scott came up with was just like, he had a giant block of 40 skeleton warriors and yeah, he wanted to try and push him up the board, but really that unit plus a grave site on top of his objective, how the fuck is anyone meant to get through that really quickly? Um, so yeah, it was really good. Like we, we, I, I really enjoy that. Like, yes, I won, but I think overall, Scott and I both had a really constructive conversation at the end of the game to go, what could we have done differently? What might have turned the tables? What might have worked out differently if you deployed in this way or whatever it might have been? Um, which hopefully, you know, he learned something from. I definitely did. Um, and I know that I've I've lost games to the same sort of thing where, um, shout out to Chris Cousins for being a, a Gavriel bomb motherfucker, uh, where he's just like, dropped Gavriel and a whole bunch of Ivricators, taken my stuff off, and I've, I've not screened appropriately, and I lost, lose an objective. So um, I think it's, like you said, Sean, sometimes it might, might not be a negative play experience. Maybe it's a feel bad, but there's always, if you've got the right opponent that has the right mindset, you can always turn a feel bad into a learning experience that both of you can take something away from and go, you know what, that's actually a really good point that I should remember for next time. Yeah, yeah. It sounds a lot like that. Um, that game against Pat I had. I was like, well, at any point I can just back up and take the minor win, one hundred percent. But we've come all this way. We're not just going to come here and and not have a game. So let's let's do it. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Knife to the heart's really cool when you do that and you don't just fucking see. You don't think you can get the major and back onto your objective and get a minor. I I hate playing that way. I hate it. I hate having to play that way sometimes too. It's, yeah, it's, and I think I think that's good. that's that cements why it should never be round five. I would make the argument that it should be round round three or round four. I think Sean has some strong opinions yeah. on it on it being yeah. round four because round three you're still potentially clubbing seals and round four is a better time to split the pack. Um, it should never be the last objective because the only downside that I think I had with it was. My game with Scott, it finished in an hour. It was a three and a half hour round. Like that's at the at, on day two for the last round. You never want to be wandering around with nothing to do. I think nah, nah. if 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 any game's gonna go to full time, it should be round five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, game three or game four. I'm not too phased either, either of the two. Um, but yeah. It absolutely cannot be game five. I think that's a that's a massive fuck up. That one. Yeah. What I, are you? My my opinion is round four because, as you said, Randy, it splits the pack. Or Tubby said, one of you said it splits the pack. 
which is like i think sort of where it should be i i like the mission i understand the point of having the mission um i just think when you're looking for like the most tactile game in the last game um you're probably looking for more like a a border war or a focal point something that's like static throughout the game the scoring never changes even a a even a blood and glory play Oh, I, I do like Blood and Glory. Even I a do, Blood and Glory would love be better game Glory. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because that's there's yeah. more there's more things on the board. You st- you have yeah. to move. Yeah, I mean, I I do like the mission. It's good because it rewards people that play a turn ahead. Because I think most people that win this game play a turn ahead. Um, you know, Randy by the sounds of it, that's sort of what you're doing. That's absolutely what I was doing. But also, had I not won the priority, you probably would have lost the game. So. You know, that's that, I mean, that's my opinion on it. Is it it splits the field at a good point in time, and it's if you place it nicely in a pack, then it can elegantly resolve an issue of having more players than there are rounds in the game, uh, rounds in the tournament. Sorry, not in the game. Uh, but that's that's my feels of it. And Matty will tell you after mine and his game, he doesn't want it in round five as well. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Should we push on to, I guess, results and then review of the tournament in a whole? Let's yeah, yeah, I think we, I think we've definitely yeah. reached that point, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. So, where do we start? I think we'll like just a summary of results. So basically, overall, I went two and three. Uh-huh. Um, it's turned out to be probably my go-to staple tournament result: two and three. Yeah. And you, you got some secondaries and some... I got... As well. I think there was only one game where I didn't get my secondary and my tertiary. Other than that, I managed to get them in almost every single game. Which, yeah. um... Yeah, it was actually pretty good. Like, I, I in some of those games, I'll be honest, I never read the rules pack. I'm not here for that. Um, it was just a happy surprise that I got them. But, um, I think it pushed me further up the list on the rankings overall at the end of the tournament than I would have been. If I hadn't have gotten them, yeah, agree, agree, absolutely. Um, Tubby, you went three two. I went three two, but uh, I got the I got the gold man. I got I got the thing I came over for. I killed Manfred. Scalp. So I'm happy yep. as fuck. Well, yep, you're only missing dwellers, and you're yep. missing out on Bendigo. Yep, you're only missing one Herald scalp before you can complete that collection. Yeah. <laughs> Edinburgh, he's coming for you, motherfucker. Watch out of CanCon! <laughs> you should grudge um, him. You should just grudge him. Guarantee 100%. that the scalp is on the table. I 100% grudge him at CanCon, yeah. You heard yeah. it here first, Adam. 0% worried. Yeah. If Adam heard plays it... anyone else at CanCon other than Tubbs in first round, Adam a bitch. The... Yep, exactly. Adam's a bitch. Oh, Adam has backed out from a grudge. <laughs> He's lost all standing in the Australian Age of Sigmar community. He will become an outcast. I'm sure we can talk Clint into disowning him as a herald as well. Yeah, I heard um, New South Wales uh, infamous of backing out of grudges as well. So we'll see if that rings true. Damn, no one's buying on that one. All right, so I went. <laughs> so I went five zero at the tournament, um, and I kind of won it. So that's cool. I'm Big Sean. I'm going to play down the fact that I completely won and I got a giant, big, gold Sigmar hand grasping a hammer. It looks like a penis 
if you were to stick it on your crotch. Yeah. Um, just yeah. going to completely play down all of those extra bits and pieces for shame, Big Sean. For yeah, shame. So, um, I was... So, going into the last round, Matt Campbell and Charles Black were 1-2, respectively, and I was two points behind their game. So, I could win the tournament if something funky happens like a minor or a draw or they drop secondaries uh it turns out they played out a minor win and matt won the got the minor win so my the difference between a major win and a minor win is three points so me being two points behind means that i jump matt by a point and um so what exactly happened what exactly happened there i'm afraid i missed a little bit of it what so so yeah so didn't something funky happen for their game yeah we're not shy to to stray away from um i don't know if it's a controversy but we'll we'll stoke that flame and see if that becomes something so matt and charles played off on table one um corn versus fire slayers and knife to the heart i would pick fire slayers based off the list again this is going back to my comment that i would with the list happily play matt and, and charles because i think my list was superior in that sense it had tools to deal with both their lists um matt i i can't say i watched the game but matt I mean, props to him. He won CanCon. He's come like second and third at Masters. He's obviously a class player. Um, he was about to be Mr. 300, but wasn't because of, of this result. Um, Matt got a minor win against Charles. And from what I understand, and I've only heard one side of the story, but this, the side of the story that I've heard is that Matt and Charles had a discussion so Matt finished second, Dan Brewer finished third, Ash McKeown finished fourth because he colluded to get a draw, and Charles finished fifth, just to go through the top five. Um, so Ash, I love you. Oh Salute. boy, it's not a good way to to win <laughs> to win with fucking devoted to Sigma. So good on you, bud. <laughs> I love Ash. He'll he'll laugh at that hopefully if he's made it through four hours of recording. <laughs> <laughs> so from what I understand, Matt and Charles are playing. Well, Matt and Charles were playing. That's that's a fact. Um, they talked about the mission prior to the game starting. Uh, they agreed that the mission ends at the end of the battle round. And so you had to control both objectives at the end of the battle round in order to win the game. Uh, turns out that's how they played it. That's what both opponents agreed on. So that's what they played too. However, um, what I heard is... Um, well, I guess that's what they played too. So that's all that matters. But however, what I heard is that Matt had um, controlled both objectives throughout the game at numerous points after the win condition, which was round three onwards. So what I heard is that Matt Prusha got a major win after round three, maybe round four or five. I'm not exactly sure of the sequence, but it sounds like Matt should have won that. However, as in Matt should have won it in a major sense. Um, however, him and Charles agreed to play it another way, um, which wasn't the correct way as rules is written, but between two opponents, if you're playing the game wrong, and as long as you both agree how to play the game, um, then that's that's what happened in that sense. So, yeah, Matt and Charles played out for a minor win. Matt got it on kill points, from what I understand, over Charles. Um, however, it could have been a completely different result if Matt knew what game he was playing. Yeah, that's that's what I've been told. Yeah. So, uh, it's all um, if you've played it one way. You can only play it one way. It's yeah, and I mean, I thought some. It'd it, it, be more of an issue if somebody tried to switch it up halfway through and being like, "Oh, scenario is actually this way." That means I automatically win. 
Yeah, it's pretty shit of Lee to do that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Matt... <laughs> but I spoke to Matt after the game, and he was like, no, I didn't know how the game worked, and that was my fault. So he was... Um... So that's... Settle down, Tubby. <laughs> so that's... Um, I mean, I spoke to Matt. Oh, I haven't spoken to Charles about it directly, so that's why I'm sort of hesitant to, to put it out in the public light. But Matt said him and Charles spoke about it. They read it, and they agreed that's how it worked. So therefore, that's what they played. So I have had some people come up to me and say Matt should have won it, and therefore should have won the event. Um, which, I guess, is like theoretically true but i can't control how two other people agree to play their game and in sort of what fashion they play the game in um and obviously they submitted their results and matt was just like he didn't seem to give a fuck to be honest no. um it's, it's the simplest way i could put it matt was like total class and was like well, five and oh, who gives a fuck yeah but it was just like well i played it wrong that's my fault and you know we played a good game we had no issues and that's that's on me to like know the rules so um yeah so I squeaked them by... I, I don't really know how the scoring works because game-wise, I've got one more point than Matt. Strength of schedule-wise, Matt's got a better strength of schedule. Sports-wise, I've got six points and Matt's got ten points. So good on Matt for going 5-0 and getting ten points, considering the winner of it got 14 points. And just shout-out to, to Matty Watkinson, my round-five opponent, and the other Kiwi. He went 4-1 and he got 13 points. He actually got second-best sports, so good on you, Matty. Yeah, um, my total points is equal to Matt at 131, so I don't really know what that means. And DUP, whatever the fuck that means, I'm at 14095, and Matt is at 139.40. So I'm like 1.5 ahead of Matt in that sense. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what DUP means, but it was like to, to quote a friend of the show and a famous Australian, there was a bee's dick in it, like quite, quite literally. Uh, Dan Brewer came third with 72 game points, so he was six points behind me, five points behind Matt. So really, whoa, 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 whoa! Let's not let's not just gloss over Dan Brewer coming in third. Not only did Dan Brewer <laughs> come in third, Dan Brewer was playing Tomb Kings. Okay, Dan Brewer, get off the stick, you know. <laughs> Dan Brewer went five and zero oh with Tomb Kings. Dan Brewer won a game with zero kill points. With Tomb Kings. So, I'd like to, just to go all the way back to the list review show, where I said that me and Dan's list was not that dissimilar. There was a lot of very similar points, and Dan would do better than me, because Dan was simply a better general. And <laughs> I do not think there is a much better way of ramming my point home, and just... For lack of a better way of putting it, jamming my f- my point down everyone's throat. Tomb Kings can do work if you know what you're doing. So shout out to Dan. Dan is an AOS robot. So Dan Shorts from AOS Shorts might be the uh, AOS sex robot from the future. Dan Brewer is the AOS robot that will just take your fucking hobby and wreck it for you. Yeah, so clearly Dan Dan Brewer's done like amazingly well. So um, shout out to Dan. I I I've never played the guy. I've interacted with Dan a few times. He, I mean, obviously he's the reputation that like precedes him in this instance. So um, I'm not trying to like poopo on Dan, but I'm more saying like as an uh, I my tone is pitched in a way that like as expected Dan Brewer podiumed or like came into the top five. So I'm yeah, not trying but- to like. 
I'm not trying but, to poo-poo uh, his efforts, but I'm just like, and we've got Dan Brewer because yeah, why I know, but but I think it's interesting to point out the difference between Dan Brewer having hit this position, running something like Skaven, which he knows inside out, and now uh-huh. has a really good book versus Dan Brewer <laughs> taking Tomb Kings because he likes Tomb Kings, he likes the models, they're a lot of fun, St- like a bit of a throwback to last year where he nearly won the whole thing with them, so. Um, it's it's almost be... like night and day. Like, yes, he's a good player, but the difference between playing Skaven and playing Tomb Kings, I think, is a massive difference. We then shout out Ash McEwen, who finished like a point behind him with Devoted to Sigma. Yeah, so props to Ash. <laughs> I may or may not have heard that technically Firestorm can't have a named character. Correct oh, me yes. if I'm wrong. Is it, yes. is it, is it Firestorm or is it. Wait, is it Firestorm or is it um, Devoted? Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. All it's I'm saying is what I've heard. But, but I, yeah, either way, the list was super clever. It had a lot of cool synergies. And um, like Ash has always taken funky things. So you guys might not have known this from the AOS Australian community, but Ash always takes something slightly funky and manages to do really well with it. So that I think that really speaks to his abilities as a general to take what most people would consider to be in a suboptimal list, come out, just play it really well. Like, outplay your opponent, basically. And um, and do really well. Yeah, and I can speak to that for Sam because the attribute me can't go on with, like, um, what I'd call a different Night Haunt list where it had, like, a... What's the black coach? The black coach? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, also had, so, he also had so. like purple sun when it was worth like a hundred points. Yeah, and, and it was terrible. Uh, it wasn't terrible in that game, but I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah, like, like Ash is from like I can't speak to Matt Campbell because I never played him. All I can speak to him is reputational wise, which is that he is a fantastic player. Dan Brewer can't say enough good things about the guy. The guy seems to just whatever he touches turns to gold. Ash, I have like played firsthand. Um, and he does do well with sort of off-the-wall lists, and Charles, I, again, I haven't played first-hand, but the guy's, like, winning or podium every other event. Um, and then at number six, we have Matt Terrell, who's, like, the mirror of the Border Wars or some shit. I don't know. He's, like, Adam Bird's friend or something. Um, so good on, <laughs> mayor, good on Matt mayor Terrell. Of, mayor of Dubbo. Mayor of Dubbo. I don't know. I don't listen to their podcast. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, boys, do we want to move into the wrap-up review section? This like four hours into the podcast. Yeah. Let's. So, let's, kudos let's if you're up. stuck around this long. It's like going on quarter past one in the morning here, Randy. So, me and Sean are pretty shit. short with this. Yeah. I got a tournament to wake up and go to in a few hours. So. Is this the <laughs> longest notorious Age of Sigma yeah. episode ever? Yeah. yeah. Notorious, yeah. way too long, featuring Dweller Randy Savage. But no. Uh, <laughs> It is, it is. But it's been good. It's been so good. I just wish I didn't drink as much because I'm like running out of steam quite quickly. Um, because I've enjoyed a lot of the content and a lot of the discussion. It's been very good and interactive. But um, reviews of the tournament list. Uh, blah, words are hard. Uh, reviews of the tournament lads. Like, would you go again? Do you have any like critical feedback? Do you have any overwhelmingly positive feedback? What do you got? I'm going to throw you uh, on the spot, Tubby. You, you yeah, go man. ahead. Yeah, man. So um, I'm, I'm just going to throw good feedback straight back because I think we've, we've covered the, the things that I don't like. Um, one thing I really like 
that I will be very keen to steal for Notorious if we hit, you know, around the 70 player mark. Is I really like the tertiary objectives. I thought that was the fucking best thing ever. The way they're scored, uh, as in you get one point for getting them, but two points for exceeding in them, was awesome. And they're all like made for the mission, like or selected for the mission at least. Like they're all appropriate. Both players could achieve them. Both players knew what it was. Um, I, I really liked them. I, I'm not a big fan of secondaries, but that tertiaries that that uh, coach was using was awesome. So they also like, like super linked into your secondary objectives as well. Yeah, so the, the, like, the every, like every like, mission, there was like an obvious secondary that you could pick, and if you got your tertiary, you like, or vice versa, if you got like one of them, you pretty much guaranteed got the other one. Yeah, yeah. So stuff like on focal points, uh, take take both of your opponent's back objectives. You know, like it's that's not easy to do, but if you're doing really well in the game, you'll achieve them. So at the end of the day, the player over five games who's achieved the most of those is probably the one that's done better at the tournament, um, no matter who he's been playing against. So I was a, I was a, I was a massive fan of that. Um, I liked the, the peering system. I couldn't use it to save my life. I had to get somebody to help me every time. Um, thanks, Clint, because I'm pretty sure I come and annoyed him like three or four times to show me how to put my scores in. <laughs> um, but it was awesome. Like, it, it was really clear. Once I got to the page... It was it was easy. It was all laid out for you. You couldn't make any mistakes, um, and it showed you the 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 ladder all the time too, which was quite interesting to watch. Uh, the venue the venue was like actually ridiculous. Like it was too good. It was almost too good. Like it was almost too big. Like there was so much shit going on everywhere that you lost people. Um, but yeah, the venue was so mint. Not having to leave to do anything was um man it was so it was so awesome like like sean was saying like even smokes like we went downstairs and there was smokes behind the bar like cool don't have to go find a dairy in sydney when i don't have like data or anything like it's that was a wicked event i'll definitely go again next year um but i think we're going to switch it up to a melbourne event maybe um but yeah yeah definitely recommend going back how did uh, how did you find it, Randy? Um, yeah, look, I loved it. So there was a few things. So I'll start with the constructive criticism first, and then the stuff that I think worked really well. So constructive criticism for me is two and a half k is too fucking much. Holy shit! Yeah, I agree. I was I was exhausted. I think every single person in our group that we talked to, like, the failed charge boys, a couple of the Sydney guys, they were fucked. Like, for me, not to go out on a Saturday night, I think that's the bar to set as I was way too tired to do anything. Um, So that was probably the first one. The second one, in terms of constructive criticism, uh, I don't know, like, it's a mixed bag here. I think, like, terrain? So, obviously, there was... So there was a lot of Azurite, Azurite ruins, I think, provided by Games Workshop, but um, it all like it almost felt like a little bit of a, da- uh, a dampener because you like Coach promoted it so well. He put all these posts on Facebook. Um, you sort of almost came into the event expecting to see tables that were just 
completely going to blow you away. They were out of this world. And then you show up, um, and that like, look, the terrain was cool. There was some cool terrain on some tables, and then there were some tables that were a little bit sparse. And I think, um, Sean, you uh, and Tubbs, you guys said that you found a couple of bits of terrain that were like actually not even fully painted. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. That's it was yeah. Um, it, it was. I think it was just too much hype for um, what could realistically be done in time. Yeah, as what and happened with the train, because yeah, same here. I was expecting the train to all be like real next level good, um, but it was it wasn't bad, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It, it certainly wasn't, it wasn't good. the hype that I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it certainly wasn't bad in any way, shape, or form. And I think ultimately the other the the point to to make on that was that it might just have been, um, he ran out of time. The hype built up past what we could have feasibly have expected any person to actually be able to accomplish. And that's fine, like, you know, whatever. It's it's not a big deal, but it's definitely something to point out just as, you know, just something that when you walked in, you went, oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, that's not the end of the world. I'm sure, like, next year, all the terrain that he's already got is going to just get built upon by the terrain. He's going to continue to come continue building, so it's going to get better from here. Um, for me, uh, the only other one was a lot of the stuff went onto the Facebook page. Um, personally, I've actually gotten rid of my Facebook, so it was really hard for me to actually keep on top of what was going on. I had to keep asking people for some help there. Um, it would have been really cool that since it was already using the down unders pairings was to try and just keep that in, in line with everything a little bit more, um, to, so that you, because everyone was already like, let's be honest. Everyone was already keeping an eye on down under pairings to go. How did this person finish? How did that person finish? What does that mean for next round? I'm most likely going to be playing that person. Um, I don't think it would have been the end of the world for the pairings to have gone up a little bit earlier. So that at the very least, you've got your Facebook thing. You've got down under pairings. Whoever's using whatever already knows what they're doing. In terms of what I think really worked really well was the venue was awesome. Like not having to go anywhere else. I think all three of us can agree uh, was pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. Like, yeah, man. Having, yeah. having Just all Ubering food... there and Ubering back, that's the only worry of the whole thing. Like, yeah. Once I'm amazing. there, I'm there. Sorted. Um, and, then, and then the space at the tournament itself. Like, I think uh, Big Sean mentioned it before. It was either sets of two tables apiece or you were on the round tables. There was a lot of space. It was really nice. The The worst thing you want to have to deal with is to be crowded, having to try and jam yourself into whatever it might have been. Um, especially at two and a half K points, you've got all this extra other shit that's going around. Um, having that extra space was really awesome. Um, and I think the last thing is probably just how, um, how the event went, the price support, that sort of stuff. Look, I think, um, I think coach did a really good job. Like there was a lot of prizes. Everyone got, everyone got, um, a little goodie bag, um, it, in my personal opinion, he did the right thing. So not only were the podium places awarded prizes and, and trophies, but um, Best in Faction got them too, regardless of whether or not they podiumed. And I think that's the right approach. If you are podiuming with a faction, you should get the Best in Faction trophy. You shouldn't, like, you probably don't deserve an extra prize on top of it, but, like, good on you. You've fucking, you've smashed Best in best in faction because you've hit the podium you should get both prizes because that's a solid effort um 
I think that's something that the dwellers and some of the other podcasts in Australia have been talking about. Um, I think I think Coach took the right approach. I think that's the right way to to handle it. Um, use the extra prizes to give someone else some cool stuff. And look, I think we can all agree there was there was so many prizes up for grabs. It was um it was really cool. Like and and some of the funky ones that he came up with on the spot as well were pretty pretty neat. I won um I won a set of candles or well not a set but just a single like <laughs> extra special fragrant candle. Um and coach's whole uh, um thought process around that was you know you've been away at a, a, an AOS tournament all weekend. Um here's something that you can bring back home to your partner or whatever it might be and say yeah I might have been at a tournament all weekend but here's something for you. And I'll tell you what like my wife loved it. My wife loved the candle. She she turned she um. She lit it. She was she was having a good time with it the other day. Um, you know, just something a little bit different, a little bit kooky. But I think it hit. I, hit, I think it hit the right chord, at least for me in my in my personal life. So that was kind of fun. That was kind of cool. Um, really, yeah. I think the positives definitely outweigh the couple of small constructive criticisms I've had. I'm definitely coming back next year. Um, hopefully, it's just going to be 2K, but maybe 2K with a little bit of a twist to just keep it interesting. But two and a half k, holy shit! That was that's probably too much. Yeah, yeah, I think um, everyone felt the same way about two and a half k. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd anybody that was like, man, I'd do two and a half k again for sure. Everyone was on the same vibe. Yeah, so I will start with the positives because I've always appreciated a bit of drama in my life. So <laughs> you know, we'll finish with negatives. Positives. Uh, the venue was fantastic. Uh, can't say like i mean i'll just be rehashing what these guys say but again 10 out of 10 would do the venue again uh the prize support that coach put on was amazing like you looked at the table at the end when he rolled out all the prizes you're like fucking hell it's like oprah oprah winfrey like everyone's gonna get a prize at the end of this um which was amazing it was it was solid the the support for the prizes as well was great there was lots of good shit that he was giving away um, lots of spot prizes as well. He had like five spot prizes at the start of each round, and they were super easy. It was like unbind a spell, or like cast a spell, or like make a charge, or kill a unit. And um, the only one I remember to do was like kill a flying unit because I was standing right next to the coach's table. I was like, "What's the prize?" And he's like, "Kill a flying unit." I was like, "Let's kill some heart renders. Can I have that?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." So um, it was good. It was inclusive. It was very inclusive. It wasn't like you know, all the support goes to the top five, top ten players, which it sometimes feels like. So, like, big props to coach for that. Venue was good. Prizes were good. Uh, the event ran to time, as far as I understand. There wasn't any, like, delays. Uh, he had the times up on the big screen. So there was two projectors within the within the, the room itself, which had the times on. So everyone knew sort of where they were going and, and what the times were. Um, I'm trying to think of more goods. Um like, Man, how hard are you going to smash the bats? Got to load it up. <laughs> no, nah, not that hard. I've, I've set I've set myself up to fail. So, so the bats or the um, constructive criticism, as Randy put him, because we can't say bad things about people outright. Um, the terrain. Fuck, yeah, fuck was... that. Saying bad things about people outright is all well and good as long as they're a, like an adult that can deal with it. Yeah, so the terrain was um, not as good as what I expected. I played on table one at one point, and the terrain on that table was amazing. But from what I understand, that was like donated specifically by one person, sort of for their table. Um, but there were some tables that, oh, and the space around the tables was great as well. So that was a good positive. 
Um, but the terrain, I was expecting a bit more with the GW support. Maybe I misinterpreted it. Maybe it was mishyped. I'm not too sure. But there was, I, I mean, for my army, it was fantastic because there was like no line of sight blocking. There was very small pieces of terrain on the board. But um, it wasn't, you know, I, I saw a lot of people bring Azerite Ruins to the, to the game. And I was like, wow, this is not very immersive, you know, like the terrain. And Age of Sigma has always been sort of a big factor with the buffs. You know, we all used to play when the terrain used to give like three inch buff ranges. We all remember that. That was amazing. Yeah, you know, you'd be was. like, oh, fuck, this was mystical. I can't, you know, this giant tower in the middle of a board that has like a 40 inch footprint. You know, if I deploy next to it, I might be befuddled. But on the other hand, I might reroll wounds. So, you know, that would be good. Um, that was like very immersive and interactive, but the terrain wasn't as good. Um, there's another one that you picked up on. Oh, down on the pairings. Um, it's good and a bad. I didn't know how to use it at first. I was fucking clueless. I was lucky to have some random person walk past me, saw what I was trying to do, helped me out. But as soon as I realized how it worked, it was fantastic. No issues with that. Um, I think that was about it, really. Hmm. Not yeah. so fab terrain, but otherwise it was... Oh, yeah. Sorry, the draw going up. This was another part that Randy touched on. You've got a software that you're running the whole tournament through, but for some reason you don't post the draws on that. I don't know if that's a, limit, a limitation of the system or just like something that Coach preferred to do on Facebook. So I, without knowing more details about that, I'm not going to go into that too much because... Yeah, I, I I don't know if that was a, a coach thing or if that was a down under appearance thing. Sorry, my phone just sent me like sixteen messages, so I was trying to. Make it's it Randy. It's, it's yeah. What, what's he it's doing? Randy laughing in the group chat. Savage, <laughs> what are you doing? Stop it, mate! I'm one and a half bottles of vodka in. The tingles have sufficiently tingled me. All parts of me are a little bit fuzzy right now. It yeah. might be close to one in the morning for you guys, but it's about to hit midnight, and that's Bro, when it's... shit gets funky. It's closer to two in the morning for us now, but that's all right. I've immensely <laughs> enjoyed this podcast. Can um, I just say, whoa, I'm not ahead. just doing thunder here, um, Big Sean, but uh, am I the best guest you've ever had? I think I am, right? Like, longest episode of Neutralis Age of Sigmar. You're enjoying all the conversation. What's the difference? Me. I'm the difference. That's fucking you're, right. You're great you're at a, talking. You just, you're you're a, just go off talking by yourself. It's fantastic. You are the difference maker. The only other guest we've had has been Sam Morgan, so therefore you are the... Oh, Clint Mallet as well. Um, actually, <laughs> well, no, that's You can't, <laughs> can't forget about Clint, especially no, since no, Tub's no, been no. collecting scalps. You've got you to gotta recognize the people that have fallen on the path of Tub's... Well, I guess yeah, that means I'll take your scalp you. then. <laughs> yeah, he needs another Dweller scalp. Um, I'm pretty sure the dwellers would say that you're a dweller member, considering how much they love you, Randy. So yeah, um, no, Randy, I've I've very much enjoyed your company this evening and your company last weekend. So thank you very much for coming on and doing a bit of a marathon. Four hours and forty-one minutes is what we're up to. We'll see what it makes post-production. I'm f- um, uh, look on, honestly, Sean. I've absolutely loved it. Um, for me, a couple of takeaways: the big the big house, the hobby house for a tournament cannot recommend it enough especially when it's a whole bunch of mates that you 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 may not have well well, not even mates a whole bunch of people you might not have known who by the end of it end up becoming good mates 
Um, I like to think of you guys as, as good friends now. We've gotten to know each other. We've spent a lot of quality time together. Um, in the case of poor old Matt, I may have gotten to know him a little bit better than I might have liked, given <laughs> for sharing a room with a bunk bed. <laughs> for those of you at home, for those of you at home wondering what the fuck I'm talking about, that is a story that I will only tell you in person after a few tingles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been absolutely great. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me on. I've loved no, every moment of it. You've been fantastic, Randy. And what I'd say, the way I'd like to summarize it, mate, is it's, it wasn't about the GTI 1. It was more about the friends we made along the way. Oh! oh. <laughs> Somewhere, every single dweller is rolling over in bed going, what did that motherfucker say? What did he say? And the reason I say that is because it's 11.26 in Australia, and I bet all of those soft bastards are asleep right now. Yeah, but just to recap, it's not about the, the notorious GT or the notorious takeover we had. It's about the friends we made along the yep. way. And, and, and look... A good friend of mine's actually sent me a thing, and I, 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 I'd be remiss for not mentioning it. So we we talked about the Saturday night. We talked about the meat platter. Um, Clint's obviously a hobby hero on so many levels. There's a reason why he's the only man in Australian Age of Sigmar that's allowed to make decisions for the community. But really. <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, the thing that we got to mention is that anyone who orders a chicken parmi at an event when something like a carnivore deluxe platter is on offer is most definitely a basic bitch. So shout out to my boy Smorgan, you basic <laughs> bitch motherfucker. And on that, we love all you people out there and we're going to call it a night. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in your motherfucking ears as soon as we figure out how to record this shit again. Cheers, lads. Alright, thanks so much for having me on. Night, everyone. I'm similar to the thriller in Manila. Honeys call me bigger, the condom filler. Whether it's stiff tongue or stiff dick, Biggie squeeze it to make shit fit. Now check this shit, I got the pack of Rough Riders in the back of the Pathfinder. You know the epilogue by James Todd Smith. I get swift with the lyrical gift. Hit you with the dick, make the kidney shift. Here we go, but I'm not domino I got the phone flow to make your drawers drop slow So recognize the big size in these talking eye jeans I wear 13s, know what I mean? I fuck around and hit you with the Hennessy dick Mess around and go blind, don't get to see shit The next batter, here to shatter your blatter It doesn't matter all I do is separate the game from the truth Big bang boots from the Bronx to Bolivia Getting physical like Olivia New Tricks up my click dick all day with no trivia So give me a hoe, a bankroll and a bag of weed I'm guaranteed to fuck until I nosebleed Even if the new man's a certified Mac to get that H-Town in ya You want that old thing back? Y'all be crying like I'm killing y'all bitches I know there's a bigger picture than the 
camera roll It is out, the y'all be knowing how this shit's unfolding Back shots to the rear, got the Mac unloading Gotta reload like every so often Saying I got my swagger back I'm looking like bitch, my swagger never left Don't be so hard pressed to be impressed by these new raps They act as in the fact is You want that old thing back When the tongue go down below, peak the funk flow, really go. I got the cleanest, meanest penis. You never seen this, stroke a genius. So take off your tin boots and your bodysuit. I mean the spandex and hit my man next. Sex get rougher when it come to the nut buster. Pussy crusher, black nasty motherfucker. I don't chase them, I replace them. And if I'm caressing them, I'm undressing them. Fuck what you heard, who's the best in New York? Fulfilling fantasies without the nigga Mr. Raw. Or tattoo, I got. 